Conoscenti. Conoscenti. This is Jim Rockford. At the tone, leave your name and message. I'll get back to you. You are full of bullshit, my friend. I will sue you for everything you have. I will sue your ass. That's in memory of James Garner, who passed away on Saturday this week. The theme from the Rockford Files, the extended version, which actually charted on the radio in the 70s. Welcome to a special edition here of 
Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. Tonight at 7 o'clock, which is 23 minutes from now, we're going to have a special guest who is, I believe, doing his first interview since doing something very historic in poker. I'm sure you know who I'm referring to. Mark Newhouse, who has final tabled the World Series of Poker main event, not just once, but twice, and not just twice, but in back-to-back years, and not just in back-to-back years, but with fields over 6,500 people each time. So, pretty amazing. Okay, I guess I'm seeing in the chat he was on 2 plus 2 already. Damn it. Damn you, Adam Schwartz, beating me to the punch. Ah, why can't we ever get anything first here? Well, I think we're the first ones to have gotten uh, airport scammer Michael Borowitz on the show. So at least we did that. At least we had that exclusive. All right. Anyway, um, we have someone else on the show tonight who is familiar to a lot of you. And that is one of our former hosts of this show. Remember when it was called the Druff, Drexel, and Vowels show? Well, tonight we're having on vowels. No. Tonight we're having on Drexel. Brandon Drexel Gerson is going to come on tonight, and he's mainly coming on for the Mark Newhouse interview. In fact, I have to give him credit as the one who arranged this interview. And I'm not sure how much longer he'll be on after that, but of course, I'll be happy if he stays the entire time. Very popular host on this show, and the show's always better with him. So let me try to put him on with the one little warning that Skype forced him to upgrade, so he's not 100% sure that this will work. But I think it will. I I just think it will. I've got the feeling tonight it's going to happen. Brandon Drexel Gerson, hello. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Let me turn you down a little bit, though. You're a little bit loud, but I can turn you down. And uh, this is so far so good, though. I'm actually happy that we don't have a lot of fail with this connection like I thought we might. You know, I have to tell you, I was listening to the uh, opening and sorry to burst your bubble, but uh, Michael Borowitz was actually on uh, 2 Plus 2 podcast about a week before yours. <laughs> so I listened to some of it. Ah, jeez. Can you hear the sound effects, by the way? Did you hear that? Did you hear the audience laughing? Can you hear me? Uh-oh. Oh, boy. There's a problem okay. with this call. Oh, jeez. Brandon, are you there? I am here. So do you hear the sound effects on this show? I'm just curious. Sometimes people can, sometimes they can't when they're on the phone with me. Go ahead and play something. Okay. That's, uh... How about this? <laughs> Did you hear anything? No. It's so weird. One more time? No, you would have heard it. Trust me. I heard like a little beep, but just no, 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 no. It was the audience laughing sound effect. I, it's so weird. I, I have not figured this out, but sometimes the people on Skype with me can hear the sound effects, and other times they can't. And I cannot find any rhyme or reason for why that is. Um, Eric Ryland last week, for example, could hear them, and you can't, unless it has to do with me calling them or them calling me. Who, who called who this time? Uh, you called me. Try calling me. We, we wanted to do this before the show, but, you know, he had some Skype issues where Skype made him download it and it was terrible. So um, try okay, calling me back, right back. And, and we'll see if you can hear the sound effects. I, I don't want Brandon to be left out in the cold with the sound effects. And uh, 
As always, we produce the show during the show, but we're trying to get all this out of the way before Newhouse comes on. Okay, I'm going to try okay, one more I'm time, here. Brandon. Tell me if you can hear this sound effect. Hear anything? I heard it all. What was it? It was a pew, pew. Yeah, I heard it. <laughs> okay. Maybe that's the solution. Maybe you figured it out. That it's uh, if they call me, then they can hear it. If I call them, they can't. It's so odd. Anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, welcome. It's good to be back. Yeah, I'm very happy to have you back here. Very I feel happy. Like that, it's like a bicycle. I just get back on right where I left off. You know. Yeah, that's great. People have been clamoring for Brandon to come back, and not only do we get Brandon, we get Mark Newhouse tonight, and uh, uh, on a secondary exclusive interview. I mean, it's it's good. So, no, I'm very happy to have Newhouse on here. I don't care if we're first. It'd be nice to say, but uh, the, the important thing is that he's coming on, and that our audience, not the 2 plus 2 audience, gets to hear our interview. Though, I don't want to bash the 2 plus 2 podcast because one of their hosts, you know, uh, Adam Schwartz, listens to this show every week. So, I have to be doing something right here. So, anyway, uh, let's, let me give you the agenda. By the way, Brandon, are you going to be here just for the Newhouse interview or for the whole show or for part of the show? What is your plan for the evening? You know, I really haven't given it much thought. Okay. Well, you, you can do what you want. Uh, so, you guys know we have the Mark Newhouse interview tonight. And uh, how, are the, how are the shows running these days? Are they four or five hour? No, no. I, I can't do that anymore. No, I've gotten too old. No, what I do now is usually about a three to four hour show. It usually ends around 10 o'clock. Oh, that's so, nothing. 10 yeah. o'clock, you're used to back in the old days, we were just getting going. Yeah, I know, I know. I know. It's just, uh, <laughs> you know, age takes its toll on a guy. You know, since then, I've, I've broken a few ribs and, uh, you know, other things have happened. So um, I think 10 o'clock is about, thereabouts the most I can do here. But I always make sure to get hey, through all the topics. Listen, I, I have to tell you, um, as a sidebar here, and this is true, I'm talking to Draw fan, the audience as well. Uh, and I, I'm sure you addressed this last week on the radio. This whole thing, uh, I guess, your little infiltration, I guess that's the correct term. Yeah. Uh, just, and this is being truthful, Druff and I do have communicated continually. You know, we keep in touch. And I had no idea that was coming. I mean, I knew nothing about it. Druff never let, let on to me about it. And that was, that, I mean, that's just, that's some fucking amazing work you did there, buddy. Well, thank you. you know, mean, um, the, actually, no, no one knew about this. Not one human being knew about this. Did and your girl know about it? No, no one knew. And no I, one knew that I was doing it. No one knew that it was coming the way it was after I busted from the main event. It kind of just if, all happened. If, 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 your, if your little boy would have said, Daddy, what Iraqi soccer ski team would you have told him? No, I, I would have had to say, Benjamin, there's some things you just can't know until it's time. Not everything is for a three-year-old to know. So um, let me go through the normal normal disclaimers for this show. Uh, Tonight at 7.40, there is a free roll for $50. And someone actually mentioned that they're afraid that Mark Newhouse is only appearing on this show so he can play the $50 uh, free roll and run. (laughs) So uh, that's possible. But Mark Newhouse is welcome to play it if he wants. But we do have a $50 free roll on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. And first place is going to be $25, second place 13 third place 7 fourth place $5. Uh, this is thanks to the generous donations of Trader SHKY donating 20 Bubbles donating 5 Fatman548 
donating 14, and he always seems to finish like third or fourth and donate back what he wins. Like every, he never wins, but he, like he finishes like third or fourth and always gives it back. So I appreciate that. And hockey guy giving ten dollars because I was on time last week, which he thought he wouldn't have to give, but I was up to the challenge. And uh, that only adds up to forty nine. But I performed some fuzzy math here and rounded it to fifty. That's how generous I am that I threw in an extra dollar of my own. So I I hope you guys appreciate that. So anyway, that's on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You don't need any kind of chips to play it. You just need a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room, which you can find near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. You do have to have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert form dated June 1st, 2013 or beforehand. If you don't, if you don't have an account or if it's dated later than June June 1st, 2013, then... You need to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, and convince me you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks, and tell me some things you heard that were not in the official show description. So that's how you do it. You have to do it before the show starts, not the show, before the free roll starts at 7.40 Pacific Time, and now there is late registration the software does allow it now, so you can late register now until 8.05, 25 minutes late. So that's the detail about the free roll. It is no limit hold'em. And we'll see. I have a feeling Fat Man's going to finish uh, third or fourth again. So here's the other items on the agenda. Actually, before we get to that, let me give the phone numbers. And we probably won't take calls during the Newhouse interview. Uh, you guys have to understand that Mark Newhouse is going to be... He's blowing up huge. Yeah, That's I mean, he already is blowing up huge. And the point wide. is, this is not just, uh, you know, just some random poker pro we're having on here that, uh, you know, we can just, uh, you know, try to get him to say a lot of uh, stupid things and everyone laughs or whatever. Like, Mark Newhouse, he's going to be at the main event final table for the second time in a row. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of promotion I mean, around him. we may him. never see this again in our lifetime. Yeah, we may not. I said that last week, too. And, and Mark Newhouse obviously is possibly in line for some sponsorships. Not anything specific, but I'm saying obviously he's someone who could easily get sponsored and a large sponsorship I'm talking about. So uh, someone like Mark Newhouse has to be careful at this point that uh, you know his image uh, doesn't get tarnished or anything. So we're not going to do anything on this show to, to harm that, especially because we like Mark and we don't want to do anything that would uh, be to his detriment. So this is not going to be like a hardball interview where we get Mark on here and... Uh, uh, try to make him look bad or try to bring up uh, unpleasant topics or whatever. It's it's going to be a friendly interview, but he's I, th- I, I he, and he's our friend too. There's no reason to get him on here and grill him. It's not like we have him on here for doing something wrong. We have him on here for doing something very right, and that is uh, managing to play well enough to make the main event final table two years in a row, which is you fold those aces to that Anon Philoppy. <laughs> oh man, Sorry, don't 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 rub it in. Actually, that that's not that's. That's two years ago now. That's not even. Uh, that's not even what's killing. He would have shipped that queen. What was it? Queen six in that gook's face. <laughs> yeah, it's a queen eight in the gook's face. That's what I should have done. The euro it wasn't the gook's face. It was the euro's face. Yeah. So I should have. I should have shipped the queen eight into the euro's face. I totally. I, it could have been me there instead of Newhouse. But uh, I'll give Newhouse credit for now, since he he probably did ship the queen eight in the face, and that's why he's there and not me. So props to him and. Uh, so we're going to have Newhouse on at 7, and uh, here's some other things we're going to do tonight. At least I'm going to do, and Brandon wants to stick around till 10 or so. He's welcome to as well. Um, I'm going to quickly tell you a few things about James Garner that you may not know. 
who died on Saturday. reason I'm talking about this is I'm a big fan of the show The Rockford Files, and I know a lot of our audience is of the older demographic, either my age or older, and uh, you guys probably watched the show. And uh, you know, it's, it's a big deal to a lot of people that James Garner died, so I, I was going to not to take a lot of time on it, but just uh, share a few things that I knew that you may not have heard before. Paul Fua mentioned last week how he was busted at Caesars taking sports bets for the World Cup. There's more detail that's come out. And who else but Haley Hintz would be unearthing it? I guess we, you know, we'll talk about when we get there. But what I don't understand out of all this, and just you could answer my question, why? what's the incentive to bet in a sports betting ring in a city where you can legally bet sports? Well, I was wondering that last week too, and – I don't have an answer, but my guess is that he's taking larger bets than they will take at the sports book, where they're trying to keep their risk down, and uh, especially if they don't know you very well, they're going to keep your limit pretty low. They they really want to have the same action on both sides, where I can imagine uh, someone like Paul Fua and whatever syndicate he had going there didn't care. They're just taking bets. That That's my guess. Yeah. Um, it did seem weird at first, like why is someone taking sports bets illegally in a casino that takes sports bets? Like how would they ever get customers? Right. So uh, Dan Bilzerian appeared on Howard Stern today, and someone dutifully took that hour interview and put it up on YouTube. Now, I'm not going to play an hour interview on this show, um, both because I don't want to turn this show into a replay of the Howard Stern show, and, and second, I don't want to get sued by Howard Stern. But I will play little clips and uh, comment on them. Some interesting stuff. I, I noted down the most interesting parts of the interview. I listened to the whole hour today, and I'm going to play the clips of the you know, few minutes at a time that I think are worth listening to. He's a very interesting guy, regardless of what you think of him. Caesars Atlantic City got robbed. We both stayed there. We did? And I remember. I've stayed there uh, three years in a run now. Not only did I stay there, Benjamin stayed there. So we've been there, and it got robbed today. Of $180,000 cash. That's much worse than when chips get stolen and they can try to prevent those chips from being cashed in or use the chips to trace back who did it, like in that Bellagio robbery. Uh, Cash is cash. It's just gone. So they actually got 180 k cash, almost like a real-life Ocean's Eleven, out of the Caesars Atlantic City. So... Talk a bit about what happened there. Another Atlantic City story. This is an interesting angle that hasn't been discussed much, but I think might have some merit to it. Uh, Again, Haley Hintz, who does a lot of good investigative work on poker stories, uh, she delved into the Atlantic City showboat closure, and there's a lawsuit related somewhat to that as well. Uh, Haley Hintz believes... She is not sure, and she doesn't have concrete evidence, but she believes, and I think she has a good point, that the showboat closure is somewhat related to poker stars being shut out of New Jersey. Now, how does one have to do with the other? I'll explain her theory and why I think there's merit to it uh, when we get to that portion of the show. Uh, Also on the poker stars front, the satellite winners of the FB, you know, when they... uh, Satellite, sorry, satellite winners. Uh, satellite players found, figured out a way to pull shenanigans tricks to 
get better value out of their FPPs. So I'll explain what they did, but um, for those of you unfamiliar with the way PokerStars works, and it's been this way before and after Black Friday, each FPP, which is called a frequent player point, is worth a different amount based on what your tier level is, what your status level is on poker stars, you know, bronze is the lowest and supernova elite is the highest. And depending on how high you are is how much each FPP is worth regarding cashing it in for bonuses or whatever, or tournament tickets. Uh, people who are the bottom tier figured out how to cash them in for almost the maximum by pulling some shenanigan tricks with registering and unregistering for tournaments. Uh, poker stars obviously eventually caught on to it. And clamp down on these people, but now they have unclamped, and I will explain what's going on, and I'll explain the fact that you can still do this, and in fact, I suggest you do it if you can still play on PokerStars, and you want to get maximum value out of your FPPs. PLOL, who is a user on PokerFraudAlert.com and a listener here, and he's called in a few times. This is a kid with a dream. He is a kid with a dream, and this time his dream was... Squeezing money out of Indian tribes, he decided to cyber squat by Brittany uh, Grinder's clit. His Indian, <laughs> yeah. Um, PL, well, PLOL's name, his Indian name, is now Squatting Bull. <laughs> and the reason we call him Squatting Bull is because he was cyber squatting uh, against the Indians, the Seminole Indians. The poor Seminole Indian tribe. He tried to cyber squat. They won every fight. Based upon their tournament name. And I'll tell you what ended up happening with that. Remember, Dutch Boy tried to cyber squat. That didn't work out very well either. Um, I know, Brandon, I probably won't be telling you anything you don't know. But I've had a lot of questions, especially recently, about casino comps. There's a lot of misinformation and a lot of misunderstanding out there on how casino comps work. For example, you ask the average person about how you get casino comps, and the average person will tell you, well, you go to the casino and you play, and if you lose, the host will comp you. That's not exactly how it works. Yes, that can happen. Yes, that does happen, but that's not how it works. I'm going to explain how casino comps really work. Not at any specific casino, but just in general how they work. And how if you are a casino pit player or um, or a machine player, how you should best take advantage of it. And there are ways to do that. I'm sure Brandon can chime in on this one as well, if he's still around at that point. Uh, finally, as I always do at the end of these shows, an editorial. And just like last week, the editorial is not about poker. It's not even about gambling. The editorial is about why you should not buy insurance for most things. I think you should buy health insurance. I think you should buy auto insurance. In fact, you have to do both of these now. But I don't think you should buy many other types. That's cute. You're doing like a Andy Rooney 60 Minutes rant editorial thing? Yeah, yeah. I do that. Yeah, that's a new 2014 thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like it. No, I'm glad you like it. So... That that is the agenda for the evening. You never know what will happen. The phone numbers to reach us here. 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also call the Mount Charleston line. Mount Charleston is a mountain that hangs over Las Vegas. It's about 45 minutes away by car. I have a rotary phone that sits on top of the mountain that I go visit every so often. It forwards to wherever I am. 
The phone number to the Mount Charleston line is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. If you want to text me, you can text me at a separate phone number. It's not the most reliable thing. Sometimes I miss texts, so if I don't respond or don't read your text, that's probably what happened. Doing but Texas now, Jesus. Yeah, you can text it. You should when are you going to have the Druff Instagram account up there? Well, you know what? You used to be able to text. We've actually taken a step back. You used to be able to text the main number, and it was very reliable too. Like I'd always get them, and then that stopped working for reasons I won't explain. So now you have to text a separate number, which is difficult to remember, and I don't always get the text. So we've kind of taken a step back. But anyway, that phone number is seven zero two six two three one four two three. 702-623-1423. If you forget any of these numbers, you can go to the official Druff and Friends show thread for July 22nd, 2014, which is in the Flying Stupidity Forum of PokerFraudAlert.com. You can also communicate with us in the chat room, which I will try to read, especially because I have a co-host and it's easier to read the chat. Just click the chat button on top. You need a flash-enabled device to read the chat room, and you need an account on the Poker Fraud Alert forum. Uh, we probably won't take calls during the Mark Newhouse segment. I just uh, Skyped his number, by the way. Okay, T good. minus two minutes. T minus two minutes. Yeah, we're going to be on time Front. calling him. Mm-hmm. And uh, those are the ways to communicate with me. You can also even PM me in the chat room. Just don't get mad if I don't see what you're saying in the chat room because I'm doing a show at the same time and this is a live show. And if you try to call and we don't answer, just try back in 15 minutes or so and probably will answer. Someone in the chat is saying that uh, they may want to buy volcano insurance. Okay, so we are going to call Mark Newhouse, of course, the November 9 winner. I wonder if this is the same phone number I've had forever. Same area code for sure. He's had the same phone number since I met him. Yeah, so sure. yeah, it's probably the same number. For, I mean, if you had his number anytime uh, post-2006, it's the same Yeah, number. it's the same number, okay. So uh, we're going to add him onto this conversation, and uh, after all the build-up here, if he doesn't answer, it's going to be pretty embarrassing. But no, I just text him. Oh, good, 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 good. I, I'm just thinking of this show. What usually happens? Like we build something up, and then no, I ring I and it just rings today, out. It, no, it's all good. Okay, now I'll I'll keep my finger on the hang-up button just in case it uh, goes directly to voicemail or something. People hear his phone number. There's November Niner, double November November Niner, Mark Newhouse. One minute early, too. Mm-hmm. Uh-oh. Uh, geez. Up. Hello? Mark Newhouse. Yo. What's up, buddy? What's going on, man? This is Brandon, and I have uh, Todd as well, and uh, a very loyal listening audience. Yes, people are What's very, up, very, very excited to hear from uh, Mark Newhouse, who is quickly making a legend of himself here. And, and Mark, I just want to say to you, I haven't uh, I haven't spoken to you since you've uh, accomplished this feat. I I want to congratulate you. This is uh, really amazing what you've managed to do here. And uh, thanks, bud. Wel- welcome to the show. And uh, you know, I, I've I've had thanks for coming on, buddy. We appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. I've had nothing but good things to say about you here on uh, on Poker Fraud Alert on the forum and the radio. And um, you know, I think what uh, some people don't realize is that. You are not a one of these guys who grinds like you know a million no limit tournaments online or uh, well, I posted know, that earlier. But yeah, or, or travels around the, the the tournament circuit. You are mainly a limit player. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I I do different things. Like last year, uh, during the break, I uh, traveled Europe and played some tournaments. But I, I mostly stay between Vegas and L.A., mostly L.A., uh, primarily a limit holding player. But uh, hopefully after November – will not be a limit hold'em player anymore. Oh, so you're not going to play limit hold'em anymore. Because the last time I saw you, I believe, I was at the Commerce Casino in January, and we were playing like 100-200 limit hold'em. And when I yeah. see you at Commerce, you're, you're in the limit hold'em game, whatever the biggest one running is. And um, I remember I was in like really, really terrible pain because I had three broken ribs. And uh, I think that was the last time I saw you. And uh, it's just interesting. Yeah, I remember you, you coming in at like, some some hour like two three in the morning or something some night yeah yeah and it got worse yeah. I was actually in the hospital later that day so that wasn't a good day oh. for me <laughs> sorry to hear that <laughs> but how anyway so so anyway Mark um how it how is it uh just first of all how does it feel right now given what's happened does it feel like it's something that uh, still seems unreal to you or is it like just uh, he's um, asking has it sunk in yeah. Uh, honestly, I don't think it's necessarily completely hit me yet. I mean, I still, I still feel pretty much the same as I did, uh, you know, two weeks ago. Really? Um, where, but where, uh, where are you now? I'm not a, are you in a casino? Are you at Commerce? No, I'm actually at a Home Depot right now. Uh, <laughs> I need to, I need that... to buy some of those, uh, international plug things. Um, but I'm in LA. Uh, I think I'm uh, actually going to. What's that? No, it's at least that we know what a, a typical uh, what Monday or Tuesday for a November Niner at Home Depot buying international plug things. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I probably haven't been to a Home Depot in like at least a year, but I'm here right now. Yeah, I would have. Um, I would have definitely lost a max on somebody saying, "As Mark knew, I've been to a Home Depot in five years." It would have been like yeah. minus five fifty. No. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm going to uh, to Belgium on Thursday, so I got to get some of these. Uh, really? What do you have going on things. in Belgium? Uh, going for Tomorrowland. It's uh, it's like EDC, but much bigger. Hmm. Now, was that planned uh, before the World Series? No matter what happened. No, this is this is just very last minute, um, and I, it's still actually not. I'm waiting on. A confirmation, but uh, I, I'm pretty sure we're going. You do everything um, last minute, don't yeah. you? Have since I met you eight yeah. years ago, you do everything just on a whim, don't you? Pretty much, yeah. That's awesome. So, are you gonna? Is it basically gonna be the same as last year, where you just three months kind of travel around the world, just kind of? I chill think with that's friends the plan. Uh, I'm I'm not planning on playing any cash game limit poker whatsoever during this time off. Um, I am. So right now, this first trip to Belgium and then, like, chill in Europe for, like, a week and then come back. I don't know where in Europe yet, but we'll figure it out. Uh, then come back, and I got, like, stuff I got to handle. Like, I absolutely need to get my 2013 taxes done oh, wow. before October. Um, <laughs> and, you really are last you know, minute. Just, just, like, little errands like that. Once I get all that done, uh, probably, like, last year I spent two months in Europe. Uh, this year... World Series of Poker Europe is the World Series of Poker Australia, so I think I'm going to go to that, and I got like a month of whatever to 
yeah. decide where I want to be before like, then. Like your final tweet months. at the World Series, I have something like this, whatever. And then you just had like a Yeah, I, I love the way you're ending it. You're like, yeah, I made the well, final yeah, table, I, whatever. I, I won the last pot, didn't get a chance to count it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I, yeah, I made the final table, okay, end of day seven, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no you big deal. Last year. So, Mark, I don't know if you're, you know, I know you're not a forum guy, which, which is actually yeah. a good thing. But, uh, so what's uh, the new forum? Uh, I don't. I don't even know about your your guys. Oh, it's uh, it's actually just mine. It's it's a pokerfraudler dot com. No, no, I I didn't want to. Uh, no, Brandon, if anything happens here that uh, you wouldn't be proud of, I want to take all the the blame. Oh, I know. But uh, so you're you're no, you're no longer like affiliated with Mike. No, 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 right? no. no. Uh, the short version is this: Do you remember the old Neverwin Poker that yeah, got bought that. out by Tony G and and Poker News became Donk Down. Donk yeah. Down literally went Donk Down, and then the user base more or less came over uh, to Todd's site, which is Poker Fraud Alert, which, what, okay. two years now? Two yeah, it's been up about two and a half years, yeah. Yeah, but it's okay, the same cool. It's the same user base. And <clears throat> when I was texting you yesterday, I, I you know, I wasn't giving you any, any bullshit or anything. I mean, literally, when the, the World Series was, I don't know, the day four, and people started taking note of, of you making another deep run, literally – uh, you know, we have a thread on here that you know you don't have to check it out or anything. But there's a World Series thread, and literally, I every, I will check it out. I, uh, everybody I'm, in here I'm was just to, everyone yeah. in here was just pulling for you. It's just, it, I mean, you were like the unanimous awesome. choice of all. You know, and some of these guys, you know, are like been on these forums for six, eight, ten years, and everybody was just rooting you to, rooting you on, and you had a you know just huge, huge following here. So, which again makes That's, it even more uh, great that great you come on here because these guys, you know. They, they, they want to see you win it, man. They want to see you take it down. Now, that brings me to my sure. next point here, my next question. Uh, does it feel a lot different this year, not just making it the second time, but because you're going in with a pretty good stack, whereas last year you came in short-stacked and you knew you had to get lucky to really make it much further I mean, to the final through, table? Throughout uh, all of it, it felt very different. Like I was much more relaxed playing like day five, six, seven than I was last year. Last year I was very nervous and excited and, like, you know, a lot of pressure, just really want to squeeze in, want to make it, didn't have a lot of chips. This year, I was much more relaxed and just, like, having fun playing poker, playing, like, every hand. Uh, and, like, while the stakes are actually much bigger this year, like, it actually matters more this year if I make it than it did last year because two years in a row, whatever. Um, I just didn't really think about it. Like, whatever happens, happens. And just let, let me ask you. And, since in, a, that, in a different position this year than than last year, for sure. But, yeah, the, go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Since none of us realistically are ever going to be in a position that you're in not once but twice, just so we have some idea. So it's my understanding, after the, uh, you made the final nine, you guys got a check, I, I imagine, for ninth, for ninth place. Everyone received that. Yeah, you get check, cash, whatever you want. So, is, so what's – I mean, basically, can you just talk us through the process of what happened basically – you know, from when you officially made the November nine until you said goodbye and left to Rio. Um, well, I just I just drove to LA like two nights ago, um, so I was actually still at Rio for okay. however long uh, after that was. Uh, just saying. So, so you're asking what what have I done in the last? Oh no, what I mean weeks? is after you make the November nine, did they cut you a check? Did they do some press with you? Are there any okay. functions so, uh, okay. for a couple of days? Uh, after you you make the November nine. And then, uh, then like Jeez. right at that very moment, a bunch of you know you got to take a bunch of photos, uh, like 
all together, the nine players at the table. Then uh, there's a bunch of reporters around and doing little quick interviews. And, like, there's a big group of guys all with microphones doing, like, an interview all at once. Uh, but then uh, then you got to, like, kind of sneak out of there and you're done for the day. Okay, so that's basically uh, it. There's no more, like... No, know. then the ne- the next day, ah, you have okay. to meet at the uh, Palazzo, the Palazzo Suite at the Rio, which well, is, like, near the spa, like, on the way to the poker area. Right. By Starbucks. Um <laughs> So you meet there, and you talk to like all the guys who run the World Series of Poker, and they wait. Hold on, the guys they, from Caesars Entertainment meet you at Palazzo in front of a Starbucks. <laughs> uh, that that no, sounds the like the Rio I know. At the Rio, oh, uh, it's oh, not the Palazzo. Oh. Palazzo Suites. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, makes more sense now. Obviously, okay. Yeah, uh, so it's it's like a nice big suite at the Rio, like their villa. Um, I got gotcha. you. So yeah, you go and you talk to all the guys who run it. And, uh, you know, they go over whatever they got to go over. And then they send you down to, uh, like, over by the pavilion area to do an ESPN interview. And then you come back and, like, there's a bunch of guys waiting for you. You got to do, like, poker news and whoever else. And then that takes, like, a couple hours. Then you're done. And, yeah, so, like, the next day you have to do that at 1 p.m. But then then you're done until uh, till November. Are there a lot of sponsors that hang out in that area or any time like after the November 9, do they try to like pounce on you to get you to uh, uh, represent them or did that not happen very much? Um, actually, you would think there would be more. There's not – you don't see them there. I mean like there are people – I've got people contacting me after but not like they weren't all hanging out there, you know, trying to – I, I, I guess it changed over the years. Um, do you have more of yourself this year – in this event, in this uh, main event, than last year. Uh, and you don't have to answer. That you don't have to answer. Anytime you don't want to answer, you can yeah. just say, I, "I don't want to answer." Yeah. About the same. About the same. Okay. Um, did, did you have the similar play style this year? I know you said you were more relaxed, but your your overall play style. If someone played with you last year and this year, would they say it was basically the same guy they were playing against, or were you playing differently uh, in this go around? I would say I was playing differently, partly just because I had a lot of chips. And last year, I i mean, at, at one point last year, I was chip leader on day seven, but that only lasted like an hour. And through most of it, I, I was pretty short the whole way uh, and just sort of squeezing my way through and trying to make it through every day. And this year, I had a lot of chips and I was playing like, especially day five, day six, I was literally playing just about every hand. Wow. Uh, and you know, kind of trying to run the guys over who are well, it just seemed trying like you were doing day, that. Just trying to make it. Seemed like for a while you were doing that because it just kept. I remember reading uh, a good stretch of the Poker News reports where it just was Mark Newhouse steals the blinds for five hundred thousand. Mark Newhouse steals yeah. the blinds and antes for five hundred thousand. Nobody wants to play a hand. Mark Newhouse steals the blinds for five hundred. <laughs> so, so now yeah. were the were the Especially other players the end, the end of day five when I was shifting yeah. the whole thing? Like, yeah. I, I, I and, and nobody at my table was even close to me, so I could really just get away with it. Um, yeah. And I, I'm interested in seeing the uh, the coverage. Actually, I want to see how much of let, me playing you, every. If you don't mind, let me just show. ask you. You know, like I said, we have a chat. I, I guess we'd have mentioned that we have a chat right now that's interactive uh, with the show, okay. and, and they've asked some questions, and I want to make sure you know I, I can. They're actually really good questions. Um, one of the users wanted to know: Do you have an opinion as to who you think, not fear, but just necessarily think is the best player? that you'll be playing with at the, at the final table? Um, 
the the two guys that seem to be pretty tough, uh, Martin Jacobson seems to play pretty good. Uh, and the guy to my right, I can't think of his name, but Dutch guy is the ship leader. He seems to play well. But all in all, I think it's a much softer table than it was last year. Uh, when you were playing every hand, was that unusual? Were most of the other players uh, folding and only playing, um, you know, premium or semi-premium hands? Uh, well, on the end of day five, like I, that, that table actually was pretty tough to start out, but I just got lucky enough to win a couple big pots and have a monster lead to where like no one could really do anything about it, and I also showed them a few spots where I'm willing to gamble and willing to call off and they're like they and sort of forced them to get into a position of just like they just have to get through the day so they're not at this table with me anymore <laughs> um and you know even you know some very good players it's just the chip advantage there was very little that they could do yeah. is there was is there anyone at the actual final table that you even know have ever played in the tournament before interacted with anything uh not not before like day seven yeah Wow. Uh, being a li- mainly a limit hold'em player, and of course I experienced this myself playing the main event, um, it's easy uh, to sometimes make mistakes where you're um, playing it more like, like a limit player would, uh, j- just from out, out of habit and doing things that's, that's correct and limit but incorrect and no limit. Uh, did you find either last year or this year yourself sometimes falling into that trap? or, or uh, I mean, obviously you did, you did a lot right to... Uh, get where you did but did you ever find that was was happening or did you just uh, were you in the right mindset the whole way um i mean i feel like i was in a pretty good mindset uh of the game i was playing but yeah i mean i i definitely made like a couple thin like ace high call downs that ended up being nowhere near correct uh but um but i mean uh, i i've i've got I've been playing no limit tournaments since uh, 2006. So I yeah, like you won a, you won a big one there in the past. So yeah, yeah, that one was the first like I had had no experience. You know, like I was Mark just a limit player, and I just, think I, I mean I yeah. know the story and I think it's hilarious, but I know I know a lot of people don't know it um, in terms of you know why you're at the Borgata. You were mainly there when you you know talking about the WPT that you won. You're mainly there yeah. for for the cash games. Yeah, no, I you went out there. Didn't just, uh, you didn't even give a shit about the. Tell the story. Not, not at all. Actually, so, basically, backdoor one, one of WPT. So I went out there just, yeah, just to play limit cash games. Uh, the night before the tournament, we're playing two and four hundred, and the game broke. And me and uh, two other players from the game went and played a satellite. Each swapped a piece in the satellite, and I won it. Uh, one of those players was Brad L. You guys know hmm, him. Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, did not know that. Yeah, he was on the uh, ESPN uh, or the, the WPT replay of it. Oh. The, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, we, I just swapped a piece in satellite with him, and he ended up having ten percent of that. Um. So uh, so yeah, then whatever. I like didn't sleep at all. Played day one, just having fun, not caring at all. Uh, by the end of like day three. I had like 300,000, I guess a lot of chips at that time. I had no idea what it meant. Uh, there was a 500, a thousand game going that was like ridiculous. Uh, Pete the Plumber, Ted Forrest, Neverwin, Chantel, <laughs> Chantel. Devin, Mike DeMichel, 
Uh, I might be forgetting somebody. Welcome but, back to uh, 2004 and 5. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So everyone's telling me, dude, you got to go to bed. Like, you got chips in this tournament. And I'm playing this 500,000 game, which is fucking big. Like, I, I'm thinking, you know, if I get lucky in this tournament, I might win like 20,000 in cash or whatever. I, I can win 50 in this game. Um, anyway, Joe Cassidy came in, like, blackout drunk. Um, and just started talking shit to Pete the Plumber, who was the big fish in the game, who apparently also has, like, mafia connections and stuff like that. I've heard that, too. Anyway, he pissed him off. He quit. The game broke. I went to bed uh, and won the tournament. Huh. Now, another little known fact, David Sklansky made his first and only WPT cash and final at that same tournament. Yeah, he did. And I I remember... uh, I don't know what day, maybe day five or whatever, the day before the final table. Uh, I know there was one looking. hand. I folded under the gun. And, uh, or no, no, I didn't fold under the gun. No, that didn't happen. Um, I, the cards hadn't been dealt yet. And uh, David just grabs enough for a min raise off my stack. Like, Should I just throw this in for you? Because at that point, I was literally playing every single hand, too. Wow. Well, I mean, it seems yeah. to be working. I, uh, I, I think Glancy, you're going to end up... Uh, off, he was wearing Druff, his good luck shirt, the shirt that he wore at the famous shirt with him in Mason. That was all, That must be his real dress shirt because that's what yeah. he wore <laughs> at the WT. But if I remember correctly, and again, I know we talked about this, this has been years, didn't he try to get you to wear for free a 2-plus-2 two two shirt on the televised uh, pot? Or the televised uh, I, that probably happened. I don't really remember. <laughs> uh, I remember you telling me ago. something about him wanting you to wear yeah. something. Two I re- yeah, I remember David saying, talking to me. He, 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 I feel like I remember that happening, but I don't remember like the details of it. Yeah. It was like eight years ago. Okay, but, so uh, I'm sure I, it did happen. I probably told you that. So last yeah. year, when you you finished ninth, um, obviously, on a whole, if you went into the main event last year and someone said, hey, you're going to finish ninth, you would have been thrilled. But once you make the November 9th yeah. and you sit there waiting months, ninth is the worst you can do at that point. So obviously it's disappointing, and some people can have a hard time understanding that when you walk away with all that money and you've you know, made the final table of the main event. But uh, how disappointed were you when that happened? How, did you walk away just saying, hey, I didn't have many chips, that's the way it went, or were you really frustrated that you were the first one out? Uh, going into it, I told myself, like, you know, I'm very short, whatever happens, happens, I'm not going to be disappointed, have no expectations. But in reality, it was, like, pretty devastating. Um, I didn't prepare myself to finish ninth. You know, you get four months off, go travel the world, spend all your money, and mm. uh, then expect a lot more to come. Mm. And come back and just finish ninth, nothing, it's all over, forget it. Uh, and not only that, come back to Commerce, I got a big banner on the wall that they waited till after the final table to put up. It says, congratulations, Mark Newhouse. I got dealers, chip runners, everybody. Hey, congratulations, congratulations, congratulations. Food servers, random people, and it's like a disaster, and I don't want to hear this. Yeah, you just tell them to shut up. I know, like, I don't want to talk to you. I, I know, yeah. I, to a lesser extent, a much lesser extent, I hate at the World Series when you, like, min cash for, like, $3,000 in a 1500 buy-in event, and they say, congratulations, and you're like, "Yeah, it's not congratulations, this is not what I was looking to do. 
Yeah, okay. and and like one person finally was like, "Oh my god, I'm so sorry." I'm like, "Yes, thank you." That's <laughs> it's like, oh you, yeah, your parents died in a plane crash. Congratulations, man. Good job. <laughs> like the worst possible. Like during the four months off, that's when you can say it. Yeah, right, after. right. Have you yeah. uh, have you been back to Commerce yet in the two days since you've been in LA? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. I got a room there right now, but I'm not staying very long. Are they treat? I mean, not are, playing are, any they, poker. are they just mobbing you when you're there? I've been staying out of the poker room. I'm just, I'm just using it because it's an easy, cheap hotel, you know, that I'm used to. Now, do you have a permanent place that that uh, you live right now, or you kind of just bounce between, uh, you know, wherever you're playing poker at the moment? At the moment, no. Wow. Uh, all summer we were living at the Rio. <laughs> if so, you win this tournament, will you indeed buy a new house? Uh, new house. Will. I don't know where yet. Uh, I, I haven't decided where, Vegas, L.A., or possibly somewhere new. But, uh, yeah, I'm definitely – I'm not going to do anything until November. So much can change, and I'm going to be doing a lot of traveling. But uh, I will get some have sort you, of permanent uh, Have you place. pampered yourself in any way since you got the, the, the check? I mean, have you bought anything, spoiled yourself, I mean, anything at all? Uh, not really. Like, I went shopping, like, clothes – but nothing big and not haven't bought anything yet. I'm, uh, I mean, before like big purchases, like cars and homes, I'm going to wait till November. Uh, and other than that, yeah, I haven't really spent too much money. I'm about to buy some, uh, international plug things right now. (laughs) We won't keep you much longer. I, another user, uh, Don Crusher, he had posted in, in the thread. He wanted to know, I'm just actually quoting him. Could you guys please ask Mark how he keeps himself in check, parentheses, not letting all the hype and pressure get to him, and remain so focused after accomplishing such an un- unbelievable feat? And, I mean, even talking uh, now, you just seem like, you know, we would just be talking on the phone about, you know, bullshit or something. You don't, I mean, you just seem really calm, cool, and collect. How, what, how, how do you do it? Honestly, the experience of doing it last year helps a lot. Um like like I said, this year while I was playing, I just felt no pressure at all. Even though it's much bigger this year than it was last year, I had a lot of chips and was really just trying to have fun. Um, I don't necessarily know how to explain how I do it, but the experience of doing this before is very big. Did you did you see on 2 Plus 2, have you read any of that uh, new house back? I haven't back seen, have not seen any of it. There's one of those, uh, I, you know, I scanned through it earlier today when I knew you were going to come on. One of the funniest things I read was somebody was offering advice to you, saying next year you should sell yourself at 300% markup. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, well, yeah, I, yeah there's, and again, I agree. Just stay away from all that. But there's a huge threat about people debating. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll probably check that out. I'll, I'll check out your, your yeah. guys' thread uh, as well. Uh, by by the way, debating uh, basically whether – or not, what you've accomplished is not even winning it. Is the greatest feat in you know in tournament poker. Well, that's interesting. That brings me up to my next point here. My next question: Have you ever heard this word before? Conoscenti. Did you hear the word? Say, hold on. Do that one more time. <laughs> okay. I can even spell it for you. There's a reason I'm asking this. Okay. It's not just a vocabulary. Yeah, maybe test. spell it. Conoscenti. It's C O G N O S C E N T I. It's Kanyoshenti. Do you know 
what no, that word no is? Idea. Okay. Well, on the back of Harrington for Hold'em, and I think you know where this is going because I'm sure you've heard the comparisons okay. a million times now. Um, yeah. Dan Harrington brags that Kanyoshenti agree that his accomplishment with making the back-to-back final tables in 03 and 04 was the greatest World Series accomplishment ever. So I think the Kanyoshenti are going to change their mind on this one. I'm sure you've heard the comparisons. And, of course, Harrington made it with fields of 800 and something and 2,500 and something, and you've got, like, mid-6,000s yeah. back-to-back. So obviously yours is much tougher. And the players are much tougher now than in 03 and 04. So, uh, I mean, Mark, yeah. you didn't realize you've done something probably no one in their in our lives are ever going to do again, buddy. It's fucking insane. I, I'm aware. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> pretty sure uh, Dan Harrington was rooting against you on this one, but uh, um, yeah, I guess he was. But yeah, you you've really <laughs> taken over th- that title about the back to back main event thing, and boy, this is going to be a very tough thing for anyone to ever do again. And I was I was trying to figure out how unlikely is it. Um, for any two back-to-back years for this to occur. And um, now, of course, every year you're going to have nine people at the final table no matter what. So every year, provided those yeah. nine play again, um, you know, they all have a chance to make it. But but still, it's it's got to be one in um, – I think I calculated, depending on what you'd say their skill is compared to the average player in the field, uh, I, I, it's got to be something like, one in uh, 700 or something that someone does this in any year. So if you think about that. In any year. Yeah, in any year. But you think about that one in 700, and it's only going on once a year. We, we could have so many years. We could go through our whole lifetime with, without uh, this occurring. We're never going to see it again. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so, Mark, I know you got to go, buddy. You're sitting at Home Depot. you got to get the international pl- uh, plugs. Just real fast to wrap it up. Uh, your family back in Chapel Hill. They got to just be just floored, huh? Are you going to go home? Everybody's happy. You plan to head to North Carolina at all before November or just wait till it's uh, all done? Probably right. not. My mom, my brother and sister both live in San Diego, and my mom's actually about to move there. Um, huh. Oh, wow. So probably not uh, going to Chapel Hill. Last year, I actually made my first trip there um, in five years. Uh, for a high school reunion that was during the time off between the final table or between the day seven and the final table. That's, that's got to be a uh, pretty good feeling. High school reunion. What do you? Um, you know, I work at a whatever a Denny's. I do this. Oh yeah, I'm in the yeah. November nine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, it, I was year. definitely like a celebrity. But uh, yeah, I don't think I'm gonna make a trip there this year. Maybe after November, you know, figure it out. But right now, I'm gonna be doing more like vacation tournament like new kind of places well, i got one more question for you and i know todd and our users want todd to ask this because poker related thing and todd's the, the one at this you know now there's a little known rumor on these forums and i, I just can't remember because again i mean this goes back so long ago did you actually coin the phrase in, in poker term bloodbath mark so I remember no, back that came it, from Neverwin. Yeah, I thought it came from Neverwin. That's what I thought too. Yeah, ne- never. I, I started using that after Neverwin. Like, I thought it was a Neverwin thing too. Famous. <laughs> right. Uh, but ne- that that word came from Neverwin and Devin. Uh, I don't know who used it first, but it was between. That's what I thought. I thought Devin. I thought that Neverwin yeah. used it first and Devin second. That would have been my guess too. Yeah. Well, I, uh, before I before I met Neverwin, I never said that word in my life. That's funny. <laughs> okay. Well, everyone in the chat now wants. There's one question, and I'm going to let Druff ask this. And, Druff, I'm sure you know what it is. 
the hand that Mark played. Yes, yes. So the chat is blowing up. There is it. one hand that everyone was a little confused about, and uh, you know, I, I hate going to somebody who has been so successful in a particular tournament and and start to question anything they've done because then you, you look like a fool because obviously they've been doing a lot of things right to get where they are. It's not, you know, yes, you got a lot of luck to do it, but still, even with a whole lot of luck, you're not going to do something like this. You've got to be playing really well. So, but uh, there was one hand that everyone was a little perplexed about, and even I was wondering, so maybe you can walk us through what happened on that one. That was the, uh, and I hate to focus only on the one negative hand, but uh, the uh, the ace king versus ace nine hand, uh, where okay. you you both ended up getting all the chips in, and and you had ace nine, he had ace king, and uh, you know it ran out in the ace king one. Um, how did that happen, and why did so many chips get in the middle? And this is of course very late in the tournament um, when, when you had ace nine. I think he had a sick read. But let's see what he says. Um, well, no, I didn't have a sick read. I, I did not think he was as strong as he was. Obviously. Um, I, uh, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm playing very aggressively. I'm playing a lot of hands, and people are playing back at me. Uh, and I felt like it was a good spot to, to four bet essentially all in. Um, and, I mean, he was playing like 35 big blinds or something like that, if I remember correctly. Um, but, uh, yeah, basically I raised T3 bet. I four bet a stack of five million, and he went all in for a little bit more, and I called. Um, okay, so you went five and, million because I think Poker News got it wrong, and that's what got me confused. Was imagine uh, that? Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, that's what got no, me confused. Basically, what happened was I raised T three bet, and I like basically put them all in. Okay, like, okay, so th- that's what right. that's what I was missing because Poker News, the way they put it, was that your four bet would have left you plenty of chips to fold based upon his stack no, not, and then yeah, he shoved and somehow than, you called off a ton like with 7 million and my four bet was like 5 million okay it looked I think you were listed as like 2.7 and I was like you know if you go for 2.7 then he goes all in for 7 like I, I think at that point you yeah, can lay then, it down then you can fold. obviously if you have 5 um, then you have to call yeah but I mean basically I I feel like maybe in any other situation it would have been a good spot just because I, had, I actually hadn't played the, the guy Felix. I hadn't played with him much, um, so I I didn't like I came to realize he was actually pretty tight. But uh, you know, uh, I think I like to make moves in that spot, like four bet all in with hands like Ace X. And the reason I like to use Ace X is because rather than like a nine ten suited kind of hand, um, no matter if they call you, you always have three outs. Yeah. Unless they have two aces. Um, like if they have ace-king, you have three nines. If they have two kings, you have three aces. Uh, but, uh, I mean, I just felt like it was a good spot. I didn't think he was very strong and decided to ship it on him. And after the fact, I kind of realized at this particular this particular tournament and this particular time in my life, it's probably not worth it just because making the final table is so big. But in any other tournament yeah i mean you know just made a move and happened to run into king okay and uh and you keep saying i this will be the last thing we asked and then you can you know get back to your plugs uh <laughs> you keep saying that making the final table another time was so big and, and obviously you know it's because it sets the record and because it's, it's seen as such a big accomplishment and that you know forever now uh people will be talking about uh 
oh, you know, that guy who made the final table twice in a row. I mean, like 50 years from now, 100 years from now, they could even be talking about Mark Newhouse who were 2013 yeah. and 14 did this, and that's a pretty good feeling to know people, you know, maybe mentioning you, you know. They could that, make a movie. Yeah, the Mark Newhouse story. But uh, you, so you said it's so big. Now, were you referring to this just like in that sense of cementing a legacy for yourself? I, or? I mean, it's 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 worth a lot. Like I don't I don't know what it's worth yet. A lot of equity, out, but like sponsorship, you know, it's worth a lot more than the money in the prize pool. Okay, that's what um, I was going to ask. If you thought that yeah. maybe that would lead to uh, sponsorships or promotional I mean, opportunities that will last a very long time. Because I like, wasn't going to yeah. say nothing because Mark asked me not to, but Le- LeBron James is now following Mark on Twitter. That's how big it is. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. Good to know. No, uh, look, it's uh, – I mean, you definitely have a big opportunity here, and you, you know, you've already accomplished a lot to – no matter where you finish here at this point um, – to have just made the two final tables will be remembered for a long time. And look, look how much Tom McAvoy has milked what he did uh, over 30 years ago. And, uh, yeah. and there was such a small field back then. And so, so, I mean, the truth is no matter what happens, you can milk this a very long time is, is really the truth. And uh, that's got to be a good feeling, but uh, you know, congratulations on what you've done. I can say it at this point because you're not out ninth and, uh, yeah. Thank you. And, and look, the whole site here, myself included, uh, we're rooting for you. We really do hope that uh, you actually win this thing, and uh, you get the ten million, and that uh, that would be a very fitting and great end to this story. And and I think the best thing here is gotta win it. Hey, what do you even know? What are your odds? Or does anyone know what his odds? Are, you know, on those Euro sites or no? Nah. Here you can bet on bet on. Isn't uh, even in Vegas? Yeah, I don't know. A couple years ago, it started I, where, it, you, where I, you could bet, but I know before it was only. On sports books over, overseas. The thing is, it doesn't all add up to one though. Like they they take their vig, so it's hard to see what their true odds are. You know, because they have their uh, their, their profit. Oh, they have to not, make. I'm the not saying what the true odds are, but what the betting odds are. Yeah, no, I don't know what they are. Yeah, I I don't know. But wow. but yeah, um, the thing well, is, a also, lot of people a lot of people in in uh, poker are frustrated watching people like Chino Ream and Eric Lindgren and stuff, you know, get deep in these tournaments. And here, someone who's considered really one of the nice guys in poker. That's, that's uh, one what I was going to say, actually. One of our uh, longtime forum members, Marty, uh, he's disabled, but he's able to, you know, live on his own. He has a pet. He wanted me just to let you know that he literally considers you one of the greatest guys in poker. So That's great to hear. Um, thank you. Absolutely. So, Mark, listen, get back to your plugs. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, dude, I mean, I just win it, you know, and even if you don't, I, yeah. I, you know, I'll, I'll wait four months and then tell you, you know, good game, but dude, whatever, like you said, you can't even put a price on what you've just done. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. It's a feat that literally is never going to happen again. I, I would, I would bet yep. everything on it. And Appreciate it, man. You're a great guy. Thanks for coming on. You know, you have everyone literally on the site rooting for you, brother. And I, I will see you great. after you win it. All right. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks, right, Mark. Mark. Thanks, buddy. Keep in touch. Bye. Bye. Yep. That, that was Mark Newhouse, and uh, I thought a good interview. I think we got a lot of good answers out of him here about uh, things going on and the way he was feeling during the tournament and uh, his style of play. And uh, I actually learned a lot of things I didn't know during this interview. Oh, yeah. And it was even nice at the end. I let, you know, I threw Marty out there for No, nah, it's good. I, I, you know, I, I don't know how Marty will feel. I don't know if he'll be angry that you described him as disabled, but I think he'll at least be happy that Mark Newhouse knows that he's rooting for him. That's uh it's kind of a mixed bag for Marty there, but uh, why is it? I just type it every time I type it, telling me not to spam the chat. Yeah, like this chat is some third-party crap software I got, and uh, it, it is so hard. You know, I, most people don't really 
know about like going into editing other software, but some software is written in a very easy to edit by others format and others just write what's called spaghetti code, where it's just really hard to figure out what the person writing it was doing. And that's what this chat room is. It's just, it's so hard to change anything. That's why I can't even fix the clock on there. It would be like a major undertaking to decipher what's going on in there uh, because the person who wrote it was so reckless with the way they put the thing together. So that it, it's not the best, the chat room, but, you know, you just have to deal with it at least yeah. sort so of works. Saying, you think the interview thing went well? Is it good? Yeah, yeah, I thought... Uh, Thought it was a good interview. I mean, Mark is always, uh, you know, low key and down to earth. And this, this is someone who's just never arrogant. I mean, he could win this whole thing, and he he'd still act like the same guy that uh, you saw playing, uh, you know, hundred two hundred in commerce many years ago. Like, it's, yeah, I tell you, if that uh, that uh, Negreanu, if he made the main event, he'd be having some one of his assistants from the Rainbow Coalition going down to that Home Depot <laughs> to get the international plugs. That's true. He's got international plugs. Who does that? Yeah, right. yeah, that's true. He's, yeah. My, he made the uh, the main event uh, twice in a row. He's going and getting international plugs himself yeah. at Home Depot. I'd do so that Ron too, though. would send someone from that Rainbow Coalition. Yeah. Am I right? He would. He totally would. Uh, but the truth is I would go down there too and get the damn plugs myself. That would totally be me. But, uh, yeah, um, Mark Newhouse, I, I really do hope he wins. And I know me and Brandon were discussing it privately, and we really do uh, – you know, genuinely hope he wins this one. It would be just like the greatest. I mean, I already kind of feel like it's, it's in essence the greatest comeback story. Anyhow, for you know, and again, a lot of people here know the story, and I'm not going to get all into it. But just guy, 21 years old, wins a ton of money. People take advantage of him. He's young. He's naive. He makes mistakes. You know, then all you can say to yourself, and I, and I even know from conversations with him that you know he just wanted that second chance and he said i'm not going to screw it up i'm not going to screw it up and you know how i mean how many people really get second chances like that more or less really a third chance yeah you're talking he won like you know when he won the wpt uh at the borgata that was like at the height of the poker boom i think it was like 1.8 million he won yeah it was was 1.6 i believe yeah okay i mean it wasn't like you know now or even a couple years ago or you know i mean i mean 1.6 you said or whatever the hell it is I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. You know, that's, you know, and to then to just, you know, have the mistakes he made, you know, really to even get a second chance, it's it's more or less a third. I mean, it's it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, in fact, I was discussing this with uh, somebody else I know who's not, uh, you know, my real life who's not associated with poker. And I was explaining how a lot of poker pros will see millions of dollars at some point and then be broke. And they couldn't understand that. Like, how does that happen? How do they have, like, millions of dollars and then they go broke? And I I was explaining to them how it happens. And um, I said, most of these people never get back there. They're they're chasing it the rest of their lives, and they they never quite get back because even when they hit a big score, they have only a small percentage of themselves or they owe so much money that they really don't get to keep it. But but here, Mark Newhouse, he really – this really is a comeback. It was a rise, a fall, and now even a bigger rise. And and who knows? He can walk away now with ten million plus whatever he's going to make in sponsorships. Well, I just got a text from him. He, uh, you know, I texted him, "Thank you for coming on." He just responded, uh, "Free Jay Searles." So. <laughs> he he got his wish. Jay Searles uh, got got freed. So uh, Mark's going to be happy. It's going to inspire him to even do better. But I mean, literally, this is the stuff movies are made of. If he won this thing, I wouldn't be surprised if some Hollywood. Uh, Somebody options it, but, you know, they're going to throw in the token love story about some girl like the Drew Barrymore movie. They'll throw some, you know, who's the, who's the hot little 20-something act, actress today, Druff? I don't, I, I, I don't either. I'm too old. Yeah. But, uh, you know, 
Um, I mean, I, a movie? Well, who, they making a movie out of this? Yeah, I, I do. I wonder who would play Neverwin. Who would? All right, well, you know what? Now that you brought this up, we have to do this. Okay, who do you think would play Mark Newhouse? Ah, oh, that's a tough one. Well, we can do, interact with the chat. You know what? You know what I, I can kind of see playing him is um, um, Michael Sarah. Yeah, okay. I guess I could see that. He's a little bit older than Michael Cera, but uh, I think. But uh, I can kind of see. Think about it. Selena Gomez as Chantel. Yeah, yeah, that would be a good one. Yeah. <laughs> never wins a tough one. Who's gonna be never win though? I don't know. Maybe the chat room could help us with this one. And I know. I mean, I'm not saying this is a dig. Please don't think I'm coming on here and I'm starting wars. But I, you know, I'd have to be in it. Druff would have to be in it. My kind would be. You know, we'd all be bit players in the new house movie. What's the kid? From uh, that Tom Green movie, Road Trip, that really skinny kid that looks like Mycon kind of. Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot that guy, but yeah, that's that, he would be a good one. Um, yeah, now, the truth is, Michael Cera, he is a little too small to play Newhouse. The Newhouse is is, is uh, he's a big kid. fairly big guy there. He's like a he's like six four. Six yeah, he's like four. he's a little taller than me, and I'm six two, and and uh, and he's you know he's not a small guy. He's he's over he's like six three, six four, and weighs you know over two hundred pounds. So. And Not a small guy. What? Who would, who, who would you want to play yourself? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe the chat room could help out on that one, too. Anyway. Um, someone's saying in the chat, I sound shorter than six foot two. How do you sound shorter? How do you sound short? I don't understand. Like, how do I not sound like I, I'm that height? I am, though. Anyway, um, so that was uh, Mark Newhouse, and, uh, you know, we really hope he wins. And I think, you know, Tom Petty says the waiting is the hardest part, but I have to imagine that's true here. Uh, imagine you make the November 9, and then you have to sit there for four months and just think about this for four months that this is coming up. In a way, it would kind of be torture. I'm not saying I feel sorry for him, but like it's, it's it'd be kind of torturous to wait for that, don't you think? Absolutely, but that's just the thing. Even talking to him, I mean, he he really is calm, cool. He's like a cucumber, you know. Even like, and the thing that's amazing is how I mean, it's almost like a, I mean, I can't think of a better comparison, but like Babe Ruth, the called shot. How does he tweet? Ain't gonna settle for ninth this year, and he does that. Like, <laughs> I mean, how many people really? I mean. That's just amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah, and you by know? the way, he wasn't killing it on day one. He finished day one with a thirty thousand, less than thirty thousand, like twenty nine something. Yeah, yeah, so so he had less than starting stack after day one, and he still managed it. So, um, I mean, obviously he got some fortunate situations, like where he made quads against top set full, and you know, there's ones like that where you have to get them if you're going to get this far. But uh, but see the thing, and I think the thing that differenti- differentiates him from other players and just also the fact that, you know, he has been there before is this past year, he literally was going to get chips or he was going to bust. I mean, he was so aggressive. Like I literally, like we were talking about during the interview, I remember a stretch where it just was like poker news reported. Nobody wants to play hand with Mark. Like he was going to make everyone there play for their chips, you know, in any given pot. And he was just so aggressive. And that's, and that's obviously where the skill comes in. Cause I gotta be honest. If I'm that close and I have chips, I don't know if I'm willing to have like a possible blow up like a la Brandon Cantu where, you know, you're just going to play that big a pop because of your aggression or if I'm just going to 
sit there and milk it and, and squeeze my way in, whether it's eighth place in chips, ninth place, seventh place. But, I mean, he was literally just playing do or die. Yeah, poker. he was. And, and I'll tell you, I, I was in. That takes some fucking balls. Oh, you know, it man. does. And I, I can relate to it because I made 88th in the main event uh, four years ago. And, uh, and I wasn't sitting here trying to play every hand. Now, I never had a big stack. I was sitting here with a shortish stack for the whole time. But. But, um, you know, on one hand, I wasn't anywhere near as nervous as I thought it would be. I really wasn't nervous. But, of course, I wasn't anywhere that close to ninth yet. I was, uh, you know, down to the final 100, basically. But, uh, but also, I, I know that if I made it further, and, and the way I was playing then, I mean, if I got chips, I, I wouldn't have been playing every hand. There's no way. So, um, you know. But you understand what I'm saying. Like, he just, it was either... Get ships, make it or bust. It's yeah, just, yeah. I'm saying that that was uh, he. Did, yeah. He did it very well. He he took that strategy of everyone else is going to be scared. Everyone else is thinking I don't want to blow my one chance at this. And he's saying, screw it. Um, I'm going to get to the final table again, or I'm just not going to make it. Big deal. And then challenging them to challenge him, and they wouldn't, and that just allowed him to chip up, which he did of very course. well. So yeah. that yeah. Uh, that strategy worked, obviously. So. Uh, he he did a very good job with it, and uh, I I didn't realize he was playing that many hands, but I knew he was playing a lot. I didn't know he was playing that many, and the fact that he was playing like every hand and still made it uh, to the final table with all those chips shows how well he was playing them, and and generally how he was able to read his opponents with their fear of contending with him playing like that. So yeah. uh, the main event it, it's interesting because people really are cautious at that point a lot of times because they know what the stakes are and they don't want to feel like they threw away their chance to win $10 million by by going all in with crap, believing that the aggressive guy just has nothing. Because what if the aggressive guy happens to have aces this time? What if he happens right. to do a flop two pair? You know? And then you've just sho- shoved it all in on him when you've hit top pair and then you're, uh, or with pocket nines and then he's got you crushed and, and you say, why the hell did I do that? So they, they're waiting for the better spots when they're hitting something huge and in the meantime he's just, you know, robbing them blind. So, good for him. Uh, anyway, moving to a different topic here. Um, I don't know. Uh, Brandon, did you ever watch the Rockford Files? Uh, I did. Was it a huge, huge fan? Uh, what, what, what? Uh, was that like 84, 85? No, no. See, the, the, here's the reason why you probably didn't watch it as much. It was not only before your time. It was before my time. And I'm, I'm only a few years older than you, but... but uh, it ran from seventy four to eighty, so even I, I was in syndication. Right, right. It was in syndication. Yeah, I, I never saw it live. Yeah, and I didn't either. I I saw my parents watching it, but obviously, as an eight year old, when it went off the air, um, I, I wasn't watching that show, and uh, and for the majority of it, I, I was too young to even understand it. Uh, like most other people around my age, I caught it in the reruns, which were just shown on TV like crazy from the eighties and nineties on. And uh, I, I started watching it again when it appeared on cable in the, in the 2000s. And I was actually impressed a lot with the show that it actually you – know, a lot of older shows from the 70s and that, that era, you watch them today, it's, it's like you think if this was on today, it would never make it. Too simple, you know, it's just uh, – there's a lot higher standard for – television entertainment these days and what would pass you know even putting aside special effects and picture and all that i'm talking about just the writing is a lot better today it's evolved a lot since uh, the earlier days of television 
But I felt that the Rockford Files was written well enough for the most part to where, with some tweaks, obviously, if it was a new show today and hadn't been on in the 70s, I think it could actually work because it, it was actually a clever show. Uh, it, it didn't take itself too seriously. And uh, and it had a lot of good and interesting characters, and that uh, that's why a lot of people who did watch it in those days uh, were big fans of it. And it's actually kind of an underrated show where most people know it exists, but it doesn't have a large group of people who says, "Oh, I love that show." But the but there are a whole lot of people who remember it very fondly, and um, it just don't seem to really talk about it. But anyway, James Garner died. This Saturday, just kind of abruptly, but he was uh, 86 years old. So when someone that age goes abruptly, it's not that surprising. Uh, but I was a big fan of the show, and uh, something that is not really very well known about James Garner, um, Brandon. I'm sure you've seen on TV, especially late at night, some embarrassing commercials that you'll see old celebrities doing that you know they don't Absolutely. want to be doing. Like terrible commercials about terrible products that are bordering on a scam. And yet these people who you would have thought would have a lot of money must be flat broke and they're well, doing it. The one that always blew my mind was when Jimmy Johnson, who you know, is still on the uh, NFL, on one of the networks, was doing the uh, penis, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's like a Viagra kind of medicine. Yeah. Um, and, and of course... I mean, but I have to figure they probably paid him a buku money because he, you know, he can't be broke. But yeah, you, you know, you see, I mean, I think what, I don't think I've seen one now, but like you'll see five years terror reader, the Sally Struthers, you know, uh, yeah. for eighty for eighteen cents a day you could send a kid, and then she did the other one with the VCR home repair yeah. technician. <laughs> right. with, uh, remember that? VCR yes, repair, yes, yes. That was a great job. Proud to take that class. Yeah. So um, the reason this was happening. Um, of course, one of the big reasons is that actors manage their money about as well as poker players do. But the other reason is that TV actors had were really getting screwed up until the 1980s where they were not getting very much money when their reruns were being shown in syndication. They would get very, very little as far as royalties were concerned, and yet these studios were making a fortune on these uh, syndicated packages. So it was, this is just the way it was, and they just didn't have a choice in the matter, and that was it. And nobody really challenged it much until the so 80s. Aaron Spelling was the one collecting all that Jew gold. Yeah, he, he probably was. But uh, James Garner challenged this in the 80s when the Rockford Files was appearing all over TV and uh, people like you and I were finding it for the first time. James Garner decided that this wasn't fair, and he sued the studio and wanted a bigger share of the royalties from this, and they would not give it to him. And for 14 years, this dragged on, where they wanted to bring the Rockford character back in TV movies and stuff, but they couldn't do it because James Garner said, absolutely not, I'm not going to play Rockford again until this gets settled. Eventually, they settled out of court in James Garner's favor, and they finally started the TV movies again in 1994, and he was 66 years old at that point, so you can imagine it was kind of a fail because, uh, you know, Rockford was kind of an action show. You don't want to watch a 66-year-old as the uh, t- main character in an action show. And so that definitely showed. But um, because of James Garner's victory over the studios in the 90s with the syndication rights and the royalties paid to actors, that changed everything. And now the actors get – it's now standard 
that the actors get a much better compensation package when their show appears in syndication. So James Garner really changed all that. So you're, you, the TV actors you've seen since the 90s are not as likely to be in these embarrassing commercials unless they really have just shot off all their money or if their, their show just isn't appearing in syndication. Because it's funny, some shows seem to stand the test of time and appear in syndication a lot and others don't. And it's not always correlated to how successful they were at the time they were on. So um, it, it just sometimes has to do with how well the show ages. So, uh, By the way, is there a way to turn off the sound? And I'm playing in the uh, document. Um, I don't know. I, I hardly use really the No annoying. Fraud Online Poker Room. Um, you yeah. could probably do it with a, with a mixer on your sound card. You know, click on the little uh, volume thing. You can turn off individual well, apps. Oh, yeah, maybe that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a way in the app to do it, in the, uh, in the poker room to do it, but I, I don't ever play on there because I'm doing the yeah, show during the radios, it. radios, yeah. 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 I, I give you props, though, for trying to play and uh, do the show at the same time, and I, I couldn't tell. I mean, you seem to be uh, paying a lot of attention to the show, and I would never have guessed you were even doing it. Uh, anyway, uh, so... There are a lot of new names here. Have uh, I mean, is, is some of these just here for tonight, or I, I, have you picked up a pretty good following in radio. I mean, I'm not recognizing some of these names. I saw Lord of the Fraud. That was real cute. That uh, the Palestinian, the Israeli. Uh, what was it, the Israeli? <laughs> he feels very strongly about that for some reason. He's like a British guy who, who hates Israel for some reason. And, I, and he had this gigantic signature uh, on his post there, which is like a, a map of uh, Israel and Palestine over the years. And I'm like, look, you know, I, I just got an alert from my Israeli brothers that uh, this can't be allowed on my site. And so I, I negotiated with my Israeli brothers. And, you know, my dad really is from Israel, so this, I'm not kidding about this. And I, I said I negotiated with them that uh, Lord of the Fraud can keep his anti-Israel propaganda, but it has to be shrunken. It has to, he has to shrink it down to a reasonable size. So we, we did that. So uh, anyway, let's... Uh, what else was on the agenda? I Let's know you get, did a, yeah, I'm going to go to the recap, but I kind of shot my load with the new house. No, no, that's okay. Remember. That's okay. Here's the. Uh, what else? Well, I lost the agenda. Let me get it back here. Sometimes I do that. Sometimes I do. Oh, you got your Andy Rooney thing at the end there. Yeah, no, I always have the Andy Rooney thing at the end. Um, about comps, I think. Yeah, something about comps. No, the next thing we're going to talk about is the World Cup sports betting arrest in more detail than what we had last week when it was a very new story. Uh, very kind of a weird thing, as we were saying earlier. You don't expect a sports betting bust at a casino where you can sports bet. But that's what happened. And Paul Fua, who has played in the 2012 Million Dollar One Drop Tournament, was the main person who was arrested there along with his son and, and other co-conspirators. This was really a... Uh, this was run by mostly Chinese nationals, and uh, Paul Fua is being linked to an organized crime group out of Hong Kong called the 14K Triad. But uh, there's been some research on this since then because the indictments uh, are accessible and other information was accessible. So what happened was uh, Haley Hintz, who is really a very good and intelligent investigative reporter and she mainly focuses on poker but sometimes on other things that are gambling related that have kind of a 
loose tie into poker, but she's very good at this. She's very good at what she does. Uh, some people don't like her personality because she can be grouchy and bitchy sometimes, but I, I've always liked Haley. I, I never had a problem with her personally or otherwise. I think she does great work and and personality wise, I, I can understand why some people are put off by her. But what is what does she do? Poker? What poker? Well, she she's worked for for various poker uh, websites uh, reporting news. She worked for Poker News at one point, but had a bad ending with them. But she does she works for a FlushDraw.net now, and that's where. Didn't you say something about poker stories earlier? Poker something. Um, I'm just saying that she she works for FleshDraw.net, which is okay. the does poker news. But she she's a, a poker news reporter. So I say she's a poker investigative reporter, and she she's, I have read some of her posts. I just never knew what her if she did the UB thing too. Right? Yeah, yeah. She she was very she and Scott Bell were the real big uh, people who uncovered who uncovered everything, and she was really the only one who uncovered everything about AP. Uh, Scott Bell, Eleven Grover, he got a lot about. It. UB and those two hate each other for whatever reason, but uh, um, they she's both. She's basically kind of like you. She's like a female poker investigative crime solver by night, that kind of thing. Well, yeah, I, like like I, I do relate to her in some ways because she's someone who who does like to get to the bottom of these things and expose them. She's someone who doesn't care if she angers people while she does it. She does have people that she does have haters that she picks up as she does it that just don't like her or, uh, or or take offense to her personality. So I say, look, I, I can understand this, but, uh, you know, truthfully, uh, I like her, and I think she does a great job uh, uncovering a lot of these things. So she took an interest in the Paul Fua story, and uh, she's been correcting some of the mistaken statements and assumptions about what happened there. Uh, but... Uh, there's some things he wrote. He said they were allegedly running an Asian sports betting site out of the villas at Caesars via VPN, a virtual private network, and remote software programs uh, such as uh, TeamViewer. And Afua and at least some of the others were arrested in Macau in late June in 2014, of course. And after being released, flew within 24 hours to Las Vegas where they rented the three villas and obtained all the high-tech computer equipment, seemingly trying to do more of whatever got them into yeah, trouble but, in Macau. Yeah, but you got to realize something there, Druff. I don't mean to play the devil's advocate, but my daddy taught me this lesson. I was very young. When you fall off the horse, you're supposed to get right back off. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, I guess Paul Fua's daddy taught him, too. Taught him very well. <laughs> so so anyway, uh, um, then there were some statements made that, you know, that they're making too big of a deal about this because this is only bets between Chinese nationals that didn't involve Americans and they're just being kind of assholes at the FBI and at Caesars trying to clamp down on this. But that's actually not true, according to Haley Hintz. Uh, she said that statements being made that no bets were being accepted by Americans are incorrect. The complaint, and this is the criminal complaint she's talking about, uh, doesn't have to put all that stuff in there right now, but it did include one example, a cell phone text exchange between Paul Fua's son, Darren, and he was arrested too. And someone using a cell phone registered in North Las Vegas. Uh, they had to put up the forty million dollar family jet as collateral. Yeah, they did. Yes, they put up the fifty. <laughs> but but anyway, finishing what she was saying here, they uh, that someone from North Las Vegas bet thirteen thousand dollars on one of the World Cup games, and um, so so they were taking bets from Americans apparently. And uh, um, and yeah, Paul Fua, the way they stopped, the, the way they made sure that he's not going to run off was by 
ankle bracelet and the uh, yeah, family plane. He's on, right. He's on house arrest, but to make sure he doesn't just hop on his plane and leave, they took his plane, his $50 million now, plane. Let me ask you something. So they come here. They get right back off the horse, fall, fall off the horse in Macau, come right back here, jump back on it. Now, why, they don't even have their own laptops. <laughs> They're not, they, they don't want to go to Best Buy. At least have the well, squad come in there. Yeah, that gets call features. Yeah, that that gets explained a little bit too. And by, by the way, they were betting about um, um, apparently like four hundred million dollars was being bet here total. So there's a lot of money. Now, here's what's also weird: uh, Andrew Robel, of all people, yeah, I saw that. Uh, he, he's getting the bail money. Was offering to put up one point five million dollars in bail. So why is Andrew Robel well, involved asked, in this? He want to flip for a Ziggy last night on full tilt. <laughs> I mean, why is Andrew Robel even involved in this? Obviously, he has some association with Paul Fua. It's kind of strange. Uh, have you ever played with this guy? No, no. But you know, uh, I mean, you, would you have known him if you seen him walking around? Uh, I knew the name, but when I saw the picture, I, I wouldn't have. I, I, no, no, I never really – I knew his name, but I didn't really pay attention to what he looked like. I. Uh, but anyway, he, uh, Caesars, I, I guess, yeah, somehow they got a laptop that was uh, – the FBI came in. Right, that was it was it was a laptop that was provided to them that was a uh, by Caesars that had stuff installed on it to uh, uh, to one of the villas so they could spy on them. And I I don't know why they're getting laptops they delivered. It. That's what I'm saying. Why not go to the Best Buy? Yeah, I don't understand it. It's it's so weird. Like it's get a geek squad. Get a bunch of 18 year olds in that villa. They ain't gonna, you know what I'm saying? You know what he needed there? He needed like uh, Daniel Negreanu's personal assistant to run out and go get it, or or maybe Mark Newhouse to go to uh, Home Depot and pick up some international plugs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, uh, somehow they they ended up uh, getting a laptop. Provided by Caesars, who knew everything that was going on, and the FBI was involved, and they they put uh, spyware on it. You got to fight them for fifty dollars in comp money. They're providing them laptops. <laughs> so, now let me ask you this, this, and this brings up another question I was reading. I just know from experience, you know, a lot of these villas, a lot of these high end, uh, like at at the Palms, the uh, Playboy Suite, the the Real World Suite, the one with the basketball. You know, you can't even, for the most part, rent those. You know, they're only either comped, you know, the high rollers, or, you know, you can't just go in there. Like, they literally, you can't rent them. So I'm wondering, I mean, with these guys in there, I mean, I'm sure they didn't just go in there and say, hey, we're not going to be gambling, but we just want to drop, you know, 150000 a night for three villas. I mean, do you think, I mean, they had to be huge, huge whales there, I'd assume, too. To get the villain, they might right? have been. Now they were they were known to be huge whales. Paul Fua was a huge whale in the Macau area, but uh, the Macau casinos are, are really owned by uh, Sheldon Adelson and Steve Wynn. and uh, so so it's a good question how they got these villas unless they just said, "Hey, we're going to pay for them." You know, how much is it going to be? Right, but even sometimes that won't even do. Like they just literally. You know, I've, I've just done a lot of reading on the subject. I know people in the industry, and I, you know, for all, here's an example. When I worked at the Hard Rock many, many moons ago, um, you know, they had this one suite, which now, you know, compared to all the new hotels and, you know, villas and mansions, would pale. But the biggest, you know, room at the Hard Rock, and also just folklore-wise, they had this sick-ass room that had like a like an eight-lane bowling alley, and you know, just all kinds of ridiculous amenities and. You know, Paris Hilton would always come stay in at Ben Affleck. It literally, literally was a different celebrity, you know, every weekend. And it was it was never for sale. Like, you literally could not pay, even if you come in and said, hey, 
You know, I mean, I'm sure if somebody wanted to give a million dollars, but it, it did not have a price on it. Well, I think I think so, what's going on. They probably were whales. You know, if he was a whale in Macau, he he probably came to Caesars and started throwing around huge money, and they probably gave it to him. I, that's yeah. just my guess here. Uh, I, I am wondering why, if he was such a huge customer in Macau of Steve Wynn and Sheldon Adelson, why not go to one of their properties in Vegas? Why go to Caesars? Uh, I mean, unless he thought seven star, you can't even get not smoking on the Augustus. <laughs> yeah, I I think maybe what happened was uh, since he got busted in Macau, maybe he thought that uh, if he went to a property where he wasn't as well known, they wouldn't catch on to him. The whole thing's very strange that you get busted in June in Macau and you think you can just go to Caesars and yeah. start over again, and they're not going to be suspicious. Yeah. So. Um, she also said uh, – this, this is a text that was received um, related to this. Um, this. This text was to Paul, and uh, it says, Hi, boss. This is someone working for him. This World Cup until 5th July, our four main products, virtual win-losses below. Handicap um, – one million one one hundred sorry one billion one hundred two million six hundred uh, thirty eight thousand five ninety seven lose uh, six hundred ten thousand a sixty a bunch of numbers I, I don't even understand them all but uh, a bunch of statistics were here and they write this is only live and vir- is virtual now what he's referring to by the way the figures are in Hong Kong dollars which are a fraction of U S dollars but it was about uh, four hundred million U S that was ended up uh, being bet here and. Um, and apparently, this North Las Vegas better bet twenty five thousand on Argentina on July ninth. And twenty five thousand. Yeah. But again, something like that, you could go to a sports book and bet. I, I don't know about you that. Have no risk of you. you I mean, and even at, well, okay. I mean, I know most places will take up to like a hundred thousand. I mean, I know Christ at Red Rock. Uh, you know, I just have some friends, and that you know, that's a locals casino. They were taking fifteen k bets on soccer. So, but the point is, I mean, you could spread. If I was going to bet twenty five, fifty, whatever it was on soccer, I mean, I would just go and spread it around. Then, you know, go to like five, six different casinos and put five, seven on each. Why would I, you I even... have to guess that what happened was the person betting with him didn't think they were taking much of a risk. They must have known Paul. And they must have. They maybe they bet with well, him yeah, before. There's got to be a lot of trust in that. Yeah, and so, paid. so, so they probably just said, "Hey, um, I don't feel like going down there and and." You know, bringing the cash and all this crap. Just I, I feel like sitting at home in North Las I just, Vegas. And uh, I don't get it. I mean, there, I know people here draw from Vegas that still they they bet on whatever the online betting sites are. And I, I I'm like, you live in Vegas. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I, you know I guess they're I'm, lazy. I mean, I, yeah, I guess. I mean, it used to be it used to be people would do this because you can sometimes get better odds on uh, the online sports books, and that yeah. often it was a lot easier to check what the odds were. Of course, online where you had to run from book to book. In the middle of the night, and your money's gone. Yeah, now the, the sports books were actually much worse than the poker sites with scamming people. I mean, you would not believe how many shady sports books there were that scammed people and stole from people. Uh, I, I got ripped off out of one of them uh, that was well trusted called Bet Cascade, but um, anyway. Uh, this is an ongoing story here, and and Haley Hint seems to really be uh, watching this closely. And and uh, she also mentioned that um, this was actually uh, a complaint, but she says it's not a formal indictment because a grand jury is involved, and uh, it, you know, unless a grand jury is involved, so it's not an indictment yet. But that doesn't mean that it won't become one. And uh, that the charges for most of these matters 
are made to the court in the form of a complaint. And then um, uh, and then from that point, it, it goes forward. And, uh, you know, the, the term complaint, sometimes people don't see that as serious as an indictment, but it actually is. And uh, uh, they haven't gone for a RICO-related charge, but, uh, but, but it could go that way. And, and by the way, have you heard of David Chesnoff? His, oh, absolutely. Uh, kidding me? That was uh, – actually, I, Steve the Bodyguard had to use him once, believe it really? or not, to get out of, out of a bind. But, yeah, he's the most powerful attorney in Vegas. Um, I know that – I mean, obviously, he's the one that handled the appeal on Phil Ivey's divorce. I mean, besides other, you know, just criminals or, you know, high-profile people in Vegas. But, uh, Jesus, there's got to be a ton of different uh, – poker uh people that they or gamblers that he's represented as well yeah he's, and he's huge in the gaming industry and, and someone else on the forum mentioned that uh, they have 30 days to, 30 days to file an indictment after the complaint is filed and then the indictment will have a lot more details about the crime so right now it's only the complaint phase so you don't see as many details but but eventually i'm sure there will be an indictment and we'll see a lot more and um so we'll have to see what happens with this but a very weird story I mean, I know they were taking in a lot of bets, four hundred million worth of bets, but to, to to get busted for this Macau and just hop over to Caesars and thinks that somehow you're going to get away with this. And the weirdest part, as you said, is accepting a laptop from Caesars uh, and not thinking, hey, maybe they're trying to spy on you. Like, like, why not be sure it's your own equipment? So, really yeah. weird. Like, very, like very how how hard is it to get a laptop? How hard is it to send one of his assistants out to, as you said, go to Best Buy and you know. Buy the best laptop there and bring it home. I mean, it's it's. Uh, what are these guys looking at, uh, prison-wise? I I don't know, uh, and it, it's for it, even if I had a range, you know, sometimes you'll hear someone can face up to thirty years and then they get two. It's a lot of times the up two is like in a worst case scenario that absolutely never happens. So, unless you're very familiar with the sentencing, well, it's like the seatbelt thing in Las Vegas. On the books, you can. Five hundred dollar fine or up to two years in jail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, so that's the problem with, and that's why I hate reporting. Like they can be facing up to forty years in prison, or then in, in reality they're not going to be. So, I, I don't know what they're realistically going to be looking at, but the truth is that uh, the, he was accepting a lot of bets here, and if they can tie this to some sort of uh, criminal enterprise and make some sort of RICO complaint against them, there could be some serious jail time and. Uh, um, they're holding on to his jet as collateral, so he doesn't f- not just b- both collateral and removing his means of transportation out of the country. So uh, we'll have to see what happens with that kind of. What weird... does it cost to to maintain a a forty million dollar jet a year and like just expenses? And it, it's funny you them. mention that because Dan Bilzerian. We're going to play clips of his. I, I I don't know if one of the clips I have is about him talking about this. I don't think it is because it wasn't all that interesting. But he was talking about his jet. And that how it was so expensive to maintain that thing. He was claiming. Uh, um, you see, I mean, what would you even have to? Your bankroll have to be what? I would think close to like half a billion to have it to maintain a jet. Yeah, he was saying it was over a million a year to maintain that, especially if you're using it a lot. If it's just sitting there and not being used, it's not that much. But if you're the, the fuel is expensive, the, the, all the maintenance is expensive. And he said changing things in the jet. If you want to change anything around in there, it's not just like remodeling your house. It's really expensive to do that. So. So yeah, it's uh, the the it. He said the cost of anything. Dan Bilzerian also said that he wanted Wi-Fi in his jet, 
And he said getting that just established, not the Wi-Fi service itself, but just getting it capable of, of the Wi-Fi in the jet uh, was like two hundred to 300000 So you, th- you think your, uh, your router might be expensive. So a- anyway, weird story, but uh, more detail will come out on that probably pretty soon. And uh, we'll talk about that here when that happens. So um, I-, I guess we do have a good segue now into Dan Bilzerian. He appeared on Howard Stern today. We should have him on some week. We should. I, I wonder I, if we can get I him now. The, I text with him once in a while. I get drunk and I send him a text. Oh, okay. I'm not even sure if he really knows who I am, but he always responds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he's a talkative guy. He's he's pretty much uh, willing to communicate with anyone. So I I think he is someone who's a possibility to come on here. He's he been on uh, we, the other shows. He was on the other. Show. He was he was on the, the Donk Down show. I had him on uh, the other the uh, Jason Stoll Network. Yeah. Oh, really? He's on that show too. I didn't know yeah, that. I okay. Okay. So we should try to get him on here. But uh, Howard actually asked him a lot of good questions, and uh, he was on for an hour there, and uh, he said some things I don't completely believe. I, I I like the Dan Bilzerian parts of the interview where he talks about his lifestyle and and other things like that, where he's more likely to be telling the truth than the one topic where I have some suspicion, and I can get your opinion on this too, and that is how much he claims to make playing poker, which, uh, um, of course, you know, like, Beth Shack, who claims that her fortune is from poker, and uh, we all know the truth on that one. Tipsy Michelle. Yeah, (laughs) Tipsy So there's a lot of, quote, professional poker players that don't really support themselves on poker and just like to say they do. Dan Blazarian obviously came in with a whole lot of money from the start through his dad. And at the same time, I do believe that he does play in some very lucrative home games where he plays against a bunch of rich fish in games that the general public cannot access. But I'm going to play some clips of Dan Blazarian. And uh, I'm going to jump around in this interview. I have diff- different spots I want to play clips. And uh, fortunately, Brandon can hear them too now because he can hear the sound effects, which is good. And we'll make commentary on each of these clips as I play them. By the way, this is thanks to Nikki. I need to take a quick schwitz. Would now be a time to freshen up while you do this? If I'm going to be in it for the long run? Sure, go ahead. Well, you know, you tell me. Boss. No, no, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I can comment in the meantime. The new house at your website. No, no, go ahead. Go I'm ahead. Just, 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 <laughs> no, but yeah, did not be the good time? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. And by the way, thanks to Nikki for posting this on the forum. She's returned to Poker Fraud Alert. Nice to see you. She old. She, she's from the very beginning. She is. She goes all the way back. All the way back. And, all, the way back. Uh, all right, I'll be right back. Okay, so she posted this clip. She's not the one who uploaded it, but she went and found it and posted it to the forum. Same day that Dan Blazarian appeared on Howard Stern, we already have it on YouTube. So here's the first clip, the introduction, and him talking about how much he won and lost playing poker. YouTube.com slash... Ah, come on, come on. People think it's like... 
Bad, I'm Nationwide. That's a good song for this guy, Dan Bilzerian. Everyone told me I should have him on. And you guys would dig talking to him. And Dan is a big hit on Instagram because his whole Instagram account is about gambling, guns, and pussy. Uh, there you are, Dan Bilzerian. Am I, do I say Let's that right? Take a look at him. This guy's living the life Benji, I think, wants to be living. <laughs> Hi, Dan. How's it going? Welcome. Uh, Dan, you are what they call an Internet sensation. Um, when Gary's kids heard you were going to be on, they got excited. When uh, the head of this company heard you were going to be on, he got excited. He wanted to meet Dan? Yeah, he said, you got to have this guy on. All the kids are talking about him. The kids are talking about you, Dan, because of your lifestyle, right? People are, are they jealous of you? Do they want to live like you? Are you the American dream? Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that are jealous that kind of envy the lifestyle or people that, you know, wish they had it. I think there's a lot of uh, mixed emotion about it, so. You're a very wealthy guy, and you made your money from gambling, right? From playing poker. Yeah. You're an expert-level poker player. I'm a really good poker player. I'm not the best. Um, I've just been lucky about getting into really good games. So you've won it. You, they say you're worth like a hundred million dollars. Is that close to where your your net worth is? Something like that. So, I've won fifty million roundabout in the last twelve months or so. Unbelievable in poker. So poker isn't really luck. People think it's like, oh, I, I got to get the right cards. It's a skill that you can develop. Were you always a great poker player? No, I was actually pretty bad um, when my brother first taught me. I went broke in college, and so. And so, in other words, like any other job, you've got to learn your craft, and you got But it's an expensive craft to learn because you get in a poker if, game, you've got to put up. Fifty million dollars this year. How much have you lost? Um, well, that's net. Whenever I say how much I've won, it's oh, okay. counting the losses. So, pausing this for a second here, about two minutes in. So when someone talks about going broke in college, you, you picture a struggling college student. You picture a guy who either is putting himself through college or his parents are putting him through but uh, has very little of his own money. And when he goes to play poker, he blows all of it and he's broke. That, that's what you picture, a, a broke college student. Dan Bilzerian, and he talked about this later in the interview, since he was very young, his father had a fortune. So he didn't go broke in college. And you know, he makes statements like that, and it just makes you not want to believe any of his other gambling stories. And it's too bad because, in general, this guy's a straight shooter. In general, he's straightforward. In general, he doesn't really give a crap what you think of him and just speaks the truth. But I think for whatever reason, and I, I have some theories as to what those reasons are, which I'll get into in a little bit, uh, he doesn't tell the complete truth about his poker history and his current poker play. In order to be a great poker player and not to, like, lose your shirt doing this, do you have to keep track of how much you win and lose? Is that part of the thing? You have to really kind of keep that in check? Yeah, well, I mean, from tax standpoint, you got to, too. <laughs> right. And what is the biggest swing you ever had? Did you ever have, like, um, have you ever lost a couple of million in a game? Yeah, I've actually lost $3.6 three times, which is kind of weird. It's not 3.7, not 3.5, but 3.6 exactly three, three, three times. Yeah. Are you superstitious about poker? Like, that's why you keep track of the number 3.6 uh, kind of thing? <laughs> no, it's just, like, really random that that would be the number that I would lose the max each time. Why did you lose? I mean, you're such a good player. You kind of size up the crowd. What happened? The cards just didn't go your way? Um, sometimes you don't play your A game. Um one of those times I definitely wasn't playing my A game. One of the times I was kind of unlucky, and then the other time I was just trying to be a hero, made a big bluff, and 
Um, the guy actually really got me rattled because we were playing a real big game, and he decided to stop betting in terms of, like, monetary amounts and just started betting either cars or planes or whatever it was, but it just really messed with my head. Like, he would say, I'm betting a Ferrari, and that was 300000 or he'd say, I'm betting a Bugatti, and that was a million, or Learjet, which he, you know, decided was $2 million. So, yeah, and it really ruined me. And then, and I had a girl with me, and I was, like, trying to impress her, and I, you know, fired off. I think it was, like, a 3 or $4 million bluff, and it didn't work out so good. So, so. You know, that story, I believe, that's kind of just too weird and too random to make up. Not that it's impossible to make up, but that's just not Dan Blazarian. He he wouldn't make up something weird like that, that a guy saying, I'm betting a Ferrari, I'm betting a Learjet. Like, if he were to make up the story, he'd say that the guy actually was betting his Ferrari. That would be more of a sexy story, that the guy drives up in a beautiful Ferrari and, and bets it in a hand, rather than figuratively betting a Ferrari based upon what a Ferrari's worth is what he's talking about. So I believe this really happened. I believe that it kind of confused Dan a little bit and that he uh, ended up on tilt and made a bad bluff and the guy caught him and he lost money. Uh, so like those stories, I believe, but some of the other stuff like where he throws around figures and how much he's making, I don't. So if you have a hot chick with you at a game and stuff, you can get into that head where like, hey, man, i got to show I'm not a pussy. I'm going to bet into this guy and the whole thing. So that's dangerous. So you would almost say it's a no-no to bring a good-looking girl with you to a game. Yeah, I mean, I – yeah, that was – It's crazy, yeah. That was a mistake. <laughs> so, so when you first get into this thing, someone's got to front your money. Does it work like a corporation? Do you always put up your own money in these big stakes games, or do you have backers who say to you, okay, look, we, we believe in you as a player – We'll give you X amount of dollars, and then you split the profits with us. That's really kind of where most poker players want to end up because it really takes the stress out of the game. Right. Um, the thing about me is nobody really thought I was very good, so <laughs> nobody ever wanted to take a piece of it. And I never really wanted to sell a piece, so uh, I never really did that too much. Um, occasionally I would, but it was small amounts. A lot of the um, other professional poker players, like playing the one drop, for instance, the million-dollar tournament, they... A lot of those guys would only go in there with ten percent, so it was like you know. they're not really playing for high stakes. Yeah, exactly. And do you? So this is again. I, I guess it's a half truth. It is true, probably that had Dan gone to people who are backers and said, "Hey, back me," they probably was a no. We we don't have a whole lot of faith in your game compared to tough competition. Uh, but at the same time, he never needed backing. He always had the money. And I, I do believe he didn't want anyone to have a piece of him because he didn't need anyone to have a piece of him, and he wanted to really bet the amounts that were, were being bet. The money wasn't scaring him. Um, you know, Much like if I go sit down at a 10-20 uh, limit hold'em game, I'm not going to be seeking a backer. If I, wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want a backer because it would take the game down to such a low limit I wouldn't even want to be playing if, if most of that's not my money. So on a much grander scale, I think that's how Dan Blazarian feels. And... Um, uh, again, kind of trying to downplay the money he had coming in here. He he wants everyone to believe that he's almost like a, a self-made poker multi-multi-millionaire and that the very expensive lifestyle he leads was built up through through poker. Do you have uh, disrespect for guys like that who do that kind of thing and only go in 10% like sort of like they're not investing their life into this thing? I mean, at the end of the day, it's a business, right. you know, for these people, and that's just them being conservative, and that's, at the end of the day, probably the reason that they won't go broke. There's a lot of guys that'll put 
all the money on the table and really go for it, and most of those guys end up broke. Do you have a strategy? Like, do you go in? Do you have to put on a poker face? Do you have to have, like, the glasses? Do you have to, I mean, or do you just go in there and play the stupid fucking game? <laughs> I, I never did the glasses. A lot of guys do that. Um, why not? Why not do the glasses? Supposedly they're a yeah, tell. So they can't see your eye. Yeah. Right. I don't know. I, I just, I never started doing it, and... I just thought it was kind of like a nerdy thing to do. Like it just seemed like I mean these poker players would go in there with the hoodie and the glasses and the headphones. <laughs> yeah, and the whole I see thing. that, yeah, right. I was I going, you know, I just wanted to talk shit to people <laughs> yeah, and yeah. kind of like look somebody in the eye, you know. And did you ever, them up. did you ever have someone say, "Hey, you have a tell"? Like, like, or, or do you think that's all bullshit? Like, can you tell what a guy has in his hand by by his way he twitches or something? There's definitely truth in tells for sure. Um, professional poker players have a lot less than amateur guys, but there's a lot of amateur guys where their tells are so strong that if you pick up on it, they really just can't even win because it's almost like, I mean, it's almost like having marked cards. I mean, you just know what they have because they'll pretend to have a strong hand or they'll just who knows, cross their arms or do some kind of thing when they have a big hand or when they're bluffing. And it's just, it, it, it's something that they don't even notice. You know, it's like a subconscious thing that they do. Right. And, yeah, if you can pick up on that, it's... Okay. So I'm going to stop this part here. We're no point to have the poker discussion with Dan Bilzerian and Howard Stern, who doesn't know too much about poker and just kind of repeating what people told him to ask. But uh, Dan Bilzerian... I do believe plays against some really rich guys in private games who are not very good. And therefore, you don't have to be world-class to beat... Hi, Brandon. You don't have to be world-class to beat these really rich guys who just want to play very high-stakes poker. Uh, If you're the best player there, you don't have to be the very, very top class of player to beat them. And I, I think there you can make a lot of money, and one who is known to have made a lot of money that way is Toby McGuire, who played in these very uh, high-stakes home games, very private, exclusive games, and uh, cleaned up because Toby McGuire became a pretty good player. Again, not a world-class player, but a, a good player, and a lot better than the amateurs he would play against in these home games. So it's very possible Bilzerian's doing this, and later in the interview he's going to explain how he gets these guys in these games, and that kind of makes sense, but I still don't believe that he makes as much as he claimed, like $50 million, and I don't believe that that's where he built up his money. Uh, jumping a little ahead in the interview to about the 15-minute mark, here is where he talks about his dad. And, of course, Bilzerian's like 33 years old. He, he's not a self-made millionaire. I don't, I don't believe that for a second. His dad made a ton of money, as he'll describe here, even when he was a very young child. And uh, his dad has been in some trouble. And that's the big thing with you, right? You've got a tremendous following. Yeah, it's like 3.4 million. It's unbelievable, right? Because people like to see what you're up to. They, I guess they're saying, hey, if I had $100 million and if I had an open lifestyle where I could do whatever I want, what would I do? And you're doing it. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that have money, but they have either wives or jobs or family or they're worried about their reputation or whatever it is. But I, I just kind of just took the attitude like, what the fuck and just do whatever I wanted what's left on your bucket list to do um is there something burning up in you that you gotta go do and you just haven't done it I haven't done um there's not too much no mm. there's not too much so, so when you're was there are several years of just really hard work and now you're just blowing it out I mean I'm still working hard I mean from the time I wake up to the time I go to bed I mean 
you know, the more staff you have and the more stuff you're doing, the more work it is. So, I mean, just managing, you know, 20 employees is, you know, it's it's a headache. So. Are, you, are, you, are your mom and dad still alive? Yep. Are they are they upset with you be going into gambling? I mean, how can they be upset? You've been successful. But... Yeah, every single time I talked to my dad, he told me to stop. <laughs> like every, right. you know, so uh, there's a certain point when he just stopped saying it because he realized that had I stopped at that point, I wouldn't have, you know, gotten to where I was. And so now he, he's pretty supportive. Your dad has an incredible background. Your dad was this super wealthy guy at one point, right? He was worth like $80 million himself. I think it was 400. I think he was worth 400 million dollars. Yeah. What did he do? What was his uh, occupation? He was a corporate takeover guy. Mm -hmm. He uh, took over Hammer Mill. He took over um, Singer Sewing. I mean, he took over like some billion dollar companies in the 80s. Super successful guy. Uh, you grew up wealthy, right? I mean, it, with the, the best of everything. Uh, it started when I, I think it was like eight or so, um, and he built this crazy house. I think it was like 44,000 square feet, indoor basketball. I just remember bragging to the kids at school about this house, and nobody would believe me. And it took so long for him to build the stupid thing, but by the time it was done, um, I, I was kind of on my way out. I was, you know. So he's talking about when he was eight years old and, and this 44,000 square foot house was built. So this is not the guy who was broke playing poker in college. It's just it's obvious when you're eight years old and your dad is that rich. Um, I just I just texted him. He's at the Plaza in New York. Should we call him now, or would that be shooting too much of a load in one show? <laughs> I mean, Should what? I just what? Do it what? All right he, now what, I'll see you all next year when Newhouse Final Tables again. <laughs> um, did he say he would come on? I mean, he'll always come on. He doesn't know what's going on. Do you want me to tell him I'll call a column, or do you want to? Well, I don't know. Can you, can you make it next week so we don't shoot too much of a load in one show? Sure, I could. Okay. I mean, he's very friendly with me. Okay, good. I think he even knows who I am, though. I was or, asking more about you making it. It's a very right? relationship. I was, actually making, I was actually asking more if you can make it rather than Dan Bilzerian. You're, you're a harder guy to get. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, uh, did you see that tweet of him? Betting 200k a hand at Bakker at the Venetian uh, a couple nights ago. No, no, I've seen other ones though where he he tweets you know giant stacks of chips he's playing in in blackjack or baccarat or whatever, and that that's what's kind of funny. You'll hear later in this interview he denies that he does this, which is kind of weird. Like he claims he doesn't play the pit games, but uh, um, I, you'll you'll hear him talking uh, in the in this segment here about his dad going to jail, which is a little bit interesting. You know, going to school in another state, and then I went in the military, so. So he was a super brilliant guy who uh, was, you know, like a Stanford graduate and uh, and all this kind of stuff, and then he ran into what? Trouble? He he got, what what was his problem? Yeah, he actually, he dropped out of high school. He enlisted in the military and became uh, the youngest officer commissioned since the Korean War, and then uh, did well in Vietnam, got out, went to Stanford, went to Harvard Business School, uh, did really well, and then... Uh, I think it was 89 when uh, he got indicted for, I think it was stock parking or some uh, some white-collar violation. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, I just remember because I was going into school, I was like second grade, and everybody was telling me, you know, your dad's going to jail, your dad's going to jail. And, you know, and I said, no, he's not, no, he's not. Right, you get, in, get into fights, right? Because you're like, yeah, don't you say yeah, that about my should, dad. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, the, and then I'm going into school, and he's riding with me, which is weird because I never really, you know, saw him too much. And he told me, like, on the way into school, he's going to jail. And I was, like, pretty bummed out. Yeah, right. Yeah, because so. you had had a lot of fights. <laughs> and, and, in fact, um, your dad, when he went to jail, uh, because he was a wealthy guy, he had, he had set up a trust fund for you. 
and you um, you actually took some of your trust fund money, a large portion of it, and put up the money so your dad could what? Get out of jail, right? Yeah, I was actually um, I was in the middle of uh, going through SEAL training, and I got pulled out. Um, and uh, and the officer was like, you know, Bill Zarian, what the fuck is this? Are you some rich kid? Blah blah blah. And you know, and basically it was the government holding my dad ransom. I had to sign over a third of my trust fund to get him out of jail, or he wasn't. Uh, he's gonna have to just sit in uh, county jail in Miami. And so. I, and I, your dad was angry with you. He, was, he wouldn't talk to me for eight months. You, your dad's a tough son of a bitch because he said yeah. to you, "What are you giving all the government money for? You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have bailed me out." He's a he's a hard headed bastard. Were you like, what the fuck do I have to do to win your approval? Yeah, I, yeah, I was kind of stuck. I didn't really know what to do, you know. It's kind of a weird story because unless his dad was thinking of skipping bail, uh, all the bail is doing is guaranteeing you're going to show up for trial. So it's like that F. Lee Bailey. Remember that debacle? No. What are you referring to? You know F. F. Lee Bailey. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. When he sat in, uh, he got that stock from that drug dealer as collateral for uh, payment for services. And from when he got it to when the trial took place, it shot up like it quadrupled. And then the government wanted it, and he sat in a jail in Tallahassee, Florida, for like six months. You remember this? <laughs> yeah. You do or you don't? No, I do remember something about this, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, so, yeah, so uh, anyway, it's kind of weird why his father would be mad at him, like, why, why are you bailing me out unless he's going to skip bail? The government's not going to keep that money. He wasn't, he wasn't paying his dad's fine. He was paying his dad's bail. So the, the, these are the stories that are a little bit funny, and I think the, the, the stories he tells that don't seem to fit in that well are the ones that have to do with some kind of – anything having to do with money and his dad seem to be kind of fuzzy. And, and I think the reason for this – is because uh, because there's a cloud of suspicion and uh, accusations against his dad, and that that persists to this day, um, and criminal investigations and all that, and uh, and because Dan Bilzerian doesn't want to be seen as someone who uh, basically started out with dirty or semi-dirty money and played poker with that, uh, it it does his image much better to be someone who who made it himself playing high-stakes poker, and uh, you know and and. He's like a female uh, Paris Hilton. Like he's just famous for being famous. And, uh, you mean a male a male Paris Hilton? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? He's just famous for being famous. Yeah, but I I understand why people are fascinated with him because he he really is living the wild party lifestyle that a lot of people would imagine that they wish they could live if they had a ton of money and all the freedom. So, you know, you, you're sitting around in your house, either broke or married or whatever, and you feel that uh, you're restricted in some way. You can't just go party with, with 10 supermodels and, uh, you know, and have sex with four of them and, uh, um, you know, and, and just do all the crazy things Dan does and, and uh, fly around the world in your own jets and, 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 have your own personal chef and in your throwing the, the porn stars off the roof. Throw, and have yeah, the, the lawyer write the funny ass letter about blowing yeah. shit up with the yapping dog and the mortar shells <laughs> in the desert. <laughs> yeah, so so a lot of people kind of wish they were him and like following what he does. They live vicariously through him, and I understand that. I think he likes to somewhat perpetuate that myth as. Um, Rather than just a, a spoiled rich kid, as as someone who actually earned it himself and now is spending the money he earned. So here's what he talks about: a weird story about what happened in Utah when he was a senior in high school. How he went to jail in Utah for having like a, a machine gun in his trunk. 
I had a machine gun in my car. What were you doing with a machine gun in your car in high school? Uh, <laughs> I think I got my first gun when I was six, and uh, you know my what? Da- yeah, my my mom's side of the family they're big hunters, and uh, my dad the only gun he knew about was M16 because he was in the military, and so he just figured that you know give, give him an M16 because that's all he knew. Your dad gave you an M16. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, wow. I was so proud of the damn thing. I was showing everybody, and uh, <laughs> he so. showed one too many people. Yeah, huh? it really did. So when. when the school calls the cops and says, hey, one of our students is running around with an M16. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. Well, because I, I went into school, and I had people in the car. I was giving them a ride, and obviously, you know, I was telling them about, you know, my guns or whatever. And uh, they, a teacher, I, I forget who it was, but somebody pulled me aside and asked me if I had guns in the car. And my dad just always taught me, like, just be honest. So I was just like, yeah, you know, I, I got some guns in my car. And, and I figured, like, hey, I was just going to tell these guys the truth, and, and they'd be cool. And... You know, if I, you know, if I would have had a kid, I would have told him the deal. Like, get in your car, drive the thing away, you know, right. and don't say a word. And I would have been fine. They couldn't, you know, they didn't have probable cause. They couldn't have done anything. But, you know, like an idiot. Did you I, not realize it was illegal to travel around with these guns? And Well, it actually, as crazy as this is, it was legal for me to have them. It just, because I was in the school parking lot, it was considered school grounds. And this was right after Columbine. So it was like a bad, uh, real bad, bad timing. Time <laughs> yeah. So how long did you go to jail for for that? Uh, three weeks. Oh, three weeks. Okay. Yeah. So they, they, they realized that you weren't violent, that you weren't trying to kill anyone. I guess they probably had you psychologically tested, yeah? They actually kicked me out of the state of Utah. I didn't even know that was a thing, like that was possible. But yeah. You mean they said to you, look, uh, we'll let you out of jail, but never come back to Utah? Yeah. Wow. They actually said that. <laughs> How old were you? They kicked the kid out. I was 17 years wow. old. Wow. Yeah. Good for you. I mean, what a background you have. Oh and now goodness. I'm surprised. Now, now, when you have that kind of arrest, you say the United States military welcomes you with open arms. So, um, you know, putting the him getting expunged aside, which is not the most exciting radio, uh, he does have an obsession with guns. And uh, if you remember, his dad was in the military, too. Now, he eventually tried to become a, mili- a, a Navy SEAL and came very close to completing the program, but didn't. Uh, this is him talking about why he wanted to be a Navy SEAL. I really went in the military just to kind of prove that, you know, I could do it, and I wanted to become a Navy SEAL just because I wanted to say that I was a Navy SEAL. You know, I'm not going to... That just seems to be here. the most badass thing you could do in life. Yeah, I mean, you know, like like I said, I you know, I, I could say it was, you know, because I was patriotic and this and that, but I just really wanted to, you know... You wanted to see how tough you were. Yeah, really. And, that's and you seem like a pretty tough guy. You work out or something? Because you yeah. seem pretty pumped up. Yeah, I work out a lot. I've been working out ever since I was 16. Yeah, well, you on the football team or something? I play baseball. Yeah. yeah. Isn't it kind of funny, Brandon, that uh, someone with the 3.4 million Instagram followers appears on uh, Howard Stern and and everyone knows you can just, like, text him right now yourself and just say, where are you when he says I'm at the plaza? I didn't even think about that, but yeah. yeah. (laughs) Brandon has connections here. Look at this. First new house and then uh, then Dan Bilzerian. Wow. And uh, don't forget Coolio. Yeah, that's where it really all started, I think. Wow. I read, it's funny, actually, I read uh, C Money uh, was texting me something about that. He was pissed off because he didn't think of that, this idea. I guess, did you read the yeah. Hub is sponsoring this, some video, uh, Hub it's called or something? You know about this? Yeah, they, they filmed some video with Coolio with a bunch of uh, porn stars in uh, in Sherman Oaks, of course, the center of all the porn is in San Fernando Valley in L.A. 
And uh, I'm not exactly sure what is in the video. It's not a porn video, but it, it's it's some kind of music video, I believe, with porn stars in it with Coolio and and C Money saying, "Oh wow, you know, Coolio would have worked for so little. I, I could have done this myself and and made a fortune on it." I mean, I still sometimes think when I when I hear that song, the uh, Gangsters Paradise, and I'm driving in my car, and I just think, like, who would have ever thought a little young boy from South Florida would wake up? In the summer of 2010, look at his little iPhone and see death threats from Coolio on it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> threats that he was going to bury me in the desert. I remember getting a call. I was on a trip somewhere. I don't even remember where anymore, but I was on a trip, and I, I got calls as I was driving, I don't know, Utah somewhere or whatever, and I remember discussing with uh, Micon and I think maybe you too about what we're going to do about this even though I wasn't being threatened directly I don't think Coolio knew who I was but uh, um, since he was threatening you guys like what was the approach we were going to take and I was actually suggesting the conservative approach like let's just leave poor Coolio alone and he'll leave us alone but uh, I think that's what ended up happening well, well and, you know, but I guess looking back at it now we found a Don Trotten down as luck Coolio that got his what was he cooking with bitches or shit some reality cooking show that failed. We gave him hope that he'd be starring in, you know, a movie with Whitney Houston. And I mean, do you remember how excited yeah, he was? Yeah. You know, it, it, looking back at now, it was, we were mean. We were well, mean you know, the truth is, he ended up better than Whitney Houston. So. <laughs> so, uh, but, but, but but you know, you're right. Like, who would ever thought? I mean, I think that movie, Dangerous Minds, came out when I was in either early college or late high school. And then the look back. You know, it's just, you're right, it is weird. And then, like, I'm talk, thinking about Blitzerian's talking to Stern, I'm texting him now. That, that doesn't even phase me. But I yeah, you're just, like, you're just like, hey, Blitzerian, what's up? Where are you? Oh, I'm at the plaza. Okay. And they're like, oh, should we have him on our show now? We'll have him next week. It's like, it's just kind of. No, but he'll definitely, I mean, he, he, he's really a friendly guy. Maybe a lot of it is just because he, he loves the attention. But, you know, if, I mean. Yeah, no, I think what we should do, um, not so much so we don't have, like, a super show. It's more because I, I want to think about, like, what we should ask him and everything. Yeah. We see He just went on Howard and answered all these questions today, so I hate to just duplicate what Howard asked him. I don't think it will be no. very good. And I'm only going to be coming on when New House Final Tables every year. Yeah, yeah, so I have to wait a week for uh, – a year for this one. And uh, <laughs> I'll be rooting for New House here, otherwise we'll never have any on the show again. But uh, – Oh, that is next year. I'll be rooting for. Well, I mean, it's your website, though. You made that clear right well, from the beginning. I, I made it clear because you you've disappeared on me. I you've you've no. I'm you've saying left I'm, me hold- I'm talking about the new house comment. I know, and I'm I'm, I'm talking about that too. You you disappeared okay. on me. You left me holding the bag. So I go well. Now I can take ownership. Oh, no, now I can say a, it's my it site. Was a sky fail. Actually, I didn't disappear, but yeah. No, no, no. no I'm talking about uh, from the show. You know, it's not the Druff and Drexel show anymore. It's just the yeah, yeah, well, yeah, I know. It's the Druff and Friends show. So now, now I have to take ownership. So you, if you it was still the Druff and Drexel show, I wouldn't have said that. But you still have the the you know form cats that come on the guest host. The uh, let me ask you something. I, you know, I I read the form and you know, I do want to talk a bit about this later. Even though I'm not active as much you know, on the radio or posting, I, I do literally read it. You know, at least once or twice a day. Now, why is it? Is this just some kind of lingo I don't understand? It seems that when someone writes a post and someone doesn't like it, they just automatically just say, shut up, Garrett. And I don't understand all this. Well, this is Where the story. And G- Garrett is in the chat right now, and Garrett has actually co-hosted the show once. Mm-hmm. Garrett is a guy from the East Coast, and as soon as he came here, he, he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Um, 
like awesome. on one hand, I can understand why, but on the other hand, I think they're too hard on him. And he does sometimes post uh, some good and useful information, especially about Atlantic City, which he seems to know a lot about. But uh, there are some people who really don't like him, and he's gotten like negative rep to death. And uh, so what they say now, they used to just say it to him when he'd say something, just shut up, Garrett. And now they say it to anyone they're telling to shut up, shut up, Garrett. So it's kind of become like a running joke. He came in just like a hot shot, didn't pay his dues, that kind of thing? Uh, Sort of. I I think it was more because he he said some things and then, you know, fought back with some veterans of the forum uh, and, uh, you know, picked too many fights with people who've been around here for a long time. I I think that's kind of what happened. You can't do it that way. Yeah. yeah. I think that's kind of what happened here. That's like a a freshman, you know, in the football team going out. You know, you you got to carry the water bucket for a while. But uh, I I do have to admire Garrett that he was not run off. He actually, despite uh, all of the negative rapping and the people bashing him and all the shut up Garrett, he's he's right here. He's listening to the show. He he still posts here. Like, it, it doesn't phase him. He just he just continues on. So got to give him credit there. And and he doesn't even do it because, like, I can tell Garrett's not doing it because he wants the negative attention. He just kind of takes the attitude, like, I'm still going to post. I don't care if you're going to bash me. So, uh, anyway, getting back to uh, Bilzerian here. Uh, where the hell did I have that? Uh, there we are. Uh, so he, he was trying to become a Navy SEAL. He was admitting that he was just doing it to see if he could accomplish it and just because it, it sounded cool to say he's a Navy SEAL. And I believe things like that. Like, I, I really do believe that part. And uh, especially he has this obsession with fitness, apparently. So I guess he wanted to see if he could make it in the SEALs. Uh, now, here's an interesting segment where he talks about the women. Now, you always see tweets of him with beautiful women and not just one, but like surrounded by six or seven beautiful women. And you at first, you just kind of dismiss it and say, oh, that's just Dan Bilzerian. But then you go, wait a minute. What's the story here? Like, what's going – is he really having sex with these six women at once? So, like, how is this working? How is this actually happening? What was it? My high school teacher – well, my high school counselor said I'd never amount to anything. But I bet he never got blown by three girls at once. Yeah. Did you ever see that one? <laughs> no, but I, I believe that's one that. Of those- yeah, but but he actually reveals something interesting regarding all these pictures you see of him with like is just surrounded by a lot of beautiful women, almost like wherever he goes, he's going to have eight women that are, are with him and that are all going to have sex with him at once. He he explains what's really going on with that. The things you do is you love women and you're going to, you know, get into it. What did you do last night with these women? I just banged one chick, nothing. That's it. Impressive. One chick. Oh, what a horrible night. I'm so sorry for you. Yeah. Oh, well, there's ten there, so. Wait, is that right? Now, how do you end up with ten? How do you end up with ten girls at the, at, the, at this? Where were you? An orgy? No, no. It's just my hotel room. My buddy. Uh, he had a promoter friend, and promoters are good for that. They round up girls. They know what the, where to get the girls. Yeah, exactly. and you probably don't have any problem because a you're rich. And so, so that's interesting, and I've always kind of suspected that about promoters bringing the girls in to take the pictures with him. So I think while this guy definitely has sex with a lot of different women and and does have, you know, threesomes and foursomes and whatever, a lot of these pictures you see him surrounded almost in like a, a very posed shot with, you know, ten women, they're actually brought in by the promoters for the pic- the purpose of these pictures being taken, which is not the same thing as, uh, you know, being in a an 11-way orgy with 10 girls and you B, you're a good looking dude and you're young which most of these girls when they meet rich guys they're usually much older right how old are you yeah i'm only 33 yeah 33 and you're worth 100 million dollars and you and you look like kind of like tom cruise kind of looking dude so it's like dude you're a home run for these girls right 
Yeah, I mean, I just honestly though, it's it's a setup. You know, it's just life is all in the setup. I try and set up the situation. So is life uh, a poker game, in other words, even with girls? A little bit. I mean, I just try and set it up so that I don't really have to put in a lot of effort. And uh, I mean, some of the parties I've had at my house. I mean, I swear to God, like these guys who get you know brought in a wheelchair and get laid because I got 300 girls and 30 guys. So it's just kind of like you, you increase your odds. <laughs> yeah, it's all about the odds. <laughs> it's like a poker game. In other words, the and odds every are other yeah. every other guest at the table, Howard, was a woman. Yeah, I mean that's very so, very cool. You banged as many as four women in one night, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think four is the most. If four at one time, like, like I, an orgy situation. I, I mean, I've. I've been in a situation where there's more girls, but actually had sex with is four. Yeah. You know, I'm re I read about your life. You, you're maybe one of the most fascinating guys I've ever read about. Let me let me give you a couple of facts. Maybe you can comment on them and tell me if they're true or not. Dan had multiple heart attacks before the age of 30, which yeah. were caused by mixing Viagra, cocaine, ecstasy, and booze. <laughs> well, the, the funny part about that story was uh, when I had to explain it to my dad, my ex-girlfriend, and my mother. <laughs> And I uh, did an interview on that, and I was kind of talking about it. And I was like, yeah, I, uh, the doctor asked me what I had done, and I and I said weed, and my mom kind of perked up. And then I think I said, eh, I might have done a little cocaine, and my dad's eyes got real big, and my parents were super square. And right. then I had to mention the Viagra, and the doctor's like, you'd have to be real thorough. And I was like, you know, couldn't you just ask them to leave? And right. I said the Viagra, and uh, he said, how much? I said 200 milligrams. He's like, 200 milligrams? Like what the fuck were you doing? Why you know? 200 milligrams of Viagra? I had never taken it before, and uh, I hadn't slept for three or four days, and I was drunk, and I knew I had to have sex with a stripper with a condom on, and uh, you were like, "Oh man, I better well, take some Viagra." I, you know, I, is that it? It was well, okay. So I think they go in 25, 50, and 100. Right. And my buddy had the hundreds, and he tells me to take half, and <laughs> so you know, I don't obviously I don't listen. I take the whole thing, and. Uh, and after about three minutes, I decided that nothing was happening, so I decided to, you know, take another <laughs> half. And uh, you know, time really didn't have—I uh, don't know—it just didn't have the. Uh, didn't mean anything. No, yeah, yeah exactly. Did My your parents? Time... Your parents obviously had been called to the hospital because you you were in bad shape and you'd had a heart attack at the, under the age of thirty. Yep. Uh, and and a severe heart attack. Yeah, there was a major one, and then uh, following was a minor. I uh, I was in the hospital, and it was kind of like a real spooky situation because it was Conrad Murray, who was Michael Jackson's doctor, which w wasn't the spooky part. Is the fact that I was in the same hospital that my grandfather had died of a heart attack exactly like one year prior, mm -hmm. and he had the same doctor, which is like real crazy. So, um, and I was only 25 at the time, so I mean nobody could believe. Did you did you limit? So what's he trying to say here? Is he saying Conrad Murray was his doctor? Is that what he's saying? Yes, sound that way to me. <laughs> That's kind of why it's really now, weird. Let me ask you two questions that just came to mind during that. First question being, is Dan Blitzerian that famous and relevant that he's worthy of being on Howard Stern? Or is Howard Stern's level of, I guess, getting A-list guests dropped that he's getting guys like Dan Blitzerian? Well, I, I think it's both. I, I think what happens is Howard has a long show. And he does this, you know, every weekday, and you eventually run out of guests, and someone must have brought this to Howard and said, look at this guy, he's really interesting. And But I'm know, saying, okay, eight years ago, when he was in his peak, his prime, when, you know, everyone was talking about him at the water cooler every morning, could he have, would he have got a Blitzerian on his show? I, I think allowed. if he was fascinated by the topic, I mean, look, I, I was on the Howard Stern show for 15 minutes. <laughs> 
So, and that was during his prime in, in the 90s. So if he finds the situation interesting, even if you are not a famous person yourself uh, or, or super famous, then uh, you can be on there. So I, I don't think this speaks badly of Howard. Uh, though I understand your point that maybe Howard is, is losing his edge and, and he has to get on anyone who's even semi-interesting. But uh, I, I don't think this is so much about Bilzerian's fame, but no. more of just like he has a degenerate story that Howard felt would play well with his audience, you know, given now, all the sex. Could you tell me and, again, still keeping with our time frame, why, uh, the Howard Stern, why were you on Howard Stern again? I was on Howard Stern in 1996 because I hacked Daniel Carver, the KKK guy's answering machine, and changed the message to a parody of itself. <laughs> and, uh, and then I called up the Howard Stern show. I did this over the weekend. And on Monday morning, when it was on the East Coast Monday morning, so 3 a.m. L.A. time, Howard was beginning at 6. That was the Gary Delabati heydays, right? Yes. I, in fact, I called up. I spoke to uh, Stuttering John first. Then he played my call, or what I had changed the answering machine of Daniel Carver's, he played it to Baba Booey, who thought it was really funny. And then Baba Booey called me. And told me that he wants me on the show, but of all things, they were having a live Sting concert on Howard Stern for like 45 minutes from China. Like for whatever reason, they never did this on Howard, but for some reason, Sting was calling in from China and playing a concert for 45 minutes on Howard Stern. So they couldn't preempt Sting for me, so they told me, hey, we're going to call you back in 45 minutes when this is over. So I'm like, okay, sure. So it's 3 in the morning, I have to work the next day. It was in the 90s, you know, I wasn't a poker player then. So I was 24 years old. Uh, I had a full-time job. Went back to sleep, put the phone right next to me. <laughs> phone rang, picked it up, and you know, there was Howard. And I, I just went on from there. So I was on for 15 minutes, and uh, it was played like they re-ran it a total of like seven times, and I was even nominated for an FME, but didn't win one for, for best uh, phony phone call or something. Anyway, uh, so it shows like they'll just put on there something that people – would find interesting or be relevant or semi-relevant to the show. So here, because Bilzerian has all this sex with beautiful women and all that, they they think this kind of matches with Howard's audience. So now, Second question. I mean, we're not young Steins anymore. At this point in your life, this age, and of course, you know, hypothetically, there's no beautiful fiancé. Could you have sex with a stripper? With the condom on and, and get off without Viagra? Yeah, yeah. No, that hasn't affected me at all. I, I'm actually the same – I had the same ability to do that as I did 20 years ago. Now, you've never been problematic with condoms? I, I'd much rather there isn't one. But, but I'm saying um, in terms of the, the delay. I mean sometimes you know it can take a while with the condom on. Oh. I uh, found that to be a problematic. Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean no different than 20 years ago. Uh, okay, it's just, so it's, uh, just, it's been the same. Okay. It's pretty much the same. Yeah. Yeah. It hasn't, uh, like I, I haven't felt a need to take anything like, like Viagra at any time. I, I really haven't. And, you know, maybe that day will come eventually as I get older, but it, I, I really haven't aged in that way yet. Thankfully there's, there's been other things in my body that have aged and, and some things that haven't. So, uh, anyway, this is Dan Blazerian talking about, why he gets to play poker with all these really rich guys, where all these rich fish are coming from, and why they play with him, and why he has the opportunity to play with them. This is pretty much him trying to convince us. Is that us. awkward for you? The chat seems to think it was awkward. 
I mean, I feel like I can. No, ask. no, you can ask questions. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know why they say it's awkward. I I've talked about matters like this a number of times on my own when the chat room says something. In fact, I I probably say too much on this show, but uh, okay. you know, usually when the chat room just says something like that, I I answer it. Yeah, I don't find it awkward. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. So what's this? It's in fact, yeah, it was it was a uh, it was a sick brag. You know, I'm trying to say, hey, I'm the same same as 20 years ago. All right, here, here's the clip of Bilzerian talking about why the rich fish play poker with him. Exactly, and that's kind of one of the reasons also why um, I was making a lot of money doing the poker is just because, you know, my house is such like a cool place to go. I mean, I have hot chicks there. I got the chefs. I'm, you know, in the Hollywood Hills. I got this great view, and it's just kind of like a fun spot for these guys to go. Who are the guys who get to do this? I mean, it seems to me like being your friend would be a real good fucking thing in life. I, I'm a good friend, you know. Are these all famous people that are uh, friendly with you, or are they just regular dudes who get to live the lifestyle through you? Mostly regular, like, professional dudes. You know, the funny thing is, like, the, the celebrities and the famous people really don't have, like, the big money. I mean, relative, obviously. I mean, it's everything's relative. But, right. I mean, we're talking about guys that have billions of dollars, you know. So it's just, like, it's such mind-blowing amounts of money. I mean. And most of your friends are, like, billionaire types? Because... No, no, not most. Just, I mean, just some and, uh, and, a few, and you know, hopefully the ones that I'm gambling with. Well, you even said, like, a guy like Toby Maguire, you kind of said, I, you didn't call him a pussy, but you said he, he bets like a pussy because. Well, he was, at the time, he was playing really nitty. Like, he, you know, he was. You know, it wasn't a big game. It, it's like I said, it's all relative. Like I started off playing a hundred dollar buy-in. You know what but I mean? But you got but annoyed the, with him because he was not betting enough. Well, it's just that he he argued for like four minutes about he wanted to split a pot. Not arguing, but he was like trying to convince the guy to split a pot. He had nothing. He had no pair, no draw, and he was just like you know trying to get the guy to chop the pot with him. And it wasn't a lot of money relative to the game that was in the thing. So it was just like it was just a waste of everybody's time. That was right. all. You know, and that could annoy you because it interrupts the flow of the game. Yeah, right? you know, it's like it was just unnecessary. You know, it's just like you know, and the guy had you know he had good money. He's you know worth forty, fifty million at least. I mean, so right. like, what are we doing here for you know fifteen thousand dollars? So this is him criticizing uh, Toby Maguire and you know obviously saying that he plays in the same home games that Toby Maguire plays in that uh, are, are very lucrative games. So I believe that Bilzerian is winning in poker. I, I believe he's doing well. Uh, I don't believe that he's won $50 million this year. I, I just don't. Uh, and if he has it, it definitely isn't typical. But, uh, I mean, I heard Toby Maguire was the biggest shark in those games, and here Bilzerian saying that he's worth $40, 50000000 million total. And yet, That's Bil- what I was just thinking. So basically, he earned, well, he's, Howard said he's worth your young guy, you're worth $100 million, So he's basically saying he earned half his net worth this year in poker. Yeah, and I'm saying he's saying Toby McGuire's worth forty, fifty million. But I'm saying if if Toby McGuire, who, who's been no, by all accounts, no way Toby's only worth forty or fifty million. But no, but the thing is, Bilzerian thinks that. So if Bilzerian thinks that, and if uh, Toby McGuire, by all accounts, has been killing these games, how has Dan Bilzerian in just six months this year made right, fifty million total? Gotcha. Like it's, it just doesn't make sense. It's uh, again, it's I believe Bilzerian's winning in these games. I believe he's a favorite in these games because the lineup he's playing against is not very good. Uh, probably Toby Maguire is, is the toughest competition there. So, uh, but he's basically saying that these guys play with him because he's got this awesome house that's so fun with all these hot chicks hanging around. They just want to go there, and then uh, one of the things they do is play poker. But then you hear Toby Maguire's there. It just kind of sounds like this is the Hollywood home game. Period. I read something. Uh, I don't know. I think it was last week or two that the hostess. I, I remember her name is Molly. Something. Yeah, Molly Bloom. Yeah, is coming out with some book. 
And she basically, in this book, paints Tobey Maguire, they had some excerpts of the book, to be like a, basically a Zack, a big snake in the grass. <laughs> that he just make her bark like a dog and just was a cheap motherfucker and... Do you know, have you seen any of this or heard about this? Yeah, I've heard about this. And who knows? You know, Molly Bloom, I don't know how much you can trust her. And, uh, is she hot? She's, uh, picture she's in her late 30s, I believe. And she got busted in that whole uh, trencher ring in the, in the East Coast with that, that sports betting with the Russians. Yeah. And uh, so I, I don't know how much you can trust her. Anyway, you, anyone who's kind of like a host, you, you, they, they, their whole profession has to do with hustling. So when they make claims like this, you always have to take it with a grain of salt. So I don't know whether I should believe it or not. Um, when I saw Tommy McGuire, I, you know, I've seen him playing poker. I've never played with him, but I, I've watched him at the next table playing. Um, I, I saw a few times when he had this girlfriend for a while that he was uh, always with, and he was, you know, I saw her at the Bellagio Cafe with him. He always just kind of seems low-key. He, he didn't seem like an asshole. When he married the, the uh, producer's daughter? I think it may be the one he married. I didn't really follow what happened after that, yeah. but uh, but he, he always just kind of seemed low key to me. And so, you know, if he maybe he was an asshole behind the scenes of these games, I don't know. But I, I didn't see it when I witnessed him. Uh, I remember one game, one time. You remember when the Bellagio was remodeling remodeling their poker room and they moved all the poker tables out in the main floor? Yes, I do. Yes, yeah, so, uh, I remember one time I was playing hundred two hundred limit hold'em. And there's this huge crowd surrounding my table. And I thought, wow, why is this so exciting? Why does everyone want to see 100-200 limit hold'em? And I, I felt like a big celebrity. And then I looked over, and I saw at the next table, which is in the inside, so there's no way to directly rail it, was Toby McGuire and railing him, you know, sitting right next to him, was Leo DiCaprio. I played with him once. With Leo? Yeah, that's by far the biggest celebrity I've ever played with. Hmm. Played uh, 1020 at the Bellagio, no limit with him back in the day. It was actually during uh, the World Series. Was he any good? I played one hand with him. Um, I, I remember the hand really well. I had ace 10, and I ended up spiking an ace, and I, I don't remember how the betting went except for I just bet every street, and he called. And uh, played maybe two or three orbits, and the funny thing and this is, you know, I like him as an actor, so I'm not bashing him, but while he was there, he was actually studying a script, which later turned out to be, uh, what was the movie again, the one in Boston with uh, Mark Wahlberg, the undercover cops, Matt Damon? Oh, yeah, I'm forgetting the name, too. That was a movie. Uh, what the hell? The Departed. Uh, he, but he was sitting at the poker table reading lines of the script, which I found <laughs> a little pretentious, Drew, I'm not going to lie. I mean, really, you know, but... Uh, I, I, there wasn't enough time, and I think that might have even been the only hand he played to determine whether I thought he was good or not. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, what kind but, of sucks yeah, about that's that, too, is he's... the biggest celebrity, and when I played uh, the main event in, was it 2000, either, no, 2008? Yeah, 2008, I think it was. I had Emmett Smith directly to my right for the first four hours. Okay. I almost never get celebrities directly at my table. just never okay. seems to happen for me. Yeah. Um, Hold on one second. My coffee's here. <laughs> he ordered coffee. Wow. See, most people just go and get their own coffee and make it themselves. But here, here it's coming to Brandon. It shows you uh, the big time Brandon is hitting these days. This is why he's not on the show every week. He's getting his I'm sorry, coffee. I'm sorry, he does Starbucks. I, I, was just con- I was just commenting, you're getting your coffee delivered. Mm. I mean, that's that's a big deal. 
You're, you're not going and buying your own plugs, I can tell. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, so that's that's why he claims people are playing with him. Now, here's why he is single. He apparently had a girlfriend up until two days ago, so he says. The heart attack had a girlfriend. I, I actually just broke up with my girlfriend uh, two days ago. So. Why? Um, just because... I, I uh, I felt like she wasn't happy. Like the lifestyle that I'm living right now is just not conducive to have a girlfriend. And she was a super cool girl. Super and cool, cool meaning. And I read something about this. I don't know who the girl is, but she was open to threesome. Yeah. She was open to you fucking other girls and stuff, and and all of that. You can't find a cooler chick than that. Yeah, no, she was as solid as they come. I mean, she'd rub my feet, give me a back massage. I mean, she was awesome. She'd cook for me, do whatever, and she was, you know. She had a degree. She was a solid girl. She wasn't a model. She was, you know, she had a real career before that. And um, it, it's just a shame because I'm just in a spot in my life. I don't know. When I was a little kid, like, I was, just want to be a rock star, you know, and it's like kind of now I'm a rock star minus the rock. And, right. I mean, I, I had a, you know, I had a good friend that was a rock star, and I went on tour with him, and it was like the most disappointing thing in my life. You know, <laughs> you're having way more fun. <laughs> yeah, way more fun. And right. so I'm just like, at the end of the day. And you day, know what else is good about you? You're not that well known where you, like, you can walk around right. and have a, a life. Rich. Oh, look, look, Brandon, even Howard's acknowledging he doesn't have a big star on the show. Yep. Not famous. Right. Well, yeah. believe it or not, it's getting to the point where um, it's 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 a little crazy. I mean, you wouldn't think it. You know, it's Instagram, it's whatever, it's social media. But I was in Minnesota, and I'm with my family, and 40 people came. I mean, a sheriff came up, followed our boat in, and asked to take. A, I swear to God, I asked to take a picture with me. You know, it's like, wild because these kids, even uh, the kids, really do know you because yeah. like Gary's kids were like, "Wow, he's coming in!" Like they they, they were like out of their minds. It, it's it's really surprising how and it's happened so fast it's almost like i just woke up one day and i was famous and it's really it's a it's a weird thing to say like the internet made you famous yeah it's, it's kind of crazy and, and, and you why hired did you a... do that why did you want to go on the internet and and display your life um it, it, i don't know it was just kind of like the thing like everybody's doing instagram and i was just doing a lot of cool shit and <laughs> It wasn't. It was. It's not like I like set out to become famous from Instagram. Right. That was never like. You were just having fun. I mean, honestly, truth be told, it was kind of like my ex was all into this Instagram stuff, and she'd always give me shit about like, oh, I got a hundred thousand followers, and you're known as my, you know, you're known as my boyfriend or whatever, not the other way around, and this and that, and uh, and and I kind of like, I just wanted to hang out in Vegas and and like, you know, travel and do cool shit, and she like really wanted to go to L.A. and become a star. I think he's talking about that, uh, what was it, like the stripper, playboy model, whatever, like Jessa Hinton or something was her name? Yeah, no, that, that, that's exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. They had a tumultuous relationship, those two kids. They, they did, yeah. I, I noticed that. But what do you expect? You date a girl like that, of course it's going to be a tumultuous relationship. Yeah. But uh, this girl he's talking about that he just broke up with, uh, that, that was rubbing his feet and cooking for him, and despite having an advanced degree, and uh, pretty much sounds like she revolved her life around him. I, I have to think that if he didn't have the money he did, she wouldn't be doing that for him. Like, to that much, to that extent. Absolutely. Yeah. You just, uh, like, I'm not saying you can't find a girl who does that for you, but usually you have a girl who goes through and gets, you know, gets... Uh, the advanced education and, and gets a career going and uh um you know they, usually they're not doing that so they can just you know rub some dude's feet and, and uh cook for him all the time 
But uh, I guess if the guy has $100 million, then uh, they're willing to do that. Now, let me ask you, again, you know, I'm just, not to be too personal, but, you know, we've got a long friendship here now. Now, your beautiful uh, fiancé, uh, oh, by, by the way, you're, you're not married, right? You're still... Yeah, I know. So it was funny. I, I dropped some things that were weird. Well, yeah, this is what happened. Kids coming and wives and this. This is what happened. This is what happened. I made a post on the forum where I copied and pasted something I posted from another forum, where I referred to uh, the girl I'm with, Benjamin's mom, as my wife because it was simpler than it was a forum. People didn't know me personally that well. And I, I didn't feel like uh, yeah, explaining okay, her as a girlfriend. So I, it was just a simpler way to put it. So I just copy and pasted it, and I didn't bother to say, this is copied from another form. I just dropped it there. And then people thought, what? Your wife? Like, what's this about? So, no, I'm not married yet. I, I would tell people if I was. Uh, people have asked me. Would you tell me? Yeah, I would, I would tell yeah, everybody. Tell about the Iraqi ski team. I tell them, too. I tell the Iraqi ski team. I tell her It's not a secret. And... <laughs> Uh, I would invite them to the wedding. What does that but... even mean? Why is it the Iraq? I mean, I don't, I don't even know. Is it's... the joke because you can't ski in Iraq? I assume. Yeah, yeah, it's something okay. like that. Yeah, but I, I, it it just hasn't happened because it hasn't happened. And that, that's really the answer. It's not because uh, you know we're not sure where our relationship's going. Uh, basically, we made that decision four years ago, when uh, over four years ago, when. Uh, uh, we chose to have a child together, and it was not an accident, as I've said before. And at that point, I, I wasn't going to get someone pregnant on purpose and then think, oh, maybe this will work, maybe it won't. I mean, you never know the future for sure, but I, I did that believing that that it would work. And, uh, uh, you know, as as time passed, uh, and, and, and obviously we stayed together, uh, it was like we were married. So, and, and that's the way it was then. That's the way it is now. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's why we haven't actually gone and done it because it's, it's almost uh, redundant at this point, but we will eventually. It just, just hadn't happened. So, yeah. Anyway. Now, was there ever any concern? I mean, I know you knew her before and you guys reunited that maybe she was only interested in you because of your limit Hold'em bracelet of 2000 and, <laughs> <laughs> Does that ever occur? Well, yeah, I'll tell you. I, I think I've mentioned before, but I'll say it again. Um, something that was a concern when I became single again in 2009, and also in 2008, when I was uh, single for a few months then as well, uh, was what do I tell girls that I'm starting to date as far as what I do for a living? If I talk about, and I'm sure you run into this too, uh, if I talk about being a professional poker player, it conjures one of two images. Uh, either a guy who has a lot of money that you can, you know, be a gold digger and, uh, you know, use and take advantage of, or someone who's an unstable degenerate that you want to stay away from because he's going to go broke. So either way, I, I don't want to be seen that way. And, uh, so I, I was very careful to try to explain to her that I'm different than most pro poker players and that, uh, basically I'm a cheap Jew and, and I'm, I'm very careful not to shoot off the money that I have and uh, and and she was pretty convinced of that and uh, you know I, I, I broke it down for her and she understood and uh, you know some girls would still say you forget it I don't want any part of that I don't want to be with someone who does that I want a guy with a pro- conventional profession and uh, fortunately she was also with me before 
Black Friday came and it kind of changed all the online stuff. So I was still making good money, and she got to watch me making good money playing poker uh, prior to all that happening. So even now when the, when there's the down years, uh, and, and she understands about the legalization and that eventually poker is going to come back and uh, um, you know, it'll be somewhat like the old days again, probably not quite as good. But, uh, but she understands all of it, and uh, she understood all of it then. And uh, I, I've always had a good feel whether a girl is, is going to be using me for money or not. And in fact, I don't really attract that many that use for money because, because I'm a cheap Jew. Uh, not that I'm really cheap when I, I would take girls out on dates, but, but I would never be one to throw money at girls and, and, show, and say, hey, look at all this money I have. Look at all I'm going to spend on you. you know, hang out with me for that reason. So, and and I'm, I'm pretty good at being able to tell who genuinely likes me and who is uh, who would just be trying to use me for money. And then there were a few that I suspected that of, and then uh, after that I stopped seeing them. So, but this one I yeah I never suspected that of her. We have a call coming in here. Okay, turn off your radio, caller. You're on the air. Caller, you're on the air. Turn off the radio. All right, they're not listening to me. Oh, wait, it's Brandon, it's you? What the hell is that? Brandon. Yeah. Well, hey, Iceman, I'm, I'm on the radio with Donald now. Do you, uh, oh, you have the Iceman. <laughs> are you going to be awake for a while? I can call you after radio, or I can call you on radio. What do you want me to do, buddies? we got a lot of catching up to do. I'm back, baby. I'm back on the streets. I did my time. I'm out. No probation, just supervised release. <laughs> They got me on some trouble. It had to funny enough do with Michael. It got me on some trumped up money laundering bullshit of Dunktown, <laughs> and it, it, it doesn't even matter, buddy. It's all good now. I'm free. I'm on the streets. I'm happy. Life's good. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. Well, how about, do you want me to, I'll give you a call when, like, when radio's done with Donald? Do you want me to give you a ring now? What do you want me to do, brother? Okay, yeah, I'll give you a call. I'll give you a call. Well, you call me when you're done with the movies. Okay, how about that? What what, what movie are you taking your little princess to go see? Oh, that's cute. All right, it's good to hear from you, brother. I missed you. Donald misses you. I mean, he, 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 I got to tell you, for, for you, you find out, and I'm not saying nothing against you because you didn't know, but you find out who your true friends are when you're away. Because Donald came every week, saw me, bring me, you know, put money in my commissary at a Snickers bar. I mean, Donald was real good to me. I mean, it just, you, know, you learn. Yeah. I would have the same thing. Nobody told me nothing. Yeah. I, yeah. I know. I kept it on the down low. Yeah. Uh oh. Call uh, call what? back. Call back. Disconnected Brandon there. See now it's on hold. What a mess. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sounds good, money. I'll be home. I'll be off with Donald. So yeah, give me a give me a ring. We'll talk. Let's just out to 
absolutely. Brothers for life, Iceman. I'll talk to you later, brother. Love you, too. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. Enjoy Spider-Man 5. <laughs> so, uh, Brandon, yeah, I... talk with Iceman. Did I you? know. I, I, I blame the poor caller for not turning off the radio. I'm just hearing that rah, 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 in the background. I'm going, damn, caller won't turn off the radio. So I hung up on him, and yeah. then it turned out to be you talking to the Iceman, and then... The caller called back a little bit later, and I tried to put them on. And then I, I hit the wrong button, and I put you on hold, and I had to hang up on them. So whoever that is wants to call back, they can. I apologize for having to hang up I on them. I apologize. But we had Iceman without Iceman even knowing it was on. Yeah, I know. I know. You know. I don't know what to put in the archive description if we have him on or not. But we'll have him on the next time I come back. Yeah, yeah, that's good. We'll have him on in a year when Newhouse makes the third final table. and uh, He's going to go see Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man. Has, didn't that come out a, quite a while ago? I, I thought so. He'd probably go into like the Dollar Theater, oh, where like six months later you he can watch the first one. He sounds a little down his luck, huh? Well, at least he can afford the dollar for his kid for the Amazing Spider-Man. I mean, I, I remember uh, in '92 when I was 20 years old, and I was the struggling college student. Uh, I, I had a girlfriend who was actually an older woman, two years older than me, who was 22, and and I actually. Um, took her to one of those type of movie theaters. This wasn't on the first date or anything, but after we'd been together a while, I, I actually took her to this one, uh, I think it was called The Pepper Tree in the San Fernando Valley, and it was like $2, and and uh, we'd see movies that were like a few months old. And I thought, oh, what a good deal. It's like the movie's only a few months old, but we're still watching the theater, and it's like 2 bucks. I so, did that in college. You had those dollar theaters. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So you asked about Bilzerian throwing the stripper off the roof. This is his explanation for that one. I said to me last night, you took this um, uh, chick and you threw her off a roof. She asked you to, I guess. Well, uh, <laughs> what happened there? So, yeah, that was, um, also wanted to do a photo shoot with me and they, um, they wanted, you know, they wanted some badass pictures and I jumped off my roof before some girls and, um, so they suggested that I uh, that I toss her off the roof by her vagina. Wow! And uh, I've never done that. Yeah, oh, it, was, it was it was a first for me. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I I you know she she was all about it. She was really excited about it. So we proceeded to do the snatch toss. And uh, and is, she, there, is that what it's called, snatch toss? I, I named it that. How do you wow. do that? I, is that like dwarf tossing? Vagina like a, I figured it was like an Olympic sounding name, you know. And you did, and she broke her foot. And then she tried to sue you, but I guess you, she backed off because. Well, she practically—I mean, if you watch the video, she literally ripped the shirt off of my back, and, I, and you can even hear me in the thing saying, "Okay, you gotta let go of me." And we even did like the one-two-three practice, right? And she just—I don't know—like a fucking scared cat just hung on, and almost pulled me with her, and uh, and and you know the whole thing afterwards. She's like, "You know, I'm, I'm not gonna sue you, blah blah." You know, well, she she said that on the very last on the way out. Yeah. Um, you know, because at first you wanted an apology, and I'm like, "Fuck you! What do you want me to apologize for? Well, like, this is you, something you, you almost want killed me." Yeah, you know? uh, and, and I, was, you know, I was just doing what I, you know I was supposed to do, and uh, and then you know, of course, I figured, you know, once the uh, once the video got out and TMZ got a hold of it and whatever, I got to figure you're a target. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So you know, so she found some retard lawyer that drafted up a letter and figured to get a quick payday on a settlement deal, and uh, my you boy Tom Goldstein. Fix that pretty quick. Oh, Tom Goldstein. Huh? Yeah. All right, there you go. Now, tell me about your... Okay, so that's uh, his explanation. I believe him. I think that uh, it's pretty clear from watching the video the girl has grabbed his shirt, and that's what caused her to not make a clean landing into the pool, and that's what happened. It wasn't his fault, and, uh, yeah, just going after Blazarian's deep pockets. That letter was hilarious. That was I mean, a funny I, I just laughed, and 
then I Googled the guy's name because I'm just thinking, you know, is this real? Is this, you know, just a level? And fucking, I mean, he literally is one of the best Supreme Court appellate lawyers in the world. Yeah, he really is. <laughs> that was I a mean, great lawyer. I said, I said, I want to hire this guy to, you know, soup six-toed Pete. This guy would uh, decimate him. I mean, but I, yeah. I don't want to say nothing to ruin the mood of it, but he wished me luck on my youth mark. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the tweet. If you were mentioned in it too. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so anyway, uh, nice man. was in two movies. One he had a bit part, and the other one, more interestingly, called The Lone Survivor. He financed a million dollars of it, and as part of the agreement that he would finance a million dollars, and when I say finance, he actually was owning a piece of the movie, but he, you know, he did have to put up his million dollars, and he didn't know if the movie would make money or lose money, so he was investing. Uh, for this million-dollar investment, the terms would be that he would have a certain amount of screen time, I think eight minutes, and if he didn't have that amount of screen time, then it was spelled out very clearly in the contract that they would pay like a fine to him, for not having him in for that long. And uh, it was like, if he's in for anywhere between two minutes and zero seconds and two minutes, 59 seconds, he could pay this much. And like, it, it explained how the studio is, is going to have to pay him if they don't keep to their agreement. And th- what they meant was like, when the movie actually comes out, uh, that's what it's based upon, not how much is actually filmed and then cut. So it was a very clear contract. I read the contract and Bilzerian was 100% in the right in this situation. He spelled it out very clearly. He knew the Hollywood shenanigans that go on. He knew they'd promise him one thing and do another. So he he foresaw this. He made it very clear in the contract. They violated it. Some arrogant director violated it because he he felt like he wanted his artistic freedom. And uh, Bilzerian was totally in the right in this one. Uh, But interestingly, it has a postscript that I didn't know until you hear what he said ended up happening from this lawsuit, and uh, this is the last thing I'll play from the interview. This is near the end. Cool part, but it's just, yeah, it's real. You know what I heard about you? You put up money to uh, finance um, The Lone Survivor, which is, uh, you put in a million bucks into that movie. That was uh, Pete Berg's movie. Yep. And uh, the movie about soldiers and stuff, I saw, I love that movie. So you were one of the producers of it. Yeah, yeah, I put in a million, and... uh, Why'd you put in a million? Who convinced you to do that? uh, This guy, Randall Emmett, um, and he, you know, he's really, you know, gung-ho about funding the movie and this and that, and uh, basically... Uh, I said, you know, I'll do it, but I want a part in the movie. And uh, I talked to Pete, and Pete promised me, you know, he said eight minutes of screen time, and I'll have uh, 80, 80, 80 words or whatever it was. And um, the movie was important to me because, you know, I went through SEAL training with this guy, Shane Patton, and he died on the thing. And the guy that I wanted to play, he wasn't even going to be represented in the movie, and he's the reason that another buddy of mine is alive today. He pulled him off the helicopter. And... You know, I don't know. I just thought it was like kind of messed up that this guy, you know, went in. He's going to, you know, gave his life up to save Marcus, and they weren't even going to mention his name, and still didn't even really mention the name. Um, so and, when you saw the movie and you were cut out of the movie, only about <clears throat> you're only in for about a minute. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you were pissed. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, you know, you look, put up a million bucks. Uh, you know, I'm just the type of guy where if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. And if somebody tells me they're going to do something, I expect them to do it. And I'm just, you know, I'm a was there a written guy. contract about it? Yeah, yeah oh, there the was. was written up. So then, what happened? Uh, did you sue them? Yeah, I said, look, you know, you, you didn't you make know, it, and I'd seen it before, you know, and I knew it was, you know, short. And I told the guys, I said, look, you, did you win a lawsuit? 
Well, the movie did so damn well that I'm going to end up getting more just, you know, riding the movie out. So it was, it was you know, it's kind of like an insurance policy. I had the movie not have done well. What was the budget on that movie? Uh, $40 million. And so when you put up a million, what's your return on that? I got 3% of the back end, and I'm getting 1.5 back. Wow. So, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Look at you. I know. Charm. So, so basically, he sued them, but only in case the movie lost money, so this way he would come out ahead either way, that either he would make money because he'd win the lawsuit because they violated the contract and his contract explained the punitive terms for violating the contract, or, or if uh, the movie made money, then he would drop the lawsuit and just make money from his investment in the movie. So he pretty much was free-rolling the studio at that point once they didn't put him in for the time they claimed. So uh, I was a little surprised by that because I thought he was suing them more for the reason of uh, the principle of it and and not so much of uh, giving himself a free roll. But I understand at the same time it's kind of weird to be suing them to basically get out of your investment and get your uh, the, the punitive damage that's outlined in the contract but then no longer have the investment. Why do that if you've if you're going to make more money by just doing nothing? So I understand it. Otherwise, he's throwing money away, and uh, I, I'd probably do the same in his shoes. So uh, good for good for Dan Blazerian for seeing what might happen there and uh, having the contract and then pretty much free-rolling them at that point. That was uh, a pretty good spot to be in where you know you're going to make money either way no matter how the money movie does. Very few people who have invested in movies can ever say that. So uh, I know we have a listener here who goes by... Uh, I think S858Deuce, he's uh, he's a guy from San Diego. He's actually a quadriplegic, and he listens to this show. And Dan Bilzerian heard about this guy and took him skydiving. Uh, a quadriplegic actually went skydiving, and Dan Bilzerian actually took him uh, just out of the goodness of his heart uh, because he wanted to do something nice for this guy, being he was a quadriple- quadriplegic. And, uh, you know, Dan obviously had the resources to take him to do that. And I, I thought that was very nice of Dan to do, and... Uh, you know, there's a lot of good things to be said about Dan Bilzerian, and I, I hope we can have him on the show next week. And very interesting guy. Uh, as I said, the only things I don't really believe are his stories about where his money came from, where it comes from, how much he makes in poker, about his dad. Anything related to his dad or money, I don't buy. Uh, the rest of what he says, I believe, is uh, very close to the truth, or is the truth. So, uh, overall, my opinion of Dan Bilzerian is positive, and in fact, when the Wall Street Journal called me, and uh, wanted to interview me about him, which I thought was kind of funny because I don't know him very well. But uh, they found in some forum posts where I talked about a 2007 encounter I had with Bilzerian, which wasn't even that exciting by itself. But uh, I, I I spoke positively of him. And I said the poker world mainly sees him as a positive figure because he's never been involved in any scandals. He seems pretty straightforward. And uh, whenever there seems to be a dispute involving him, he always ends up being in the right. So I agree. Anyway, uh, we'll we'll see if we can have him on uh, either next week or next year when Newhouse makes his third final table, depending on uh, you know what Brandon's schedule might be. I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm a little rusty. Remember, I came on earlier with the whole bike analogy. Kind of feel like I'm off my game. No, today. no, no. I, I I think you're doing well here. I think I, I was actually getting I the know. feeling like wow. I kind of feel like just we're back uh, back to the old radio. I I, I kind of was recognizing the things the show was missing. During the time you've been gone, I, I've the kind banner of, between us. Yeah, I, I was just kind of just thinking of of uh, how the show used to be and how it's different now. And Garrett, uh, Garrett may be pompous, capricious, 
but he ain't no Gazad. <laughs> yeah. That's so, true. Right? To be fair to Garrett, he was only on one time, but we've we've had a, a revolving door of co-hosts, and, and recently it's actually been more just me, which is, to be honest, uh, pretty tough to do, especially on a, a show where there's real content and I've got to kind of just keep talking. I, I know you've done some, like, super marathon long shows by yourself and... Uh, I went 72 hours once, Jeff. You, you did. That's I went true. three fucking days. All right. So uh, this this is uh, – I'm actually running out of time here, but uh, – Shout out to TMLK. Caesars Atlantic City got robbed, I think yesterday or something, of uh, $180,000 cash. That's pretty pretty big score that's, for a robbery. Yeah, and uh, so here's the story of what happened there. This is pretty amazing that this could even occur. I mean, it's one thing to just grab chips and run out of a tray, but to rob the Caesars Atlantic City at gunpoint for 180k cash and get out of there is pretty amazing. This is early in the morning uh, on Monday, so it was yesterday, at 6 a.m. Eastern Time. Two suspects came in. One of them had a, a gun. And they they swiped what are called cash boxes. I don't know how they got to them, and and fled in a car. They well, you pl- get to them because uh, in the middle of the night or early in the morning, when they're doing what's called uh, it's, they're called it's called drop team. And what drop team is is drop team are the individuals that every night empty out what's called the stackers or also known as the cans, which contain the amount of money that are in the slot machine. Mm-hmm. Those are replaced every 24 hours um, just to, you know, make sure that they're empty so, you know, slot people can have a full can to, you know, keep sticking their money in the next day. Because once they're full, uh, you can't – the machine basically will be out of order until the next 24 hours until they're replaced. Yeah, the machine actually says it's on tilt, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And they don't – they won't come just to – you know, change one machine. So all machines in every casino are 24 hours every day changed. So that's that's what they got at. Um, so I'm sorry. Go ahead. So how did they get to the cash boxes? These are usually very closely guarded when they take these out. So how did they just uh, show up with a gun and say, hand these over? Like, weren't they being guarded by several armed guards as they're doing this? Usually there's like six to eight people, um, you know, at minimum that are doing this. Uh, and they usually carry weapons as well. But, I, you know, I would assume just like any other job, I mean, if someone puts a gun to them, they're not going to, you know, it's not their money. I mean, they're not going to pull their arms and, you know, guns out and have a shootout in the middle of the Caesars. They're just going to give it up. Yeah, maybe they so, were observing these people at uh, Caesars Atlantic City before this and saw the ones that were vulnerable to, you know, they're kind of just going about their job. Even though they have guns, they're really not paying attention to what they're doing that much because they do it every day. Is, those jobs don't pay very well. Yeah. They pay between like $10 and $16 an hour. So you're not going to get the creme de la creme of, you know, it's not like you have former Marines and former, you know, people that were in, in you know, the military or, you know, just some sort of, uh, you know, uh, arm, you know what I'm saying? You, you don't, you know, you're just you're literally getting rent a cop. Yeah, you don't, you don't have the A-team. The equivalent really. of people that are circling an apartment complex. Yeah, you don't have you the know, A-team. You don't have uh... the whatever. The, yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Okay. Yeah, I, I get it. So, so anyway, they got away with 180000 in cash. They said, screw this. We're not going to go after chips. We're going to go after these cash boxes because now once we get out of there, if we don't get caught uh, – well, that makes sense because the chips they would never be able to catch. Yeah, it's too hard. So they they twenties and you know fives and hundreds. I mean, so many small denominations. You know, they they have no problem laundering it. Yeah. So uh, I wonder if they will catch them. If they, I mean, they probably have video of them, but uh, who knows? Who knows uh, what they know? Yeah, what they don't know? Masks, so yeah. Yeah, maybe they have video of the car. Who knows? But uh, I guess we will see if they get caught. Well, you know, it happens a lot. I mean, people. You know, have that misinterpretation from uh, those Ocean Eleven movies that you know, no one's ever been able to rob a casino and get away with it. When in fact, that's a huge myth. I mean, since I've lived here, I mean, obviously the Bellagio one is, is the most notorious that people heard of. But since I've lived here several times, the Orleans been robbed, the Gold Coast has been robbed, and people have gotten away with it. Yeah. Um, in fact, more times than not, people get away with it. Uh, you know, the biggest—I don't know if you even know—the biggest. Casino heist ever in Las Vegas was uh, the one woman that worked for uh, one of the armed guard companies that, re- that refilled the ATMs. It was during a fight weekend. This is maybe 15 years ago. And they got away with like $18 million. Oh, I remember that, yeah. And then the thing, this is what's really amazing about it, is that they got away completely. And she went to, I want to say Holland, but definitely somewhere in Europe. It was a boyfriend girlfriend thing, and they had broken up. She got married had a kid, changed her name, and they had no idea, totally off the radar. I mean, she'd been living, you know, under assumed name, assumed life for, you know, 15 years. Her husband had no idea. Her in-laws had no idea. And she felt tremendous remorse and uh, contacted, funny enough, uh, Chestnoff here in Vegas, and they arranged to uh, return, you know, for her to come back and for her to surrender. I think she got like three to four years in prison. Hmm. And, uh, you know, she claimed that the money was all gone, that the guy that she was with at the time duped her, and he took all the money. But uh, anyhow, it's a huge fallacy that people believe that Vegas, no one ever gets away with robbing casinos in Vegas. It, just, it isn't true. It happens all the time. Yeah, and the truth is, uh, you know, even $180,000 sounds like a lot of money. To something like Caesars Atlantic City, it's really not. They uh, That's a drop in the bucket for them. I, I know that Atlantic I mean, City they, itself is struggling. Uh, what's but... the guy again with the sports betting ring? Oh, uh, Paul Fua. It's a fluid hitting the bank on the Bakker on one hand. I mean, yeah. really, it yeah. really is. It just sounds big to individuals thinking of 180000 but but the truth is uh, for the casino, especially a large one like Caesars, it's nothing, and that's just the cost of doing business. They don't like when it happens, but it's, it's not devastating. Uh, speaking of devastating, though, in Atlantic City, uh, they've basically been devastated by uh, – the fact that gamblers aren't coming there anymore because there's many other options now on the East Coast. I discussed this last week on the show that with options with the various Indian casinos and, and other cities that are now making uh, gambling legal on the East, it's no longer the case. You have to go to Atlantic City if you want to gamble on the East Coast. So Atlantic City is uh, drying up more and more, uh, and there's closures that have been going on. Uh, but something interesting that is being – theorized by Haley Hintz on uh, FleshDraw.net is that the showboat closure, the showboat is a Caesars property. It's one of four Caesars properties in Atlantic City. It is slated to close. It's uh, also the lowest tier of all it of is. them as well. It is. It's, it's, it's far. A, it's a shithole. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. But it, it's slated to close. And Haley is theorizing that this closure is somewhat related, of all things, to the 
poker stars being shut out of New Jersey situation. And you recall with that what happened was that uh, poker stars wanted to buy the struggling Atlantic Club casino, which is not a Caesars property, but they wanted to buy that struggling casino and then use that as a way into the legalized online poker environment in New Jersey. That once they own that casino, uh, then they'd get licensed and they could run Poker Stars New Jersey and, and they'd blow away all the other rooms because their software is so much better. So that was, uh, that was the plan for Poker Stars. And they had it pretty much all locked up to do. Uh, the other casinos in New Jersey realized they didn't want to compete against Poker Stars and also did have the valid. Uh, Opposition, in my opinion, that uh, poker stars had an unfair head start on them operating illegal all these years. But you know, forgetting about that debate, uh, they got together to sabotage this basically, and uh, poker stars ended up not getting licensed, and uh, they realized they weren't going to be, and and then the sale fell through because uh, the Ravel or not, not the Ravel the uh, Atlanta Club backed out. The Atlanta Club used a uh, a technicality to back out of the whole thing, and the whole thing fell through. So going back to the present, uh, there, there's a current lawsuit involving Churchill Downs, Downs in Kentucky and the showboat situation. And uh, where the showboat comes in, the showboat, uh, Churchill Downs was going to provide the technical end of the online poker and the online gaming, not just poker. They can offer everything in New Jersey. They were going to provide the technical end of it. They've spent a million dollars already getting ready for that to be associated with the showboat, only to have the showboat close and and the sale of the showboat uh, not, not going through. Uh, they're actually not suing Caesars. They're suing an individual named Nicholas Ribis, R-I-B-I-S, who owns uh, NLR Entertainment, which was going to buy the showboat from Caesars, and and then the whole thing fell through. I won't go into all the details with that because it's kind of boring and it's not that relevant here. But the interesting thing is, uh, it's been theorized here. So what ended up happening happening to the Atlantic Club, by the way, after the Poker Star sale fell through, and after uh, Atlantic Club backed out of the sale with a technicality. Uh, Atlantic Club was sold to um, Tropicana and Caesars. They they basically split it. And they came in, they raided the inside of the hotel for all of its its assets, the slot machines, you know, whatever they wanted out of there, you know, the equipment basically. Uh, they they bought it for 23.4 million, which obviously isn't that much money. And uh, and then closed it. So they just bought it to take the equipment from it for $23 million, which is very little, and, and closed it. And that's the end of the, the, end of the Atlantic Club. Uh, now, Have what you ever ha- been there, by the way? No. Have you? Yeah, I actually, uh, not this past year, the year before, at large, you know, the large thing I go to every year was held there. And uh, it was actually a nice property. I mean, it, you know, it, for Lake City, it, you know. Um, and that's actually why... It was held that year there was because that was, you know, during the time period where they were very confident that they were going to get the licensing and be able to purchase it. Um, But then also this past year, actually with three months ago, I stayed. I I was there the year before just didn't stay there. I stayed at the Revel, and I got to tell you, it is a gorgeous property. It would rival 
any uh, mega resort in Las Vegas except for the way it's constructed it is a fucking fail. I mean, just the fact that the rooms are literally, literally about a good 15 to 20 minute walk from the casino. Jeez. Um, I mean, it's just the way the layout is. I mean, the restaurants, amazing restaurants, amazing food. The rooms are beautiful. I mean, it, it's so how did they screw this up? How, how did they mess this up so the badly? The architecture of it. I mean, I don't, I don't know these guys that go to college and these big architectural firms. It's just like the the uh, the new Aladdin, you know, in Vegas when it opened up, like it's in two thousand three, and you had to walk through a mall to get into. Besides the fact they didn't have strip access to get into the Aladdin, you have to actually go down a, a side road to park. You have to walk from the strip through a mall. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, casino. And anyone that knows anything, I mean, you don't even have to be a college graduate architect knows that the the cardinal rule of casinos. Okay, is that when you enter it, they want you to have to walk through the casino before you even come close to any amenity, whether it's a mall, a restaurant, your hotel room, anything. And I mean, you know, that's just that's. It's amazing how they blow these these simple things. Uh, But anyway, what was happening here with with this uh, Ribis character? He he owned the Atlantic Club, but um, it turns out in and and he was the one who sold it eventually to Tropicana and Caesars in. Uh, December 2013 but in July of 2013 Ribis was already speaking to Caesars about purchasing the showboat this is in July of 2013 so this is five months before Caesars ended up buying the Atlantic Club he's already talking about buying the showboat and uh, and this was in the middle of the whole thing um, when Ribis uh, went from wanting to sell the Atlantic Club to poker stars to publicly bad-mouthing poker stars and trying to prevent them from getting any kind of license in New Jersey. So what Haley Hintz believes, and I think this is a very good theory, is that there, there was some kind of gentleman's agreement in Atlantic City where this Ribis character would be allowed to purchase a showboat if he helped keep poker stars out of New Jersey. So the way he did that was uh, getting rid of getting them out of the sale of the Atlantic Club, and um, and then he would be able to buy the showboat. So why didn't this happen? Why didn't it go through? Because you know he kept up his end of the bargain. He he did kick poker stars. He did his part to keep poker stars out of New Jersey. So what happened? Well, nobody knows. It's not clear why the sale fell through. But. Um, it, there's some theories that Caesars may have raised their price once this actually happened. Once once Poker Stars was actually out of the market, uh, Caesars may have said, "Well, okay, we're in a better bargaining position now. Now, um, now Atlantic Club has to close, and uh, and now we want more money for the showboat." So so once once Poker Stars' fate was sealed. Uh, now Ribis didn't have anything to hold over their head. They just had like a gentleman's agreement. <laughs> he probably said, "Screw you! You're not getting a good deal on the showboat anymore. Now you now you have to pay more than the sweetheart deal we were discussing before." So th- this is a theory from Haley Hanson. I don't know if that part is correct, but uh, I, I I do think it was kind of weird how the Atlantic Club just did this about face regarding poker stars, and how you know he's getting rid of the Atlantic Club, but at the same time you know he's trying to get the showboat. So uh, it'd be interesting if this is all tied in together, and uh, and and that's why. And, and now the showboat did not end up getting bought, and Caesars decided they don't want it anymore. Now it's just going to close without someone buying it. I've, I've read somewhere else, and I mean this again, 
hundred percent uh, not stamped, uh, substantiated that uh, they were they were selling this, the showboat and also uh, the one in Tunica they just closed. I can't think of it. MGM Grand, I think it was, to try to and again they're they're so in debt. I, I don't even understand how this would make sense to buy the Rebel um, because I guess apparently the Rebel itself, if it can't find a buyer. In two months, it's going to auction, and yeah. it's possibly going to close down as well. Yeah, it's a big so, mess I over there. I can't see you with the amount of debt that Caesars has it taking on that place. That would, I mean, <laughs> if they do that, then that love and that Lovelace, love lady, live Gary. Yeah, he just, I mean, how, how is he still even in charge? I don't I mean, know. Christ yeah. Almighty, fucking I, Microsoft, Yahoo, they go down ten percent. They cut. They the guys are fucking kicked out. Eighty six. I mean. How is that guy still in charge? Because it's Caesars. That's why they just they, they do but things I mean, to boggle the mind. The shareholders. I don't There's know. Don't Coca, some guy with a lot of stock. that's just like let's get this fucking mud out of here. I, I stopped trying to understand Caesars a long time ago. But I mean, do you agree? Any other company? Yeah, I would like think so. That, how? I mean, I don't know how he's surviving either. I, I don't, I'm sure he's blaming some kind of external factors and making himself look like an angel. Uh, yeah. A comment. All he does is he does. If you drink too much. Or you think you've gambled or not. Like, you know, that commercial. That's all he does. <laughs> Just films those, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I got a message from somebody in the chat room, private message. I was at Caesars yesterday right after the robbery, referring to Atlantic City. It was sick how they acted like they didn't care. Well, they probably don't care that much because it's only 180 grand, and they just they they want you to think they don't care. They want you to think like business as usual. They don't want anyone to act differently. So that doesn't surprise me. Uh, by the way, people talking about the crown, the Cromwell. Have you been in there yet? Uh, I have I have not, but funny enough, I and I'm sure you have too. I've just gotten a bunch of free night stays there. Um, I think they start this month and next month, and, and then there's some other special event they're having there. But I've not yet been in there. Yeah. From what I've been told, it's kind of like the best way to compare is it's like a poor man's Cosmo. Yeah, where, that is kind of what it's like. But it, but yeah. it's not it's not really full of like the uh, um, the slutty looking girls and the douchebag guys. It's just they they try to have it. They try to give it like an upscale boutique yeah. look, and they... absolutely, it's actually built as a boutique hotel. Yeah, but you know, I, I probably will go stay there and check it out. I mean, I have free rooms. Uh... Yeah, it's it's actually pretty nice looking. I mean, it doesn't look anything like uh, Barbary Coast. Stay there? No, I just walked through the casino. I okay. haven't looked at the rooms, but the the casino looks pretty good. I'll give them credit for that. Uh, they probably wasted a lot of money on it. I mean, oh, did I? Ever, I don't know if I ever mentioned on radio. I know I didn't tell you. That Link Ferris wheel, which I went on with, uh, you can use your seven stars benefit to take it for free. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I went on it, and it was it was pretty nice. It was an interesting view. I, I wouldn't pay the money they want for it, which thirty five. Yeah, thirty during the day. Thirty no, thirty five at night, and they they lowered the price. It was, but it's like thirty five at night, and it doesn't even run during the day because they can't get enough people. But wow. would you believe I I heard from a source on another forum who I guess knows someone at Caesars that Caesars was expecting to make. Ten times on it what they are currently making. <laughs> they claim it's making ten percent what they thought it should, and not because it's a ghost town. I mean, it's kind of a ghost town during the day, but because they were so unrealistic of what they're expecting, they really thought there's going to be like a line out the door to ride that thing for forty bucks a pop. I mean, it's crazy. Well, so, you also have to think. I mean, just a lot of the. I mean, at that price, a lot of the people that are staying in those hotels, especially during the week. The links, Harrah's, I mean, you know, those room rates during the week, they're, you know, $30, $40, $50 a night. And, you know, those are some very budget conscientious, yeah. conscientious people that are staying there. And they're not going to spend $35 per person to ride a Ferris wheel. 
and, and mean, yeah, and this isn't Vegas. This isn't somewhere in the middle of nowhere where that's your only entertainment options. So you're willing to pay a premium to do it. I mean, there's so many options there of what to do in Vegas. You, you don't have to do this for forty bucks a pop or thirty-five bucks a pop. So I totally understand why people are not doing this. So they they have to lower the price, and uh, they, going down five dollars, I don't think is doing much. And uh, uh, you know, it's always going to have a steady stream of people, and I'm sure it's making money operationally. But they spent so much. It's, that looks that thing looks so expensive. The the construction of this thing, it's a a very very expensive piece of equipment. Uh, yeah. But anyway, that's uh, I've been on it as well. Yeah, that's what's going on in. Uh, you know, what I found really annoying on it is that narrator they have on the video. This young yeah. guy, I, I hated him. I just wanted him to shut up. <laughs> but. Uh, uh, you know who I actually took on the? Uh, I guess who my date was on this Ken thing? Scaler. No, almost, almost Ken Scaler. No, Dave Learman. Oh, Dave Learman. Okay. Dave Learman went on me. That, that was that was my date of the night. He he was very appreciative though. He's like, oh wow, thanks for saving me thirty five dollars. Like he was all he was all happy. I got him uh, on there for free. How's he doing these days? Uh, you know, he, he's he's doing well. He's uh, doing his usual stuff. Uh, the uh, poker stars. Speaking of them, their satellite winners, uh, these Euros are always figuring out tricks, but I don't blame them. I do the same thing uh, to get the most value out of their FPPs. Something I hate about FPPs is how they have a variable value, and they always have, not always, but for a very long time have, before and after Black Friday, where depending upon your level on PokerStars, whether you're bronze or gold or supernova, the FVPs are worth a different amount each. And I think that's crap because it should be based upon, you know, what you earned, period. It shouldn't be connected to your current tier level. That, that's always been a criticism of mine, uh, especially when they forced us to cash them out at Black Friday and it was whatever our current tier level was. So I, that always bothered me. But um, uh, so it's still like that where if you're a bronze star, if you have a thousand FPPs, they're basically worth 10 bucks, a penny each. If you're a supernova... They're basically worth 1.6 cents each. If you can get $16 worth for a thousand FPPs of, of bonus on there, so some clever euro figured out that you can use these FPPs to buy into satellites, and um, you do have to win the satellite. But then once you win the satellite, you, I mean, this is only working for low limit players. But if you want to buy into the 235 FPP satellite and you win it, then you win a ticket to an $11 tournament called the Sunday Storm. So instead of using that ticket to enter the Sunday Storm and try to win more money, um, because all, all this is good for right now is a ticket to the Sunday Storm itself. Uh, this Euro discovered that you can unregister from it and it'll automatically credit your account with $11 T that can be used for any tournament. So they said, ah, I see. So they realized that uh, if you did this, you would end up getting an exchange rate of almost 1.6 cents per FPP. So what everyone started doing is when they would win these Sunday Storm seats, they would cash them out. And not cash them, they would, they would unregister. So PokerStars got wind of this and decided to put a stop to it and decided that they will no longer let you unregister from the Sunday Storm if you win a seat there, that now you have to play it. No more unregistering. But there is 
such outrage about this that they actually reversed their decision and now are still letting people use a, do this trick, even though they're aware of it, uh, but said they're going to be, quote, making changes within the next year to that policy. So, I heard they were storming the streets of protests in Rosarito. <laughs> so so it, it's funny these low-limit players on PokerStars have, have figured out how to uh, game the system here. And, you know, I, I don't blame them, and I have to say that it, it's just really stupid. And my argument always about the FPPs was if I earned them when I was a supernova, they should retain the value that they were when I earned them. And if I want to cash them out later just because I've degraded to a bronze because I, I've quit poker for a while or took a break, you know, whatever it is, uh, I shouldn't lose value of what I earned previously. It would be almost like you, you, you went to a job, earned money last year, and um, you know, now the bank says, hey, guess what? Uh, because you earned this money last year and since you're not working anymore, it's, it's worth uh, 60% of the value now. And I'm not talking about inflation. I'm talking about just the... You know, you had $100 in the bank. Now it's, the bank only wants to give you 60 because you're not working anyway. And it's crazy. Like, uh, it doesn't make sense. And uh, the PokerStars fanboys always try to find a way to argue with me about that. But it just isn't fair. And it, it's counterintuitive. And it doesn't uh, – it, it runs contrary to the whole concept of rake back, which is what the FPPs are supposed to be. But, uh, you know, good for the Euros for figuring this out. And uh, I'm surprised PokerStars decided to table this change and – let them continue doing this, but again, it's it's for such little money they probably don't care. I bet if it were big money, they were they would uh, stop it. Uh, let's look what else is on the schedule here. You got the comps. I, I do have the comps. Well, let's, let's before we get to that, mm-hmm. let's talk about the one other topic before that in my cute little editorial, my Andy Rooting editorial. Uh, PLOL, Chief Squatting Bull. Uh, we didn't come up with that term, by the way, but I thought it was hilarious. He decided to be a cyber squatter. Now, I can't say I'm a fan of cyber squatters. I was a victim of a cyber squatter. When I won my bracelet in 2005, some asshole said, hey, I'm going to register the domain names of the names of every bracelet winner in 2005 as soon as they win. So, like, the second they win, he'd go register it. So that's what he did. It's like, as soon as I won, I won, like, a late at night on July 4th. Uh, he registered on July 5th in the morning. So he had ToddWitellis.com. He then tried to sell it to me for like 1500 bucks, And I gave him the middle finger. I tried to claim it back. I almost won, but I lost on a technicality because I hadn't trademarked my own name prior to that. And um, I, I let it go from there. But through the magic of C-Money, uh, I got it back recently. But uh, the, the point is, the point is here that... Uh, I, I think cyber squatting in general is wrong because basically what you're doing is stealing someone else's business name or trademark or even if they don't have a trademark yet, it's something that is recognized because of someone else's hard work and innovation and, and you're trying to make the money by grabbing the .com and then selling it to them, which I just don't think is morally right to do. Squatting bull. Yeah, squatting bull. So that's that's why I, I don't think that's uh, something I can ever root for for someone to be successful, even if it's against a big business. Now, this is different than grabbing like common word domain names. Like if you were to grab poker.com before anyone got it and then sold it, great. Even nobody has a trademark on poker. No company is poker. Poker is just a game. So those people, great. They they I think they should definitely have the right to do that. But uh, you know, grabbing trademarks or anything like that that uh, – I think is wrong, and that's why in the Mason, Malmuth, and Dust Boyd case, I actually, as much as I don't like Mason, I, I think that Mason was mostly in the right there. 
except maybe the way he handled it was was kind of stupid. I think it didn't have to get to the point it did. I think Mason Mason and his lawyer. That fucking apology right in the front. That arrogant. Yeah, that that was pretty crappy. I mean, like I I really don't like Mason's personality, and I think he escalated this a lot more than it had to be. Uh, but at the same time, Dutch was cyber squatting, and I don't believe Dutch's explanation as to what was going on there. So, uh, anyway, we have our own cyber squatter, PLOL, who's a, a young man. Uh, he lives kid in Chicago. Yeah, he's a kid with a dream, moved from Florida to Chicago. And uh, he decided to register shrpo.com standing for the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open. Uh, that was a tournament series that the Hard Rock in Florida was trying to make really popular and get going. And for whatever reason, they took a long time to start referring to to the SHRPO. They, they referred to it with this long, cumbersome name of the Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open. And they even were promoting SeminoleHardRockPokerOpen.com, which isn't very smart. You, you want a .com site to be a fairly short name. Like PokerFraudAlert.com is about as long as you want a, a com to be. You, you don't want a, a domain name to be longer than that. And SeminoleHardRockPokerOpen.com is a terrible domain name. So uh, he realized that they hadn't quite gotten on the ball yet with that, and he grabbed SHRPO.com, which he knew eventually they would probably start using and figured that uh, when they were going to, he'd try to sell it to them for 5K or so and make a quick buck. Uh, normally I would be against this, but I, I don't feel bad for them because the truth is, and if you look into this, you'll you'll understand it. Indian, Indian gaming, which is what this is, is very shady. It's very shady in its beginnings, in the way it operates, and who it benefits. It's not at all what it purported itself to be and what they claimed it would be. Which they is killed that blonde woman, too, with the 100-year-old husband. I, I don't know anything about that. Uh, Anna Nicole Smith. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that. She Did died she... down there. I forgot she died down there. So, uh, but yeah, they, Indian gaming basically, uh, it was supposed to, it was approved by all these states because it was seen as a way for the Indian tribes. Yeah, kind of like reparations, kind of like for the Indian tribes who've been struggling ever since. Uh, uh, you massacred them. Yeah, us, us uh, terrible Europeans came here and, and uh, colonized uh, North America especially the middle part of North America, which is the most valuable part, uh, that the poor Indians have been struggling and that this is their way to get themselves back into self-sufficiency. And and it sounded good, except it turns out that all this is doing is enriching a few Indians to, you know, where they get very rich. And the majority of Indians, the vast majority, remain very poor. So it's just enriched a few. In the meantime, large corporations, including Caesars, uh, have gotten involved in, quote, managing these properties and have pretty much almost an- annexed them into their system. So uh, this is what's really happening. So it's just uh, a way for the, the corporations that can establish re- relationships with them to make additional money. And at the same time, legitimate competitors are, are shut out. If you don't have a relationship with the Indian tribes, you can't have a casino in these places. The whole thing's a disaster, not what it's intended to be. And there's been a lot of bad stories where, you know, something happens at one of these casinos and the Indians hide behind their claim of sovereignty. So, in general, I'm not a fan of the whole Indian gaming thing. It's like, why not give the Jews a bunch of casinos in Warsaw? <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe that's next. So, uh, 
if he's going to try to, you know, rip them off, not really rip them off, but, you know, use their trademark or lack of a trademark to try to cyber squat their domain, I'm not going to feel that bad for them. Uh, whereas if he cyber squatted the domain of some, you know, 2014 bracelet winner, I'd think it's pretty crappy. So I, I, I was still kind of rooting for PLOL on this, but I guess by the time he told the story, the whole thing was already over. And if you go to SHRPO.com, you'll see it immediately forwards to Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open.com, which is funny. They don't even want to like take the better domain name as their main domain. Like why wouldn't, why not forward the other way around? But, but whatever, uh, they have it now, and it's because <laughs> PLOL was uh, was downstairs one day, like getting food or bringing food back, and he sees this like tall black guy in a suit looking for someone. It turned out the guy was looking for him, trying to serve him with a lawsuit. This guy was a process server, and and so they they hit him with a bunch of legal threats, and he backed down and just handed them back the domain name, not wanting to be sued for more. So basically, he just said, "Here, here, take it. Just don't sue me." And they said, "Okay." Uh, if I were him, and I was trying to make money here, and you can tell me if you agree, since the loss, since the papers they sent him seemed to be just wanting the domain, and that was it, uh, to me that's kind of like a sign of weakness, that they're not really looking to collect anything from him, that they'll be happy just to get the domain. They obviously were willing to spend money on an outside attorney and an outside process server and all that to, to make this happen. So I would have tried to still get a token sum of money out of them and make up some excuse why that, why you're asking for that, you know, two thousand bucks or whatever. And if they say no, then say okay, you know, I've thought about it again. Here, have it for free. But at least try the last ditch attempt. Because I don't think it's likely they would have said, "F you." Now that you're asking for money, we're going to sue you for fifty thousand dollars. Like I, I don't see that happening. If, if you said "F you" and then waited a few months, then yes, they might sue you. But. Uh, they did not have a trademark on SHRPO.com or SHRPO at all when he registered the domain, which was pretty big. Now, they could get him on a bad faith registration, especially because they could prove that he played in their event, and that's where he got the idea. I mean, they don't know the – they can't prove for sure that's where he got the idea, but it looks very likely, and it would to a jury. But at the same time, they didn't have a trademark at the time, and I, I think if he had asked for a token sum of money here, they, they might have gone for it. Would you have tried this in his shoes, or would you have just backed I mean, off and- to be honest with you, there's absolutely no possibility it would ever even come to that because I don't have the patience or just any of it to register their names and, and get into that. But hypothetically, if I did do what he did and took it that far, I, I would. I mean, you know, I, I would try to get a token something. And like you said, if they either resisted or, or became more aggressive, I would just give it up immediately. And I definitely think he made the right choice. I mean, I know. From a forum standpoint, everybody wanted the whole drama and him to, you know, say "fuck you," Seminoles. But I think I think he did the right thing. Well, yeah. Ultimately, I don't blame him for giving up and not trying to stand up to them it's and challenge it. The legal fees and the yeah. fiasco of all of it. I mean, who needs that? Yeah, I mean, they're they're deep pocketed and they, they can obviously uh, afford all the uh, legal actions against him much better than he can. So, so obviously, backing down, ultimately giving it to them, especially since this was something he did to try to just kind of squeeze money out of them. It's not like it's not like they screwed him in some way, and he was just standing right. up for the principal. So, so I totally understand why he just handed it back. Uh, I, I do think that he, the only place he made a mistake was maybe just you know not trying to ask for a little bit, and then if they say no, give it back. It's, it, it's kind of like when you're doing car negotiations on a car lot. Uh, if you make an offer to them that's too low, they're not going to say. Well, screw you, because you're offering us this low amount for this car. Not only are we not going to sell it, 
we're kicking you off the property. We're not selling you the car at all. That, that's not what they do. They just say no, but then if you come back and offer what they wanted in the first place, they, they'll gladly well, sell you the car. Sometimes you can walk out too and they'll come chase you. That that happens a lot too. But yeah, but there's never any harm in in trying to negotiate first, uh, especially if you're dealing with a, a company that's that's less likely to get insulted and and try to do something for spite. So. But, but you know, if he wanted the path of least resistance and just to give up, like he thought, okay, this is a good idea, but I don't want to face a lawsuit or even chance pissing them off, I understand. So that was uh, that was PLOL, who's been nicknamed uh, Chief Squatting Bull for his cyber-squatting antics with uh, the Indian tribes, and uh, he tried to fight the law, and the law won. And uh, at least he didn't really lose, though, because he, uh, he was out very little money for it. He's out like a few bucks. I think he even got them to agree to pay for the transfer charge. Of like nine bucks, and and uh, by the credit way, the, yeah, the the the, uh, the credit card wasn't valid on their end to do the transfer. <laughs> Apparently, the Seminoles uh, couldn't even afford nine dollars for the transfer, but I guess it's because the card expired. It's just a clerical error. So uh, now let's talk about the comps. Uh, Brandon's been just chomping at the bit to get to the segment, so we we got to get to it. And also, we, we've hit the magical ten o'clock hour. When this... in, I was curious if this is like a like uh, on the television network where it just has to end at that time or is it just a mythical number that you try well, to Well, I'll, I'll I've explained this before. I know uh, you weren't around in those days uh, when I explained it. But, make the final table. But, yeah, but what happened here is uh, uh, basically since there is a young boy that I'm now the father of mm-hmm. and um, because the, the young boy – Likes to stay up late like I do. Uh, he definitely takes after me there. Yeah, gene pool. Uh, yeah he, he will sometimes stay up later than his mom. And and his mom then has to work the next day. She has a regular job. She's not uh, into poker or anything like that. Uh, on, a, on a weekday, it, it can be frustrating for her if he's not wanting to go to sleep and, and just staying up and making noise and all that. And, uh, and she's trying to get to sleep, so... Uh, when I make the show too long, what ends up happening is uh, it forces her to stay up too. Now, sometimes I'll get lucky and he'll just uh, go to sleep with her, but uh, usually that doesn't happen, especially if he takes a fairly long nap during the day at preschool. So uh, that's uh, that, that's the reason for this having to end at uh, 10 something. So I, I try to end it around 10, but sometimes I'll run a little bit over. But uh, regarding the comps, uh, and I know, Brandon, you're not going to learn anything from this, but uh, a lot of people are confused about comps in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm sorry, but we didn't get to the end of the other story about the show ending. No, but I mean, the, you're talking about the mom, mom working in the morning. So is there a definitive time it has to end by, or you just try to cut it short? No, I just try to cut it short around, okay. around this time. Okay. So, okay. so, so, so anyway, the, the, with comps, like people – they hear that I'm a seven star, the brand is a seven star, and they picture all the wrong things first. They, they picture if we have the seven star card that the, the casino world is our oyster and we can have these baller suites all the time and just go and uh, you know order $1,000 meals and, and the house pays for it. And that's not how it works. Seven words, Druff. What have you done for me lately? Exactly. Exactly. And uh, and that's really that's the simplest way to put it of what these casino comps are uh, – are all about and and you have to understand that but it's it's a little more complicated than that obviously but yeah casinos are all about not what you have done 
but what you're going to do. And that's the first thing to understand is when you're comped, you're not being comped because they appreciate the action you've put in. They're comping you believing that you will come and play again. So the comps are, are done either to entice you to come back by giving you future comps or to give you a good feeling about the fact that you've been there, whether you've won or lost, especially if you've lost, but, but to make you feel like you're still being taken care of and had a good experience there despite whatever your results were at the casino. So that's, it's an important distinction to make here and to understand, and that's the, the basic uh, concept behind comps. But here's the thing that may really surprise a lot of you, and that is your comps at the casino are not based all that much upon how much you win or lose. A lot of times you'll go to the casino and get clobbered and feel like they owe you huge meals and uh, lavish suites and uh, front row tickets to Celine Dion or whatever, but you ask for that and sometimes we'll get denied and you'll be really pissed off. How could they do that after you've lost all this money? Well, that's not really what comps are about. Now, if they think that you will only continue playing if they give you something and you only continue shooting off if they make you happy, they'll sometimes do that just to keep you happy. But in general, they're not rewarding you for losing. You're not getting better comps for losing unless they believe that your losing is a result of poor play. Like if you're a blackjack player who's making all the wrong moves and making terrible mistakes, yes, they want you to play much more than someone who's playing good basic strategy. Uh, if you're a video poker player who is uh, just losing way, way more than you should if you're playing well, uh, they will... They, they don't analyze your actual moves, but it, they'll see from your results. If they if they get the idea that you're playing worse than uh, than you should be, then you, again you'll get better comps. But that's all, all most of that's automated. But uh, the way comps work is by something called your theoretical, or what they also abbreviate as theo. Theo. Yes, and the the theoretical or the theo is what they determine is your average loss based upon how high you're playing how long you're playing it, uh, what your expected loss would be in a completely average situation if you take luck out of it. So um, if you think of it, uh, if you were to play a million hours of this and then um, you know, look at how much you would lose per hour in a million hours playing the exact same way, that's what your theoretical would be. Not based on what the hold of the particular game is. Yes, yes. So that's what the comps are based on. So some people feel if you go in there and you smack the casino down in blackjack because you run really well, that they're not going to want to comp you. Wrong. They will. They, some people think that if you lose a fortune and you run awful, that you're deserving of all the great comps. That's mostly not true. As I said, they'll sometimes comp you extra because they see you're shooting off. And because the, sometimes someone shooting off will want to chase their losses and bet even bigger and they don't want to piss you off and drive you out of there. But as far as the comps that you've earned, and I'll get to in a second what the, uh, the, how the theoretical relates to that, your wins and losses have nothing to do with it. The only time they have something to do with it is if you lose to such a degree that they determine that something must be wrong with the way you're playing, that you must be a, a novice player. Now, in blackjack, they actually watch you and rate you. Uh, but in uh, in games like video poker, they kind of have to figure it out for themselves by the numbers. And things like slots, there 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 is no strategy, so that doesn't apply. 
but the way they uh, determine what you would qualify for is what's called the ADT, and it's the average daily theoretical. And that is over a period of time, and not a very long period of time, uh, they determine what your th- theoretical loss is per day that you're there gambling. And that is what determines your basic comps. That's what, if you've got a high average daily theoretical, that means you're likely to lose a lot of money every time you come in there based on your recent patterns, and they're going to comp you a lot. If you have a low average daily theoretical, then they won't. And uh, what really hurts your theoretical, of course, is when you take trips to the casino, and I'll explain what a trip is in a second, to where you don't gamble at all. You gamble very, very little and just uh, you know, use up the resources there. Uh, and that lower, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you were in school, if you get a, a 90% and 85% on the first two tests you take, then your average in the class is 87 and a half, and you've got a B plus, you're doing pretty well. Uh, but if you get a zero on the next test, then your average goes way, way, way down, obviously. So this is the same way with your theoretical, where uh, zeros in there really kills your average. And if you get a lot of recent zeros, then what does that look like? Well, a lot of gamblers gamble a whole lot, and then they either go broke or, or they, they get depressed at how much they lost, and they're not, they're not going to do it again. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why gamblers who gamble a lot at one point. They, they run out of airports. They run out of airports to scam. That's another big reason they don't gamble as much. It's true. Uh, they, a lot of times a person gambling very big today is not going to gamble very big a few months from now. So the casinos are aware of this and are afraid that these people who are now busto and can't gamble anymore are just going to use them for comps. They don't want that because they're not giving you comps based on what you did. They're giving you comps on what they think you're going to do. So if you start putting up a lot of zeros when you're visiting the casino – then, again, the what have you done for me lately kicks in, and uh, they will very quickly lower your comps. And if a host has arranged things for you, the host is going to start hassling you. Why aren't you playing for me? So uh, you have to keep that in mind uh, when you're playing that uh, if you are earning any comps, and you're, if your play is going to be consistent, if you are planning to play at a high level, Every time you come into Vegas, or most of the times you come into Vegas, then you have nothing to worry about. Then you're going to have a consistent level of comps. They're going to be pretty nice to you. You're, you're going to be in good shape. But if your play is either inconsistent or you just kind of sh- shot off at one point, the last thing you want to do is say, well, you know, I, I probably won't gamble much next time or a few times afterwards. But I, I don't want to ask for too many comps now because I don't want to use them all up. You will use them all up simply by time passing and you not gambling the same way you did or not returning to Vegas in a timely enough fashion. So if you shoot off today a lot of money, but don't come back for two years, they're not going to say, oh, this guy gambled big two years ago. They're going to say, he hasn't come back in two years. Screw him. So so that's... Uh, that was a sound effect failure on my part. Let's try it yeah, now. I didn't know what that was. Yeah. Like the... There, that's what I was trying to put on here. Anyway, um, here's my advice as far as the, the comps there. And by the way, one other thing before I get to my advice. There's such a thing as being overcomped. Overcomped means you're actually using more of the casino's resources than they feel your play is entitling you to. Now, how can you do that? 
there's a few ways you can do it. Uh, first of all, at properties like Caesars where they have the seven stars program, there are certain guaranteed benefits where no matter how much you're playing or not playing, as long as you're at that level, you can get these benefits, like free hotel rooms. Uh, if you keep using those and you don't play much, then you will actually have used up more comps than the computer feels you're entitled to, based on your theoretical. And then they will not do anything for you beyond the minimum level entitled by whatever level you are there. So uh, what's funny is I'm overcomped right now. And as a Seven Stars member, I actually am entitled to much less as far as comps, like food comps and things like that, than the average gold member who's the bottom tier. I'm not even kidding. I'm, like, entitled to nothing other than what the Seven Stars guaranteed benefits because I'm considered so overcomped from all the times I've stayed and not played and um, from all the other benefits I've, I've used. And you can also get overcomped if you ask for a lot of comps after, you know, uh, over and over and over again, promising you're going to play and then don't play. And uh, um, as I said, the farther and farther it gets from when you last played a lot, the less and less they'll do for you. It, it's very, very much based upon recent action because they know that uh, gambling habits are not always consistent, especially people's bankrolls, if they get decimated, can't gamble anymore no matter how much they want to. So if you, so first of all, you have to be realistic with your expectations. If you have a diamond card at, at uh, Caesars, that doesn't mean you're, you're a baller and they're going to treat you like gold. That, that means you're entitled to certain benefits, uh, not even the best benefits, because that's the second highest card. And um, if your play isn't dictating that uh, you, you've earned comps, uh, don't expect much. You can't just walk into a host and say, yeah, give me two front row seats to Celine Dion tonight. They're, they're going to say no way, uh, unless you've earned it with your play recently, uh, even as a seven star. Uh, another thing is uh, if you think you have earned comps by playing a lot recently, uh, don't be shy about asking on this trip for them to give you a lot unless you think you're going to come back and continue to play at that same level. So, um, for example, uh, let's say you just have a night where you just kind of tilt off there the blackjack table or the craps table or the, the video poker, and you, you, you have a very high bet, and you bet for a long time, and you, you gave them a lot of action. Because they're really looking for action, not wins or losses, again. Uh, but you know that this is unusual, and this is not going to be what you typically do when you come there. The time to strike is now. Either now or, or coming up on your next trip. Uh, but especially now. So if you want to have the good meal that they cover, that's when to ask them for it. If you want to have the up, upgraded to a suite, that's when to ask them for it. The only time you don't want to ask them for it is because if you're going to continue playing, you don't want to have used up these resources. You don't want to have used up these comps to where you're starting to get close to overcomped, and next time they don't want to give you as much if you're going to keep playing. But if you're not going to keep playing at this level, you might as well do it before they suspect that you're broke, even if you're not and probably not going to play at that level again, because then they just won't give you the comps next time. And the worst thing is when you call up asking for comps, and they say, well, we can't do it, but you know, just charge it to the room, and we'll evaluate your play at the end and comp you based on that. That's the worst to hear, because then you, have to, you lit- literally have to earn it for that same trip. And, and you don't know what you're earning until the end. So, And you can be on the hook for all of it. So... Uh, that, that's really basically how the system works uh, across all the properties. And, uh, and, and it's good to understand this 
when uh, when going to get these comps. And, and you have to understand that uh, the hosts there who, who issue these comps, uh, they are under a lot of pressure by their superiors, and they're judged by the comps they issue, how much that translates into people actually playing and, and generating this theoretical loss. And if they're giving out comps to people who are not generating theoretical losses, if they do this too often, uh, it reflects badly upon them, and they get uh, they get fired or their bonuses get docked. Very cutthroat business, Ross. Very much. Uh, you, do you have anything to add on this, Brandon? No, you covered it perfectly. So, so uh, you have to understand. So, it's not... uh, well, the one thing I will add is that <clears throat> Jay Stat made a comment about uh, he hasn't paid for a room in a long time, and rooms. You know, two things you got to realize about rooms that. that a lot of people may not know, and again, I'm not talking necessarily about Caesars, um, but I know at Station Casinos, I know at MGM Properties as well, you get a mailer, you know, free night, two free nights, and you think, oh, I just have a free night room. But technically, what they're doing is those rooms are going to go against what, whatever your Theo is. And you may say, you know, they send you something in the mail, two free nights at the Mirage. You come to the Mirage. You lose a little bit of money, try to get something to eat, and they're going to tell you, sir, you don't have any comps. You're like, what, what do you mean you don't have any comps? And they'll tell you that, well, your room cost, you know, was deducted this much, this much. So that's another misleading tactic that casinos do do. Um, obviously, uh, Caesars not being one of them because of the perks of getting those free rooms and the fact that you basically, like Jeff said many times, you cop yourself. I mean, you don't, you know, you, I, being a seven-star now, I've been the same amount of time as you roughly so what, what how many years has it been about about two i don't think i've ever gone to a host and asked them to, to maybe once or twice to write me something in paper to take somewhere uh it might have been a, i think i might have done it for a buffet once or twice but everything else i've just caught myself so that's really the only thing i would add is that that those free rooms are misleading when people just think they're getting a free room and it's not going to hurt them and say you have four hundred dollars in comps at you know uh, at like I said, the Mirage, and you take them up on a free room offer and you still think you have that $400 and you go to get something, you're going to be told, no, you don't, or you have only this much because the rooms go against your comps. Yeah, and, and when he says $400, we're not referring to things like rewards credits where you have that much. We're referring to the uh, a figure you don't really see where they have in the internal system of you've played this much. Uh, right. Like, we'll so you we'll give you we'll give you as much as four hundred dollars in comps, and then and then Brandon's yeah. saying if you redeem an offer you get for free rooms, that they're going to assign a value to that room and subtract from what they're willing to give you comps in other ways, such as food or, or shows or whatever. But everything ha- has uh, like a price attached to it, even if you don't see it. And when you've Absolutely. gone below zero, they won't give it to you anymore. And if you if you go way below whatever you go below zero, then you're considered overcomped, and then they will do nothing for you. So you and now. What about these RCs, the reward credits, or, or their equivalent over in MGM? Uh, that's a new concept, and you just have to be careful with them. When I say be careful is you earn these with your play, usually like uh, about a penny for every uh, $10 bet. So you're really earning very little. Uh, but they add up if you're putting in a lot of play. And the good thing about reward credits or their equivalent at other properties is that you can spend them when you want. They don't have a what have you done for me lately thing. They don't even have like a poker stars thing where they degrade in value. So you can spend these whenever you want, wherever you want, regardless of how much or how little you play. And hosts don't even like that. Now, Caesars has a policy that you have to spend all your rewards credits before the host will start comping you. Occasionally, they're allowed to get around that, but that's really what they're told to do. 
and most of them stick to it. And some people believe that's the right thing to do, but it's not because then you become at the mercy of the host. So, well, I mean, it really, it really does depend because if you're playing, for instance, if you're a high limit baccarat player or a high limit table game player, you might not necessarily accrue as many RCs as you would playing slots, you know. But yet, if your average bet, say, you know, you're betting five hundred thousand a hand of baccarat, uh, I would definitely advise in that sort of scenario to go through your RCs because then you are going to get comped. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's of, no, that, and I've said that before. Actually, not exactly in that way. And you bring up a good point: the table games uh, comp differently. But uh, I, I was saying, if you're a regular player, where you're playing a whole lot, and the host is always going to like your action, then then that's fine to do. But if you're an inconsistent, if you're an inconsistent player, you want to hoard your RCs because uh, then you can comp yourself whenever you want. You're never at their mercy. You can take whatever trips you want and spend the RCs at your leisure, and 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 uh, you don't have to have hosts hassling you, hey, you have to play this much to get these comps. You you have the comps at, built up here. And uh, so so th- that's that's my general advice and Brandon's general advice for the uh, casino comps. And hopefully you understand a little better how the system works now. And there's a lot of misunderstanding. At, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off, but even now at MGM Properties, they have uh, at least the last three years now what they've called express comps. So basically – when you go to either a kiosk or a host, it will actually tell you what your express comps are, and that's basically um, what's the best way to. Explain aren't it? aren't those equivalent to RCs, pretty much? No, because okay, well, if you're playing, say a, say you're a slot player, you're gonna you're gonna accumulate RCs as well, but you're also gonna accumulate what's called express comps. Okay. So it's but basically. Anything that you get for a host from a host will come off your express comp. I see. So, I see. so, so but, you're saying you can just get this without having to use a host? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And another thing that's really interesting, uh, I, I don't know if you touched on this. This was maybe about, oh, God, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, and it, it made the news. Sheldon Adelson at both his properties uh, made it a policy that unless you're betting $25, okay, you're not entitled to get rated. I don't know if you remember this. Oh, story. I do remember that, yes. Um, which, you know what, I mean, I find that very arrogant. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah, you're not going to get much anyhow, but still you're sitting there and they have, they have, you know, they always will have a $15 blackjack table. Maybe during the week you may find a $10 blackjack table, but the majority of blackjack tables are 25 dice games, you know, during the week are $10 minimum games, but still literally, you know, that became a policy that I I think that's stupid too. I think that's dumb. Very, very. It's, and it's such a turnoff to people. Can you yeah, imagine you're sitting there, you know, betting 15 a hand at, you know, three-card poker or, or whatever, and, and you're told you can't rate you unless you're betting $25? I mean, the truth is a lot of people, they, they want to feel like they're getting something. So if, if you lose, you know, several hundred dollars betting, uh, you know, 10 or 15 a hand, and then uh, – you say, hey, you can lose can... $1,000 easily over yeah, trip betting I, 15 a hand. I know. So then you so you say, hey, you know, I, I want to have a meal at the cafe, and then they write you a comp there. You, you feel a little bit good. You're like, okay, exactly. I get a free meal. Like you, you exactly. don't – when you you hear you get nothing, we, we're we going to pretend you weren't here. That just gets people angry. I'd never stay there again. Yeah, yeah. I'd so be that, so turned off that was, that would be That's dumb. But he's, so, he's a crazy man anyhow, so that's – Yeah, the, he, he does do a lot of odd things for sure. So uh, – 
Anyway, that, that's with that. And, you know, we're getting near the uh, ten thirty yeah, mark. Yeah, so. I, I draw for my stamina. I've got to ease back into this thing. Now. Yeah, so I just want to do my my little editorial here, and this is not going to be a long one, but uh, it's about insurance. And uh, this came up because uh, I had a conversation with, with some people about trip insurance. Trip insurance, if you don't know, is, is mostly insurance you buy on a one time basis for when you're taking a trip. So if uh, you can't take the trip for any reason. Uh, you get sick, uh, your mother gets sick, and you have to take care of her. Um, you get injured, uh, bad weather happens, and, and you know you can't fly there. But you know, uh, whatever it is, uh, or some of these even cover injuries or, or illnesses. If you have to go to the doctor when you're in a foreign country, people get this trip insurance to cover against all this, which which at first sounds like a good idea. Why, why not cover yourself? Why waste a lot of money on a vacation? Only not to be able to take it for some reason out of, beyond your control, and then uh, be out the money. It'd be it'd piss you off. So why not pay a little bit and prevent that? Well, the problem is, unless you can't afford for that to happen, unless it'd be devastating to you financially, to where this is like your one shot at taking a trip that you've saved up years for, and now uh, something happens and you you lose all the money from it because you can't cancel, and that's that. Unless you're in that position, or unless you're in a position where you're likely to see or somewhat likely to see something that interferes like you know your mother's very sick and you know she could need you at any point or or you know you or your spouse are very sick or have health problems then it makes sense but if you're just a typical traveler like like me or like brandon uh you know around 40 years old and uh you know just taking a trip everything in your life is kind of stable and normal uh it's a waste of money can it be advantageous if something happens? Of course, but it's a bad value. And how do I know it's a bad value? It's a bad value simply because all insurance is bad value. That's how insurance companies make a lot of money, is that they sell you something that on average is a poor value. Now, because you can't run your life a thousand or a million times, you have one life, uh, that's why you still get insurance because um, – you get insurance against your home burning down because if your home burns down, that's a huge financial uh, hit against you. That you know, the the one major thing you own is gone. You want to have insurance against that, even if it's not positive expectation to have the insurance, but just to insure against something. You're paying a little bit to prevent something horrendous from you know taking your finances out. Same with medical insurance. You have that, so if you get cancer or, or have to have expensive heart surgery or whatever, it doesn't bankrupt you. Also makes sense. Uh, auto insurance is, is mainly not so much to replace your car, but that can also be a reason too, especially if you have an expensive car. But uh, especially if you hit someone and it's your fault, and you cause them all kinds of bad injuries that it covers a lot of what they could sue you for. So these are good reasons to have insurance, and all those types of insurance I support having, and I have them myself. And in fact, in some cases, these are the law to have. Um, but things like trip insurance, these, these kind of one-time sort of insurances that are preventing like a few thousand dollar loss, it's dumb if you can afford the loss. And when I say afford the loss, I don't mean you're – you're like Dan Bilzerian and a few thousand doesn't matter to you. I'm talking about if you can lose a few thousand and while it will be frustrating, it's not going to change your lifestyle at all. You're not going to live any differently. It's, you're not going to have trouble paying the rent. You're not going to have trouble taking another trip next year. You'll be pissed off, but it, that's it. And it's a mistake to get any kind of insurance on a small thing. I see people 
doing incredibly stupid things with like dental insurance. I'll see someone who who, who pays five hundred dollars a year for how, dental insurance. How many? Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt the Rooney's thing. How many insured wants a gut shot straight? <laughs> yeah. On high stakes poker, he did. I kid you not. I know, I know. It's, Remember when he, he takes insurance in all the hands? Or? Yeah. Well, at least in, at least in poker, it, it, it's kind of like a variance control thing. That's that's, that's uh, I can understand that more. Uh, but but the taking insurance on small things, like um, yeah, I, but, I read that uh, in Macau that they literally have a group of guys that are at this big game that's going on there that. All they do is is they handle the insurance. I always, I I wondered about that. Like I always thought it's, that it's that would be a cow thread on two plus two. Tom Hall. Do you know who Tom Hall is? Uh, I've heard of him, but I don't know much about him. He Hong Kong Tom. He's he, yeah. He's in the one million. But anyhow, he's like the insider. He plays in that game and he writes about it. But it's very interesting. Go read about it. They literally have about six to eight guys. That's funny. I, I've that thought game. about that before. I, I thought about like like I thought that would actually be a good business to insure poker players and on, that on is all these exactly things. Yeah. What they do and all they do. Yeah. They sit there all day for a vague whatever it is and, and they make their money chart. Yeah. Insurance. I I can understand on that though when you're betting so much money, like like how that can be good for all parties pretty much. But uh, um things like like small like one time I was at Best Buy and I bought like a sixty dollar thing. And they say, "Would you like to extend the warranty for twelve dollars?" And, and I said, "What? Would you like to extend the warranty for twelve? I go, "This is a sixty-dollar item." Yeah, but you can get an extended warranty for whatever. Okay, that's twenty percent of the value. Why would I ever do that? And like, I, I stopped arguing because I realized it's you know it's a cashier there. Like, who's going to argue about value with a cashier? But the truth is, obviously, they're making a lot of money on this. And do I really need to protect my sixty-dollar purchase? Like, what's the worst that will happen? It'll break down early, and I'll be out $60. Actually, less than 60 because I'll get whatever use out of it that I got. Like, the, the absolute worst is it breaks, and, and I'm out $60. So why, why would I ever buy something that's that's bad value to protect my $60 investment? Uh, I, I laugh at people who buy dental insurance for uh, $500 a year with a $1,100 maximum benefit. So that that's not what insurance should be about. Insurance should be about where you pay a little to prevent something that is a whole lot of money would really, really devastate you if it occurred. And uh, that's why I, I, my editorial here is just very simply saying avoid those types of insurance. Just just live your life a little dangerously in that way and understanding that you can't insure every bad thing that could possibly happen to you in life. There will be annoying things that cost you money that are end up wasting your money that you know you wish didn't happen. But if you start trying to insure every little thing like that, you're going to waste much more money than those occasional annoying things. Um, I'll give you another example. I, I have a high deductible for my insurance, my health insurance, and because of the hospital stay I had in January, uh, I used up the whole deductible, and it was a very bad amount of money. It was $6,000, and my deductible is 6000 So, so basically it was exactly the wrong amount of money. To where I, I was getting the least amount of coverage. My coverage. So much basically... like as a Jew, you kind of wish would have been sicker. I, I kind of did. I was kind of like, damn, can't 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 the bill be like twenty k? I want can't, to feel like I can't. Can't they give me the shingles or something? Yeah. No, I was like, hey, can you run some unnecessary tests, please, so I can feel like I saved money. So, so anyway, they, yeah. So, so I used my deductible. Now at least it was January, so I have the rest of the year now to go to the doctor for free. Uh, I really do. But uh, the point is that. Um, I wasn't regretting that I didn't get a lower deductible policy. Now, if I could have seen the future that in January 2014 I'd have to go to the hospital and spend 6000 of course I would get something with a very low deductible. But I thought about it and said, wait a minute. To get these low deductible policies, I had to pay like twice as much per month. And this will already cost me um, in the four figures in a year just in premiums. 
So you, pa- you pass a few more years, and there's the 6,000 right there. And, and I don't go to the hospital very often. That's very rare for me. So, uh, so the point is um, you need to look at what these things cost you over time. You need to understand that the companies make big money on these small one-time insurance policies. And, and something else I heard was that, like in trip insurance in particular, there is a large commission margin for whoever sells that to you. So anything that the person who sells it to you gets a very large commission, that means you're getting a horrible deal. So uh, just stay away from all those types of insurance. Uh, Basically only insure things that are very large, or there's an exception if you know it's likely to happen, if you know you're not a typical case. Uh, If you want to get dental insurance because you know you're very prone to cavities, uh, or, or you know that you have a root canal that's probably going to come up soon, and there's, you know, the waiting period won't be long enough to where that'll affect you. That's, that, that, by all means, then do it, but uh, don't just get insurance. Don't pay some money, a few hundred bucks, to avoid losing a few thousand bucks, unless you really absolutely can't afford losing a few thousand bucks. And you know, this this sounds obvious, but you'd be surprised how many people make this mistake. And yet, yet are very cheap in other things. It's it's funny. Like I'll see people wasting money on stupid insurance. And yet uh, I'll see them cheap out in, in areas that are so stupid to cheap out. And actually, uh, you know, they'll sit there in their, in their house in a sweater because they don't want to heat it. I once seen a lady, Jeff, at the local Best Buy buying like a $200 Panasonic little camera. woman spent like $70 in insurance. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> it was like $50 plus the optimal add-on something. And I, I just sit there shaking my head at the old goat. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is, this is the uh, – we ended up going uh, – Four hours no, on this show. Like TBS. It's five minutes after. It, it, it is. It's uh, the, the alternate. Uh, they have like an alternate reality in Atlanta, I'm convinced, where everything is five minutes later. <laughs> That's what I think is going on over there. Uh, so thank you, Brandon, for coming on. Glad Very to have thing. had you on the show tonight. And uh, you really you know, had a lot to offer here. You had Mark Newhouse. I feel like that was off my game, though. No, it. no, no, no. You, I, I think you just you just kind of feel that way because it's, you haven't been here in a while. But I, I thought it was great. Uh, but you brought in Mark Newhouse. You you kind of brought the Iceman. Uh, you, you, I get the Blitz on, too. Yeah, the Blitz can come on. Here. I mean, it's just you, you had so much to bring, we can't even fit it into the show. So I don't feel bad here at all. You, you did a great job, and uh, always glad to have you. And I know the, the audience here is, is always uh, excited when they hear that uh, Brandon Drexel Gerson is returning to the show. And you even saw when you made that deep run in the Omaha event that uh, you had all these people rooting for you because they remembered the joy that you brought to them, the radio. And uh, even though it had been a while, they they uh, they wanted you to win for that reason, remembering all the uh, good times they had listening to you on this show. So obviously, uh, you're welcome to come back. If, you, if you'd like to come next week and have the time, I'd love to have uh, Dan Blazerian on here. We can think of some questions to ask him, and uh, I think that would uh, make a great guest. And uh, anyway, we actually had record ratings tonight. And I think it's, uh, I, I want to give you most of the credit, Brandon. Some of it goes to Mark Newhouse just for making the final table what's twice. The record, what's the normal, what's the highest, what do you go by? I, well, I was going by the I live know. listenership. Obviously, the archives where we get most of the people. But I was looking at the live listenership, and uh, I, it's one of the highest ones we've had in a long time. So, uh, well, good job to you for coming back. And uh, very happy to have you back on the show. And... We'll be back next week. At least I'll be back next week. And uh, Brandon's always welcome. One week from today, July 29th, at 6.30 p.m. And I've been starting right around on time. I've 
trying to turn over a new leaf here and not start like 20 minutes late. So that is it for the show. And uh, hopefully I won't go and find a young child who's awake and a mother who's angry at me. But we'll have to see. But I had to get through the stuff here and that's the way it goes. Good night, Brandon. Good night, all of the live listeners and archive listeners. See you next week and... Shalom. Shalom.